Hello there, friends. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Death to 2020, and in the usual tradition, the annual custom, we're releasing some of the Bibliotech from our Patreon feed, free here for those of you who are not yet backing us over at patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. This is just a little bit of a taster. The first two parts, because this became one of the longest odysseys we ever undertook. We're talking about Hardy Boys Exist to Inspire, the strange interview come poetry collection come biography that was released just as the hardy boys were splitting up it is an absolute strange read and a wild ride so yes we usually like to give you a whole bibliotech but as this one got so long and so sprawling but it's so interesting here instead is parts one and two to wet your whistle learn the stories of pine needles smelly tobacco juice and cold ravioli all this and much more awaits you enjoy this or gift to you our lovely listeners and if you are inclined to head over to our patreon page you've got the other two parts of this as well as a whole bevy of other bibliotech episodes including pete gas ryback triple h's bodybuilding book which adam then had to go make a video episode about doing all the exercise and eating for and as well you've got the new limp biscuit chocolate starfish review what a way to ring in the new year and say death to 2020 thanks for being a listener and enjoy hardy boys exist to inspire Hey man, you're listening to the Attitude Era Podcast, Patreon, aka Support the AE Podcast, uh, bonus, aka Feature Exclusive Content, and this is uh, Cowboy Kevin Mann, aka The Host, alongside the Master of the Bibliotech, aka Coffee, Adam Biblo, welcome to Exist to Inspire. The ASMR experience <laughs> you didn't give me any heads up on that. Well, I wouldn't want to. You've, uh, you've, uh, you've got some uh, people to win back over with this book report concept as this, a whole. Yeah, this is the closest a podcast has ever been to an apology. I think, <laughs> like, this is purely to make good for the Ryback incident. I kind of feel like after the Ryback thing, we should have had like a Vince McMahon kind of come out, like. And- you know, do like a kind of a, an explanation, kind of like a character-breaking moment. Like <laughs> the editor of podcast, we're about uh, we're about entertaining, putting smiles on people's faces. And tonight we will do what we do best, and that is to entertain you by going needlessly in depth on a ghost-written wrestler's autobiography. I'm sorry, but the uh, the Ryback book report, quite frankly, was a self-help book. I don't think a lot of people realised it was a self-help book, did they? Ourselves included. Like, I, I mean, I knew it was a self-help book, but I didn't really realise what that meant, I think. Do you like, think that doing that book report helped you wake up? It helped me wake up to the future of the Bibliotech and how you don't take this shit for granted. You yeah. can't just do any old fucking book. That's, people yeah. get sick of it real quick. Yeah, it's not easy, is it, having your own little show, is it? No, people will turn on you yeah. if you make the wrong move. Exactly. I kind of feel like after that, right, and we were looking at something, there was a lot of very positive comments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I know. It, a lot of people enjoyed it. It was totally Cinema Swirl, a podcast, do the wrestler. Like, yeah, to each A lot of their people own, loved yeah. it. Like, some people hated it. Some people despised it. And those people wanted to let us know either way. And I'm and I'm happy I'm happy that it, it struck a chord with people, um, good or bad. All, all it's about is getting a reaction, Kevin. Exactly. I don't care if you boo me or <laughs> as long as you're la- As long as you're screaming at your podcast, then I'm doing my job right. So does that mean that 2005 Michael Cole is going to refer 
referred to this as the controversial <laughs> Attitude Era podcast. Some fans, they uh, take a look. He does things a little bit differently. Some of the old school fans. Yeah, this is WrestleMania 22 here. Where, yeah. We're excusing John Cena getting booed by the crowd. Like. I thought it was a slightly more modern, one of the most polarizing podcasts in <laughs> a podcast history. Like. But anyway, the point is not everyone loved it. So we thought we'd do something that is more likely going to appease everybody. Exactly. Now, this was like kind of me coming up to, to Adam here and he was he was sat down and there was like all broken Ryback book all beside him, <laughs> all shattered with people's slightly negative feedback. And uh, why do we fall down, Master Bibolo? <laughs> After some slightly negative feedback. Click it back up again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're here with Exist to Inspire. This is a book that I bought... Months and months ago. Eons ago. <laughs> like, it's literally it's like, oh, book report. There's more than two episodes of this. I'll just start buying books. Yeah. And uh, here is one. Finally getting your money's worth out of it. How much did you spend on this, Kevin? This was a lean, mean 50 peen. Oh, dude. Sorry, I have been writing all over it, so the resale value is going to be a little iffy now. I'm I hope afraid. you'll get a lean, mean 35 for it. Like. Uh, if you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. So, how did you get on with Exist to Inspire? It's on the rock says end of the spectrum. Okay. It's it's an, it's a weird book, this now. I mean, I just saw this, and we got the cover here, which is Matt and Jeff circuit, I'm thinking like 2002 type of time, because Jeff's got the dark-sided, uh, yes. the blonde hair, so to speak. That's when Jeff went kind of off on his own a little bit. I just saw Matt and Jeff Hardy with Michael Krugman. Krugman. What are you going to do, Hulk Hogan, when Krugman comes for you? <laughs> My Krugman has been weeding all of his Krugs, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and he's even sake. bigger and stronger than you. <laughs> Krugman. <laughs> um, so, so... What is the format of this book? It's not... Because you told me a little bit ago, it's not a straight-up, like, you know, ghost-written book. I tell you, we'll, we will get into the format of the book as okay. we get there, I think. Okay. I think that's the best way to experience this. But while, while we're on about the Krugman, I can give you a little background on him. Michael Krugman worked on other autobiographies. <laughs> Sorry, Michael Krugman literally sounds like the name that someone who then becomes a Spider-Man villain, like, you know? <laughs> like, Michael Krugman. Literally. Like, something, something, something... Spilt chemicals, and then he becomes the Krug man. Like. Becomes the Krug. Or the Krugernaut. <laughs> so, Michael the Krugernaut Krugman has worked on books with... Well, I say with. He's sort of... Some of these he's written posthumously. So he's wrote a book about Andre the Giant. Oh, wow. He did Lita's autobiography with her. You know, Which is It Just Feels Right, isn't it? No. Oh, that's, her, that's her video, wasn't hang it? Hang on. Hang on. Oh, my God. It's such a convoluted title. And it's not If They Only Knew, because that's China. That's China. Um, it's like the reincarnation of Amy Dumas. Are you? No. I, I, you've got to find it, Kevin. Pull it up, because this is... It's a bad title. I remember seeing it in WWF magazine and being horrified. Lita, The Road Less Travelled, a.k.a. The Reality of Amy Dubal. That was it. A less travelled road and road in capital letters. Oh, it's an acronym! Reality of Amy Dumas. Wait, so is Exist to Inspire a really long-ass acronym? Unfortunately not. Uh. I've, looked, I've looked at it from every which way you can, like... So Krugzo, he's the, the, the Kruger, yeah, yeah. he's Freddy Krueger. He's done books about Andre the Giant, Lita, Eddie Guerrero, wow, and everyone's favorite stable, Oasis. 
what was Oasis? You know the band from Manchester. What a random little thing to pop in there. In it, really weird. So I was kind of thinking, like, did he did he use his uh, did he use his experience with Oasis to, as as a launch pad into WWF ghostwriting, or was it kind of the WWF ghostwriting wound down? And as far as I know, I think the Oasis book came much later on in his career. How about that? God, that's a fairly motley crew. And then now this is the difficult part. I couldn't find confirmation one way or the other, but there was a Michael Krugman that had a business relating to sleep therapy and insomnia, and had also written books about that subject as well. Now, he's an author called Michael Krugman. I want to believe it's the same guy, but I couldn't get definite confirmation. If it is him, then he passed away in 2016, unfortunately. So, you've been making jokes about the Krugganaut from beyond the grave. Well, you can't kill the Krugman, like, you know. So, that couldn't be him, right? You have to remove his Krugganite cord. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you might think he's, he's gone, but... <laughs> I mean, what are the odds that someone who is both an author about sleep therapy is also an author about Oasis, Andre the Giant, and the undercard of 2002? Who knows? It's an eclectic catalogue, if that's the case. Seriously. But, you know, sleep therapy is something we know a little bit more about now, thanks to the big guy. Like, yeah, that's know, true. You know all about the ins and outs of sleep happening here. But we won't talk about that for no. fear of pissing people off. Well, no, I've been eating for my sleep type, but no one wants to know. No, you don't want to hear about that. Like, My blood's really thick and juicy now, so there you go. I will say, on the Q&A this month for the $10 back, because there have been people asking about me eating for my blood type, so <laughs> some people give a shit about so my health. Suck on that. <laughs> so let's let's get straight into Exist to Inspire. Though, okay. It came out in 2003, so you're right, Kevin. It does go a little bit into the start of their singles careers. God, that's literally when Jeff was out the door. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, so this must have been like right before he left then. I remember like one of the last memories of Jeff from around this time was that he had like, you know, like kick-ass match with The Undertaker, the, um, the ladder, ladder match. Yeah. You've seen that one? Yes. Yeah, great fucking match. We did like a we did on how to wrestling for like our commentary episode. Yeah, we did. We like we watched the match without any visuals and just the commentary. Yeah, which is which put over like what a great match it is. I think. And I remember he had like that really high profile moment, and then they started like, oh, is Jeff Hardy going to get a singles push? And they started actually pairing him with Shawn Michaels, doing the whole thing like, oh, he you know he always called like he's like a young yeah. Shawn Michaels. And then like they made out that Jeff was going to turn heel, and he's like, I want to start kicking some ass around here and get respect. And then Shawn Michaels laid him out with sweet shit music as if to say. Kids, you gotta get right with Jesus and gotta get uh, right with heartbreak kids if you're gonna be anywhere in this yeah. life. And then before I knew it, he was a, on TNA, like it was oh. a, as a surprise. So this is very much Jeff in the process of out the door. I mean, I didn't even realize he made it to 20 to 2003. Survivor Series 2002 is one of the last appearances I can think of, Jeff. I mean, this was published in 2003 mm. and. Not to spoil anything, but the the way the book is written makes me believe that Michael Krugman probably just recorded a bunch of conversations with ah, him. I see. And then wrote it up later on. So he might have actually sat down with them in 2002 at some point before writing this up. It might explain, though, why this got no push at all on TV. Because yeah. honestly, we've had a lot of people say, I had this book or I read this book. But in terms of knowledge of it being out there, like I was fucking super fan back then. Mm. And I would have picked it up if I knew it existed. And I didn't realise it existed to inspire yet, don't exist at all. Yeah. So, I mean, was this one that you were aware that even was around? No. Nope. News not to us? at all. Complete news. When you actually got the book is when I learned that it existed. Yeah. Like, it was, again, the start of the bibliotech. You started finding out all these more obscure books from wrestling's past. I think Ryback even wrote a self-help book. Like, he did, didn't he? He yeah, did. We, we won't be looking at that anytime soon, <laughs> We won't Kevin. forget that ever, will we? <laughs> so, the book opens up. 
with a poem. Oh, okay. This is something I'd forgotten about Jeff Hardy. Is obviously he's an artistic man. I remember he paints and he, you know, he likes his visual arts. Yeah, Willow, that part of him. I mean, what, mm-hmm. it's, it's apropos of nothing. I mean, it, it's it's par for the course, isn't it? You know, Bob Holly start his book with a uh, soliloquy. With a soliloquy. I do not want to be with that bear. I do not want it anywhere. <laughs> I do not want to be with that bear. That bear. That bear done took my hair. <laughs> Wow, th- th- this is going to be a tough act to follow with this poem now, Kevin. Oh, come on, here we go. This is the poem. Hey- Do- does it rhyme? This poem. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's one of these, isn't it? This poem is called H-A-R-D. Why? And that's, that's, <laughs> that's the word why. Oh, I see. H-A-R-D. Why? By Jeff Hardway. By what Jeff Hardway. the Hardway boys. Okay. This is for you who thought we couldn't cut it. H-A-R-D, why are we so H-A-R-D, hard to swallow? We've got our asses kicked, and we'll get them kicked again. And we have made you so sick, and we'll make you sick again. Jesus. You have suffered from say that we will never see this day. (laughs) The ships come sailing in. They sing their song on shores afar. Ding dong, ding dong. (laughs) You have suffered from say that we will never see this day. You've made us this way. For fuck's sake. Okay, you know what? He's picked a good word. I'll give you that. He picked a good word. Because there's a lot of things that rhyme with way and say and day and may and... Anti-hardy fans, snap out of your trance. Define the word chance. Never again about... <laughs> Never again doubt our ability. Semi wars we've been through, obstacles that we've passed, all the naysayers that we've passed, mountains that we've climbed, and holes that we've jumped, oceans we've swum. Holes that we've jumped! Oceans we've swum and bullets we've ducked, roads that we've drove and paths that we've made, leading over walls and through caves. <laughs> Describing his Minecraft world. <laughs> Underwater or in the sky. <laughs> Matt and Jeff Hardy inspire until they die. Oh my god. That is fabulous. Doesn't that set the scene so nicely? That is absolutely fabulous. You know what? The other day I, I you know I saw on um, on a rare I was on a rare book website. Oh, they yeah. exist. Uh, they they do exist. I was on a rare book website. Looking to try and find um, a copy of Paul Bosch's Much of Me. Much- I knew you were going to. As soon as you said Rare Book website, I knew it was going to be Much, much of, of Me in each of these. The uh, collection of poetry by Texas, uh, by Houston promoter Paul Bosch. Mm. And it, it does exist out there. And uh, I was like, oh, because it was like hundreds of quid. Damn. You know, it, it's rare as shit. But I was like, you know, it's okay because I feel like I've got my. Poetry my, fix. My wrestling poetry jam on. Imagine you buying that for me and then me just getting highlighter all over it. <laughs> <laughs> this is shit. <laughs> all the obstacles that Paul Bosch has had to overcome, like the time he fought in World War Two, not World War One. <laughs> my highlight of that whole poem, by the way, was totally... Uh... Can I Can I look? Can I actually see it? Yeah, it's of like, course. You, you actually... The actual visual structure of this. You have suffered from say that we will never see this day. 
He's playing with his tenses there, isn't he? Well, yeah, you know, you, I've, I've suffered from say things plenty of times in the past, Kevin. And whenever I say, it always makes me regret that day. It really reminds me of, like, getting into a protracted argument with someone on Twitter with not the best grammar or spelling mm, in the world, mm, you know? Yeah. And they use weird punctuation. And yeah, and it changes content, like, midway through the sentence. You don't like really know where it's going. space in the middle of one of the words or yeah. something like that. Wow. And, not, and you know what? It takes a brave man mm-hmm. and an even braver poet to end a poem on a hyphen. <laughs> and he's done that there now, Jeff, hasn't he? The daredevil in the ring and with the quill in his hand. <laughs> that, that is right. There's people going to go, what's the big deal? Poetry fans at home going to go, that's his fucking swanton off a cage, man. Yeah, that's like, a high spot, that is. You know, like, whoa, you know? Yeah, that took years off his career, that high yeah, spot. Yeah, my God, like... I thought you were actually going to say it's a brave man, it's a brave wrestler that opens his autobiography with a poem, like because it is a brave move. It is. Like it's a very sensitive thing to do for a wrestler. Like it to- is, and Jeff, I think Jeff has always struck a chord with fans, and that's one of the reasons why. Totally, I know it's such a trope—the mysterious, sensitive, enigmatic kid, yeah, emotional. Like- but like, who else in wrestling filled that void? Yeah, it's Jeff's real estate. Still mm-hmm. is, and kids need someone like Jeff. And- absolutely like, yeah, i get you and yeah as, as much as we take the piss out of this silly poem like it's a it's a sweet move of him to like put that at the very start of his book like, i could see people writing that on their pencil case like, totally you know totally yeah h-a-r-d why are we so h-a-r-d hard to swallow this kind of yeah it's like i know kids i i when i did my speech and drama exams when mm. i was a kid because i couldn't speak good mm. um i i in, well, you got to select your reading that you oh picked. you could have chose that as a piece yeah i, I picked uh i picked like mick Fo- one of mick foley's uh auto- his first autobiography a bit from there no way because the examiner knew nothing about wrestling was laughing at because the foley's such a great writer yeah but there's so many kids who i did drama with who would be like yeah they would have, if they had the Hardy poem, would have like would stood have up for that. all the anti-Hardy fans. And- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a brave opening. How do we go from here? So we've got our contents then. We've got the basic acknowledgements at the start, which is like thanking people like Amy Dumar, aka Lita, for their support. The introduction is called Autobiography in Motion. In Motion? In Motion, yeah. So this is going to lay out to us what kind of autobiography we're going to get here, Kevin. The Hardy Boys don't do things like normal people, like... No, they sure don't. And the book opens up with this paragraph. Every time we stand atop a 20-foot ladder and hear 15,000 people taking one collective gasp before we jump, then burst out screaming in excitement, we think about how far we've come. And it immediately sends chills down your spine. You start thinking, maybe this whole book is going to be like a Venom kind of narrative. <laughs> Like this talking is weed. weed this whole time. Like, uh, literally, this little autobiography in motion bit is—it's crap. It's just like we want to live life to the max, live life to the extreme. We are—we are the Hardy Boys. We try to express ourselves through the way we use our bodies. Okay, that's that's that. Oh, all right. I thought it might be an explanation as to. Why are they writing an autobiography? No, that's what I hoped for because... It's very young in there. I mean, even now, I'd be like, if Matt Harry says, I'm writing a book about my career, I'd be like, that's a bit early. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe you could, you know, there's more to tell, surely. Yeah. Your career's not over. Why are you telling this story so soon? Like... God, like, 
I, I, I'm honestly, I'm impressed that they got a book out of this. I mean, the reason they're doing this book is to inspire Kevin. Because yeah. they exist to inspire. That's why so. this book exists. Exactly, it exists to inspire. Oh man, big colour photos, lovely. Big black and white photos. Part one, boys laugh. Boys laugh! So... I've often lived the boys' life. As soon as we turn the page... Ah, look how cute they are! ...into chapter one here... This is where it becomes obvious what the book actually is. And this is where it would have been great to have an explanation of why we've written this book. Why we've written this book this way. Yeah. Why we've elected to tell this story in this format. I bet that was the outline that was given to that previous chapter. It just failed to hit those marks. Didn't hit those marks. Yeah. And what I'm referring to with this format is this whole book is one massive Kerrang interview. Wait, what? Let me well, see. No, that's maybe not the right way of putting it. Cause Karang- it- but wait, it's actually an interview. No, no, no. Let me explain. Because in a Kerrang interview, you would have an interviewer asking questions and stuff, which is unfair because you don't have that in this book. What you have in this whole book, every paragraph and every sentence oh, is shit. prefixed by either Matt or Jeff to tell you which Hardy Boy is saying this. And there's no, there's no bit, like there's no... Cause- I know one of the books, like the the oral history of ECW book, it's like there'll be a chunk that was written about a part, yes. and then we get into some talking heads. So I've read books about Twin Peaks that are formatted like that, and it's like, oh, well, the, oh, the production of this month or whatever. Like, And it would explain, this is what we're talking about, here's some choice quotes. I think even, it might even mean Flair's autobiography, there's one of the autobiographies, and one of the big ones that they did, where they did just cut to people then, like having a little paragraph where it'd be like, Dusty Rhodes would talk for a little bit yeah. about the thing, just to give some context or to balance out the opinions, but this is just Matt and Jeff, wow. Yeah, and we're not talking like whole chunks swapping and changing, we're talking like there are three lines here by Matt, then there are three lines by Jeff, and the whole thing is formatted like you are reading an interview where it says Matt says this, Jeff says this, Matt, Jeff, Matt, Jeff, Matt, Jeff, and the entire book, start to finish, is like this. So Krugman didn't even ask, like, Krugman just elicited these responses by what, giving them the look, like? I think, well, that's it. I think, obviously, what happens is, and this is where an explanation would have been nice, where it will tell you, here's how we made this book happen. Yeah. So all I can do is speculate. I'm guessing Michael Krugman sat down with the Hardy Boys over several sessions with, like, a dictaphone, prompted them with questions about the points in their life they wanted to talk about, and then essentially transcribed it because it's. I mean, he must have had to edit it a bit because some of it. They don't like miss bigger and say sorry or like. No, there's, there's none of that. So it has been edited, but a lot of it is just kind of conversational. And I don't know. I'm still trying to get my head around the best way to describe why it's difficult to process because it is a weirdly tough read. I found myself having to reread sections over and over whilst making notes just to make sure that I grabbed it right or like Yeah. It's really hard to explain, but I guess the the easiest way I can put it is it's like it's an RF video shoot or something <laughs> and you've got the two Hardy boys talking together and really you you basically just want Matt steering the ship, let's be honest. Like Jeff is lovely and he's great and all, but because it is kind of based on conversations we know that jeff isn't much of a conversation yeah i was gonna say this mean that it's gonna be a, the match show mate pretty much it or... is there's a lot of jeff in here as well like mm. it's it's balanced out but yeah that's my biggest beef with this book is the formatting is just so fucking weird what a weird thing to do for a book i mean that being said folks who i knew who are mega hardy fans back in the day that's probably what they would have wanted yeah so you get to hear from both of them. and yeah, yeah. obviously as a kid 
knowing which Hardy said which bit, like, that would have appealed to me as a child. I would have liked if Mick Foley's autobiography was done in this format, but with Cactus Jack, it's a long list, like... But what they've missed a trick on here is learning from The Rock Says. We totally could have had some interplay with fonts here to make it a little bit easier to digest, but no such luck. You're a fontsman. What font would Matt Hardy be? What font would Jeff Hardy be? Matt Hardy, I would give the Spider-Man movie font. You remember the Sam Raimi, what they used on the PlayStation 3? Because I think that's sort of... At this point in time, he would have been Matt version 1.0. And futuristic, I think kind that of. Futuristic yeah. digital font. Jeff Hardy, totally a Jokerman kind of font. Like, because you think of his face paint that he does with the swirls. That's true, yeah. So the first chapter of part one, Boy's Life, is Cameron. It's talking about growing up in Cameron, North Carolina. Mo- North Carolina. Ca- <laughs> easier for me to say. North Kakalaki, Adam, I believe you'll find it's pronounced. They. We're just going to address this straight up. Okay. Matt and Jeff refer to their father, Gilbert Hardy, as Daddy on every occasion. I'm I'm talking every occasion. Daddy. They don't even introduce him as our father. It's literally our daddy, Gilbert Hardy, was a tobacco grower. That's a southern thing though, isn't it? I think so. And North Cacaslacus would be technically uh, considered to be in the south. I guess so. It's it's just jarring and it's worth noting that they constantly refer to their daddy as daddy throughout the whole book. Interesting. It's very childlike and endearing. Yeah, although when you hear the southern drawl, uh, my daddy. My daddy. My daddy. My daddy. My daddy. (laughs) My father. It doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Like. they grew up on a huge, massive plot of land that was owned by the Hardy family since 1919. Over the 100 t- acres. Tobacco. Yes, tobacco grower his daddy was. Like. So the same as Al Gore's dad. Is that so? Yeah, he's a tobacco farmer as you, well. You know such a weird amount about American history and American politics. Yeah, like, I know. You've read a lot of autobiographies. Exactly. From- it's literally pieced together from, um, from, from HBO specials and random books and wrestling territories. Like, I, I, know, I know about the South because of my interest in the American Revolution but also the Crockett territories and all that. Like, what's so. Kevin Mann planning with this knowledge that he's acquiring over the years? Absolutely but- nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a sweet bit here where they talk about like being children with massive imaginations. Jeff says, "From as early as I can recall, Matt and I created a very active fantasy life for ourselves. It wasn't just, hey man, we're the adventurers." We actually built a clubhouse. We sketched little comic books where we were like the Fantastic Four, with each of us having different strengths and abilities. That's very cool. It's very relatable, because a lot of the stuff they talk about with their childhood and their fandom of wrestling and comics and stuff is like, oh yeah, you lads were proper nerdy little kids like I was. This is not The Rock Says, where it's like he's a fucking perfect little blue chipper that everyone loves. It's like, Oh, look at him. Before long, he'll be ripping his first tongue out. Yeah! You know, no, but that's very relatable. The the club, not with my brother, but with uh, with, with your kids pals, growing like, pals, yeah. yeah, and very much relatable uh, experience there. It's always interesting when, like, when you so many wrestlers are like kind of that kind of very imaginative, excitable kid. Like at least the ones who kind of it's not like they fell into it in adulthood. It's like when they were fans since they were kids and like super passionate fans. I think the wrestlers who always do the best are those who can lose themselves in their imagination and just vividly come up with mm. ideas. And those are the ones who have the most interesting matches and concepts. Yeah. And I think the Hardy boys are always coming up with new ideas constantly. Like I'm so excited to see the biographies of people that are a bit closer to our age, like new day and Bailey and yeah. Becky. And st- but I'd love to see like how similar our experiences of being a wrestling fan as a kid were yeah. to those kind of stars. Absolutely. Like, the modern I mean, stars. I mean, like Kevin Owens, like you talk about like, you know, 
his experiences, except the fact that you know his experiences are like what I had when I was twelve, and he had when he was eighteen. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> How adorable will it, hit, will it be to hear about like Xavier Woods talking about his equivalent of Kevin Devil and stuff like that on his N sixty four? He couldn't like, take Kevin Devil. Like, yeah. Couldn't take him. So they grow up on a nice, huge plot of land. They have a great childhood as brothers, like very active imaginations. They're best friends. Growing up on a big ass farm as well. Yeah, it's it's got to be a lot of fun, like having yeah. all that countryside and all that greenery to play around in. Next chapter is called Discipline. We start off with a, a really cute little story here at the start. Matt says, and this is this is the annoying part, but with every fucking quote I'm going to have to bring from this book, it's going to have to start with Matt says or Jeff says, just so you know who's talking. Like, I can do a reading if you like. You know what? I'd love to. I'd love you to do a reading of this. Okay. And see what you reckon to this chapter. Although you just sent me... It's, just, just, it's okay, just read it. Giant word, discipline, looking Matt, at me here. Matt Hardy. Jeff and I had separate rooms, but we always wanted to stay together. We were that close. My bed was smaller than Jeff's, so we always wanted to stay in his bed. I can't remember the amount of times... We... Carry on, Kevin. Hey, man. I can't remember the amount of times we'd be sitting there giggling. Tee-hee-hee. Keep going. Keep <laughs> And we would hear daddy coming, so we'd act like we were asleep, making snoring noises. Hey, y'all better shut up and go to sleep. Stop laughing in there. And then Jeff says, daddy used to keep his leather belt by the doorbell where we couldn't reach it. The leather belt. Ah, that went from boyhood innocence to uh, fucking Huck Finn pretty quick there. <laughs> it took a turn, didn't it? From, it did. From tee-hee-hee to the belt. It's like, oh, Huck Finn's going down the uh, the old bayou there. Oh, no, Huck Finn is talking. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so um, this chapter is about uh, Daddy's violence. Fucking hell. Yeah. Daddy would make them work in the fields, and if they weren't doing their job, they were pissing around or anything, and Daddy didn't have the belt to hand, he would take out his knife and uh, cut a switch. To to which Jeff says, I hate to say it, but he definitely cut quite a few switches. Jesus fucking Christ. I feel so sorry for that generation, the one that's like... 10 years older than us kind of like yeah, the 80s like where like we we were obviously the first generation where it's like you know, absolutely not no yeah, violence I, I remember I remember being in school and like you know, it was like 93 in our under whenever it was it would have been 5 years old and I distinctly remember where like they passed a law saying you could not strike children in school yeah. anymore it was against the law and we had like a we had a teacher who was you know 70 something and she didn't know that, yeah. and we had three more years of kids in my school Jesus. being, being bait-like, you know, uh, and she cut switches as well. Jesus. Um, you know, and it's easy to look back in hindsight and kind of go, hey, no one should ever been hitting no kids, but goddamn, you should be hitting no kids. Nah. I feel fucking, I feel so sorry for that generation, because I feel that people knew at that point in time. Yeah, it was definitely you know? way past you. Everyone knew at that point that it's this was not okay. Ni- you know, the 80s and the 90s. Like, really? Come Seriously? We're, we've advanced as a people beyond that, surely. Like. Legit. Next chapter is about the mom. And it's honestly, it's like we're getting some of the darkest, heavy stuff out of the I've, way. I've with, heard I they had some pretty, like, their relationship with either their mom or their dad, I remember them saying before that a documentary was quite strange. Or they didn't see one of them, or something like that. It wasn't strange so much as tragic. Like, their mom was a, a wonderful person, like, really sweethearted, and tried to raise them quite a traditional upbringing. Um, uh, but it was when Matt was 12 and Jeff was 9 in 1986, uh, their mom got brain cancer. Jesus! It, it was literally just a depressingly realistic story of a woman, like, fading away from cancer and those being really young children at the time. 
and you know their dad being very much a sort of he was the authority kind of part of that southern authority tobacco farming toxic masculinity you know it's, it was a different time and you can imagine the kind of man he was it's, it seems to me like that classic situation where you have like kind of two extremes in a in a in a parental group yeah and one goes and you're left with that one extreme mm-hmm. which never is good yeah and it's no it's, i mean they love their daddy and it's not like they have any bad things to say about him being the only one that's left they they very much love him but it's sort of it leaves a huge hole like yeah. especially because they love their mom so much so she has a battle with cancer for a year and dies exactly a year later. Jesus Christ, the age for that to happen to them as well. My God. Yeah, so young. And Matt, Jeff, and their dad are all present and with her mum when she passes. Oh, like, my God. It's it's really, like, brutal language. So what, Jeff is, like, it. eight or nine? Uh, at this point, Jeff would be ten, I think, if oh, okay. it had been a year since she was diagnosed. I guess, like, in some sense, that's, like, slightly you know a better age than than you know it could be worse when you're like i remember when i was like six or seven my godfather getting cancer and like similarly passing away within like a year mm. and i had a fucking i had a breeze what was going on nah. like i just knew that someone was sick like and that was it and I'll, I'll never forget when we found out that he had died and my parents came down and they went he's passed away and i went yes because I thought that that meant that it had passed and he was okay. Oh, it had passed away. Yeah. It's gone. Like, he's not sick oh, anymore. It's no. gone. It's like, no, no. Oh, guess we shouldn't try and use such cloaked terminology yeah, around the seven-year-old. So, yeah. Jeez. Uh, but, yeah, this is this is pretty hard, to be honest. Like, um, this language, like, we were so much closer to her than we were with our dad just because he was so hard. With mom, there was just a simple bond of love. And Matt says that it didn't fully hit him until he saw the open casket at the church. And he thought to himself, this is the last time I'll ever see her. Like, oh it's, my it's really God. brutally sad. Like, that's, yeah, that seriously is going to make you fucking grow up hard and fast, you know? Yeah, they talk about how weird it was seeing their stoic daddy crying and stuff like that. Like, it's, it was brutal, but it brought the three of them closer together as a result. Like, and it kind of, you know, the Hardy Boys were like, you know, working men at the age of 15 or 16 yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot, I think that that can't be... That that obviously has influenced that, I think. You know, yeah, you know that that. Well, even before their mom passed, by the sound of it, like the daddy was getting to work in the tobacco yeah. fields and stuff. Like, and if they weren't working, he was cutting a switch. They, like, they grew up fast. Like. They, they grew up very fast, yeah. and they worked very early. Like, next chapter is called School Days. All the, are all the plurals on chapters with Z's? Pretty much, I think. Z's. Um, this is pretty standard they both went to the, the same the, schools do you notice that the Dudley boys and the Hardy boys both are the same like Zeds yeah did you ever thought like hey man we're all boys we're all boys around here yeah. oh you're gonna make like some sort of super group eventually called the boys yeah big boys, boys club boys club <laughs> <laughs> so they go to the same schools together Matt's grades are okay Jeff's are pretty fucking appalling uh, and both of them are lucky that wrestling worked out because like Overall, with their education, they had no backup plans whatsoever. Yeah, so they didn't go to uni or anything like that, did they? Uh, we'll get into that a bit later. Matt does go to college, but honestly, nothing solid, nothing solid happens right, with their education. Yeah, yeah. It is very much like we've got wrestling and nothing else. Oh, God. Yeah. That's a dodgy fucking existence. Athletes. Oh, no Z there. Oh. No, no, no Z for athletes. It's literally because oh, it would pr- it would be pronounced athletes athletes athletes. It's like a sponsor on SmackDown or something <laughs> from 2000. Uh, this is standard. They liked playing sports in school: baseball, football, 
sports. They weren't no like blue chip athlete like The Rock though. They were okay at sports. Do they but... wrestle as a matter of interest? Not until later on, like, mm. but wrestling will very quickly become the main theme of this book. This is, like, unlike The Rock says, where it takes a little while to get there, this is pretty much, like, wrestling the movie, like. <laughs> uh, next chapter is MX, which, motocross, baby. Oh, I see, okay. Jeff's a fan of motocross, isn't he? Jeff is a big fan of motocross, and uh, when he was 13, Daddy got him his first uh, dirt bike, which is quite nice of him, like, considering he sounds like quite a hard stern man to buy a 13 year old dirt bike is a pretty generous thing yeah, I it's, guess. A, it's a very generous thing jeff loves dirt bikes he does i i know i know i've heard that many many times i know when jeff had one of his sabbaticals from tna uh and you know after they i think they did like the, the sacrifice thing or the, the, the big fuck up in tna where he, he showed up messed up and, oh with sting yeah, sting and then yeah. like, sting was asked a few months later it's like how's he doing it's like oh yeah he's, he's riding his bike he's doing real good like it's like, what he's like yeah he rides that bike everywhere he's uh he does he dirt bikes he's okay <laughs> <laughs> it's I, the same I didn't, as someone's a-okay yeah, i didn't i didn't inquire <laughs> i'm just saying if you'd read the hardcore truth thing you know that bob holly was dirt biking with a broken arm i think or a broken neck so it doesn't mean you're a-okay Mate, he like... was dirt biking with a broken heart waiting up until the wee hours of the morning with a <laughs> handgun like you know, <laughs> still waiting next chapter just a swinging so, Daddy was a country and bluegrass man, apparently. He was a bit of a musician. And was, Jeff and Matt were a little bit rock and roll. They, they were a little bit rock and roll. But, they, you know, it was a good influence on them because Daddy would play guitar in a local bar and the boys would sometimes go along and do a little sing-song with their daddy and the play daddy's jugs and <laughs> The washboard, that's it. But they basically grew up on country music as a result of their daddy until he bought them their very first radio and they got into more things like Debbie Gibson... And Tiffany. Wow, that's not really the I was expecting, like, you know, Evanescence. I know, right? Uh, but no, what Jeff says, he was into Vanilla Ice. Nice! Good! Yeah, no, well, Jeff's got the, the clean-cut face of a young Vanilla Ice. Again, it's more relatable stuff, because, like, realistically, I was a proper... I was into rock and metal as a teen, but it took me a while to get there. When I was probably their age, I would have been listening to, like, weird kind of, like, mainstream stuff like Vanilla Ice, whatever the Vanilla Ice of my generation would have been. What, what like, was, like, weird mainstream stuff you were into when you were very I don't know, maybe, young. like, Mambo Number no. 5, like... I, um, uh, I got Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell when I was, like, seven years old. Badass little kid. I fucking love that shit, like... Is that the first album you got? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Really? That, that and Dustin the Turkey's album, uh... <laughs> Those were my, my two my two tapes that would be on the reg played. Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. That's the first one I bought myself. First one that was given to me was probably the uh, the cartoonies. If you remember them. The cartoonies. Yeah, they did a cover of the Witch Doctor in the. Oh, they did. And they were really scary. They were really scary. They were horrible. It looked like the dream sequence from Frasier series. Anyway, so. Daddy gets them into country music, and then they buy a radio, and they start listening to more music of their own. Hey, now. Next chapter, WrestleMania sets in. Thank Christ, because in case it wasn't obvious, I've just been glossing over these last couple of chapters about fucking music. Glazing over them, dirt biking. We're finally at the wrestling now, then. So, growing up, they didn't have cable or VCR. The only thing they could get wrestling-wise on TV was NWA. Uh, so, they would watch things like WWE Superstars and WWE Wrestling Challenge as well, which was on the local station. And their favourite wrestlers growing up were Ric Flair, Fabulous Freebirds, and The Rockers. They would go around the friends' houses to watch uh, pay-per-views on TV. And when they watched WrestleMania 4 with uh, Macho Man winning the championship tournament, that's when apparently they got big time into wrestling. I love when, like, 
wrestlers get mad at wrestling from a shit pay-per-view. Like, <laughs> Kevin Owens is like, he's like, I saw WrestleMania 11. I saw Diesel versus Shawn Michaels. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, really? Like, yeah. I saw, I saw fucking Lawrence Taylor take on Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love, it's, it's like if someone's saying like, I saw WrestleMania 25. I stood there watching as thousands left during Randy Orton versus Triple H. Uh, WrestleMania 4, I don't know if you watched it. Fucking dull show. I've heard very bad Whoa. things about it. Oh, man. It's one thing I'm sad about is that I don't think we ever got to the point with the podcast where we were able to truly pinpoint exactly where I exploded with wrestling. Like, Yeah, I think it was like... It, it was definitely early 2000s. I was watching in 99 and there was some period in 2000 where I must have had this same moment myself where it was like, boom, oh yeah. my god, this is my life now. I love wrestling. First time you heard Bull Buchanan's thing. That must be like, it. You know, that must yeah. be it. I saw those mad eyes. I saw that Donkey Kong hairstyle. Like... <laughs> But that was the point for them. WrestleMania 4, their wrestling fandom exploded. And for Christmas, they were begging Daddy for a trampoline. And in Christmas 88, he finally gets them one and they can start doing their own wrestling and shit on the trampoline in the God backyard. Damn, I feel so dumb for not asking for a trampoline as a kid. Right, like. right. The closest I ever got is one birthday. I got my parents to rent me a bouncy castle. I mean, my brother did nice. some wrestling on that. Nice. But a trampoline, that's year round. That's for life. Now, for me, it was couch cushions from mm-hmm. the living room because mm-hmm. my parents had two couches. Yep. Idiots. And uh, also, my cousin, their, uh, in their spare room, they had a futon that pulled out double size. Nice. Uh, although, that was kind of like, it was interesting working like, you know, WCW versus the old WWF match. Yeah, it's not as much give in those futons, is it? Yeah, like the like... futon. Like, and it was only after mankind fell from the upstairs conversion in the attic onto the futon the people are like you know what this is a bit we should loosen this up a little yeah. bit you know t- turn it down a notch it's time to change things up could like... do things like they do in the West Mead territory you know <laughs> goodness <laughs> sake <laughs> In 1990, they made friends with a guy called Tracy Cattle. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you, but... No, that's not that's not the moniker of Stallion, is it? No, it's not. Oh, you, you're one of the many folks that's dying to know if we're going to find out more about the Stallion, are you? Yeah! Stallion! Uh, yeah, a lot of people on Twitter and on Patreon have been saying, like, that one of the reasons they wanted this book to get done is to find out more information about the elusive stallion. The one and only stallion. If we're lucky, maybe he'll show up. Maybe. 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 But yeah, they make friends with a guy called Tracy Caddle, who's a little bit older than them from their school, but he's also a big wrestling fan. And the reason he's important is because he will become one of their sort of group of wrestler buddies who will see him through their trampoline federation all the way to Omega. Like I th- Yeah, because th- I'm not sure if it's with trampoline or if it's into Omega. But I know there's a lot of people who are kind of in that hardy circle, like mm. Gregory Helms and Shannon Moore. Mm-hmm. But I always figured they were a bit younger than the Hardys. I'm not sure, like, if they actually were around at that point. Like I said before, I had a bit of a hard time with tracking a lot of names, because it does feel like names come up a lot in this book, and they're not always very good at reminding you who is who, so... Well, it's almost as if the narrative structure of two men talking at odds with each other is a bit confusing, Adam. And a third man editing it, like... <laughs> yeah, I... I'll try my best to keep everyone consistent, but Tracy Cattle is one of these guys they meet early on, and we will add more and more people to this okay. stable of wrestling. Like, And then also they started bringing over another guy called Robert Natty, who was known as the Devastator. Not heard of these names, no. And then a couple of Jeff's friends from school, such as Shannon Moore, hey! will also come by to wrestle later on. He's bringing sexy back. And with this guy, oh, fucking that? No. Oh, you remember when he was the reject? <laughs> Oh, they, 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 they zoom into him and then he turn and go 
I'm bringing in sexy man. Oh god! He was the reject Shannon Moore, and uh, the reject. They, they did all they did all of these little promos with him where he's kind of like, I'm not going to conform to society's real. They did like four or five weeks of these, and then the last thing they did is CM Punk, who was debuting, just walked up beside him and slapped him, and goes, "You're a poser, man," and that was it. Like his, wow, his thing, his character was that's it. Yeah, well, he, he he lost a bunch then. Damn, that's how, that's great. You only when you get buried before you make your in-ring debut as a character, and then like. you get to get buried in the ring as well. Hey right? now, so they have this little collection of friends that are interested in wrestling, and they like wrestling with each other on the trampoline, and that's how they created the TWF. That's the Trampoline Wrestling Federation, Adam. No, it's not. It's enough. It's the Teenage Wrestling Federation. Oh, for baby. fuck's sake! Which are what what? Teens with a Z. <laughs> the teeny boys. Teens are the future. Next chapter, the TWF Arena. So they start renting a camera for $25 a weekend. That's pretty decent. Yeah, I know. I, I hear a lot of this. I've seen a lot of biographies such as like, you know, Bruce Campbell who was in The Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. I read a lot of biographies of like people are like, and so we decided to go and rent a camera and it was like 15 quid for the week. And... It made me so fucking mad that when I was a teenager at college and stuff, I was like, oh, I need a camera so bad. I never fucking knew I could just go and rent one from somewhere. Can like, you? Apparently so. Ah. Everyone else seemed to fucking know about it. And back then, you had to get it developed as well. <laughs> like, tough stuff. Cottage industry is what it was, Adam. But they've got their nice big yard, obviously. So what they do is they uh, they cut down some trees to make ring posts, and they like sort of construct a weird little ring area. So wait, there's a trampoline... With trees in the end. <laughs> what it is? It's like WrestleMania 24 when they had the big or 28. They had the big palm trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> obscuring the view. Like I'll try and explain. Oh, I'll let them explain it to you. We cut down trees to use as ring posts. Then we took some garden hose and ran it around like ropes. From there, we started making all kinds of changes. We put aprons up around the ring. We dug holes all the way around and made tent poles out of trees. Then hung big plastic sheets and built an arena around the whole thing. So that's like a big canopy, I would imagine. So what I'm picturing is, they don't actually say, but I'm assuming it must be a square trampoline. And I'm just imagining they've put in each corner big posts made out of trees garden hose around that and then a huge massive tarpaulin canopy over Sorry, the top it of just it just seems like where Dexter kills people in Dexter oh, with a trampoline in the middle oh. so he can <laughs> quick bounce on afterwards like. <laughs> they're making out like it's a legit arena but it just sounds like it's a little tarp with a ring like a trampoline underneath it well you know what I'm impressed because I, I had a uh, I had new people in school who were like, we're going to build a ring for a wrestling federation. Never did it. Never did it. Never no. did it. Never came to fruition. They accidentally cut through the telephone line when they're making renovations <laughs> one day. So daddy makes them move it. You can imagine daddy wasn't too happy about that. But then did daddy work the territory though? That's the question. Like, was he, was he part of the TWF? Like, daddy had nothing to do with it. Like, it'd be great if like daddy was like, just like a champion and he didn't realize it. And then he'd come in to bust up all of the shows. Like, <laughs> the big heel. Like, <laughs> The TWF has been devastated by daddy. This is such a teenage boy thing to do, because one day they were raking a load of leaves around the area where they were going to put the ring. And it was all these dry leaves because it was really sunny, and they rake a big massive pile of dry leaves, and then they're like, oh, we should set fire to this, which is such a boy thing to do. Of course, the boy thing of the the later years would be, let's spray aerosol on this and then set fire. Let's spray aerosol on this and then throw fireworks in there and then set it on fire. And then nowadays, though, it'd be like, 
let's set fire to this with aerosol and then add it to our Instagram story and with, a, with an emoji that says lit. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't have social media when I was a teenager. Fucking oh, hell. man. I, I remember being in art class and a mate of mine setting a knife on fire just to be like, way, look, it's a knife and it's on fire. Way. Can you imagine how f- <laughs> even more fucked up we'd be if we had social media Legit. when we were papers? Like, Legit. good lord. Um, so obviously the fire fucking spreads and nearly sets half the fucking property on fire. Oh my god! Fire trucks turn up. Oh my trucks, god! Yeah, they have to come and put out the blaze. Eventually, Daddy Hardy gets home, and you can imagine that he is not too happy about this. The fire is burning in the field, or nothing compared to the fire is burning behind Daddy's eyes. It just says, "Oh boy, was Daddy hot," which <laughs> makes it even scarier. I think. Like, yeah. Once the TWF arena was set up, they started putting on shows on a regular basis. So, like, they would get little crowds in, and it, it wasn't anything legit. Like, that's impressive, was, though. I mean, if you can get anyone in, like, you know, that's that is impressive. That's would, industrious. I mean, it would just be a couple of mates would come and watch it. It was mostly for the tapes. Like, they would tape the shows on the rented camera. But, right, getting people to come who then didn't insist on being booked onto the show, mm. that's still impressive. You've managed to create a line between audience and, and, and performers, at least, right? Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's it's a start. Like, and they're at least doing the whole. At least they're acknowledging that they're not doing it just to entertain themselves. Like, because when I would wrestle as a kid, it was just purely for our own amusement. But when yeah. you're taping it with intention of watching it or making a show, like, it's not all about you just having fun. Like. Yeah, I've I've heard this is literally the first time I've heard of kids following through with this shit. So I'm very impressed by them, young Hardys. It is impressive how much they take their love of wrestling. Yeah. Like, to the point where it obviously makes a career for themselves. Like. But they talk about their characters they had. Jeff was mostly Wolverine, and Matt was mostly High Voltage. High Voltage? I remember that! You heard about that High Voltage. Well, High Voltage, I do remember. It might even be coming up on The Crawl quite soon, when Edge and Christian, they watched the old Hardy Boys videos. Oh my god, you're right! In the and, dark room! Yeah, they like... turn around and it's like, in this scene, High Voltage has got some words for Wolverine. And like, Let's watch, and they have like, a big bucket of popcorn. Oh, I can't wait for and, that. And, 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 and like, Matt's so you're like, you know, 15, go like... I'm high voltage. I'm coming to get you, Wolverine. And Christian's like, this guy's promo sucks. He's <laughs> like a grown man. Like, on kids. Yeah, what is this championship belly? Like, this kid couldn't beat me. Like. Jeff also says that he created an early version of Willow the Wisp. Ah, Willow the Wisp. And they couldn't afford a real mask. So what he would do is he would wear a cardboard box on his head with a face drawn on it. And then during the matches, it would get ripped off to reveal... A ski mask. <gasps> That's such a thing that I would fucking be all about as a kid. A, I love that. Yeah, honestly, because I think a box in the head or a bag in the head because of the guy in 3D Movie Maker who had... Uh, Zach. Zach. Yes. Yeah. Fucking A. Uh, apparently every Sunday they would do a big show and they started putting together a couple of videotapes, which were like their pay-per-views. Apparently the way they did this, Matt was editing them with two VCRs, like oh, which man. must have been fucking tough, but also for kids, that's pretty ingenious. Like That's how my mate back in Galway, he used to do a bit of tape trading back in the day. When he did got tapes in, like ECW or stuff from Japan, he would then make his own kind of best of compilations with a double tape deck. Mm. Uh, so he would kind of do hard cuts in between them and just kind of press record that's cool. and stuff. It's very good. I had a friend who also did that, uh, and they would rent videotapes and then just... <laughs> If you, they if were a criminal <laughs> it was a different time Kevin the pirates weren't out to get us back then it was 1998 the wild west it was I mean when I say I was into tape trading I meant making copies of Member Haven Badly VHS's so that my brother could have his own copy of it like you know it's, 
it's kind of illegal too but there you go I just admitted it on a podcast yeah I would just be there like kind of going I hope no one notices me taping Dustin the Turkey's new single off of RTE radio I am getting the tape for Christmas but I want to listen to it now <laughs> whenever I want what is pretty impressive and again this is shows you the determination they had as kids that I definitely couldn't have dreamt of but not only did they make these tapes and edit them with the VCRs they actually had the wherewithal to go to local video stores and say hey can we put this on your shelves wow and people apparently actually rented them like wow they said over the next few years they made around 50 videos which is pretty damn impressive for a couple of kids that's fucking insane yeah and all of that is available now as far as I know they've released that in one avenue or another yeah from what I understand hasn't Billy got some of those I'm pretty sure he does it was like an extra on the Hardy show or something Ooh, like that Billy might have to have a look at them sometime oh Billy no <laughs> next chapter is called Hardy Working this is Har- about the kind of work they get up to as kids Hardy Working or Hardly Working oh <laughs> yeah someone get this man on the radio I'll, I'll just say though they probably are definitely working a lot working their ass yeah, off yeah they're, they're work- there's a big section about what it's like working in the tobacco fields and how hard that is jeez what a shit fucking so tobacco fields like. tobacco fields you can't even convince yourself I mean if you're a kid in that 80s and 90s you're getting bombarded with the you know the imagery of smoking being evil and all that's when they really ramped up that anti-smoking campaign yeah. stuff back in the day and you're there contributing to the industry like. hurry up and pick the tobacco like. I mean it was it was work and it was what they grew up they knew they were doing it their whole lives like it was the norm um, one thing they were able to do which I'm quite jealous of I would have been all about this as a kid all the pine trees they had on their farm they would go around collecting the pine needles and it would be something called pine straw in the south which you could sell on quite well what do you do with pine straw? I don't have a clue I'm assuming it must have some sort of use in textiles or something mm. but apparently whenever they needed to make a little bit of money they would just go around their property like scooping up loads of this pine straw to go and sell it on like and there'd be several points in their life where it was like we needed a bit of cash so we went around and got up some pine straw and you're jealous of this because you love pine trees because I love money baby (laughs) and as a kid I was totally the kind of kid that was like oh I wish I could make money somehow I would love to get my hands on some sort of money making scheme but you know I would see episodes of The Simpsons where they would like Bart and Homer were selling grease and I'd think like oh I wish I could sell something really easily so I can make money <laughs> um, yeah I, I were thinking that as well when I was a kid there was a golf course in my village so I don't know if someone told me I think my dad even told me he's like you know people can knock in golf balls you can sell them back I do remember going to a ditch one afternoon and getting like seven or eight golf balls mm-hmm. and then being told off for, for collecting oh. them so I was like oh okay Thanks, Dad. Thanks, industry. Like, that's uh, that's how we support entrepreneurs, is y- it? Your dad meant he didn't want to get caught. It's more like bubbles getting the cart from the <laughs> Power Boys. you got to make sure you don't get seen. Yeah, I'm just like, down the dish. Like, These golf balls are public territory. <laughs> I, can, I can take as many as I want to. <laughs> so they work their asses off, obviously. They grow up with hardworking kids. Matt works in a car wash for a little bit of time. And they end up working for their friend's landscaping business a little bit because it's quite flexible. It's honestly, they're kind of like Bob Holly where it's not like they go from job to job to job. It's just they have several flexible gigs lined up that they yeah. can always go back to. If but you're always to. working. like Always working at some point in time. Always making money for some reason. Like Probably a part that people maybe don't consider about a lot of wrestlers or a lot of folks from, from that, that kind of generation is just the fucking, the expectation, you know? Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, even for me, I remember coming over from like uh, from Ireland to to England, and you know, we didn't have fees for university in Ireland. And I came to England, I had a lot of friends in university in England, and it's like it wasn't the it was the norm that you had a job at, at university. Mm-hmm. Whereas we were like 
if someone had a job at university on my course, you'd be like taken out and having to have a chat with someone. Really? Like, what are you doing? Like having yeah. a job? Like I there's a guy it's gonna affect your study. Yeah. yeah. So like it's just yeah. I think it's very easy to forget how hard some folks have to work. Like yeah, legit. And for them, it was just the way they were brought up. They just were hard workers from the word go. Get a short chapter about Shannon Moore here, where Jeff basically says that he became really close friends with Shannon around the time that their mom dies. Apparently, around that time, like um, Shannon's father got into a car wreck and was like quite seriously messed up, and it was just something they were able to bond over the sort of like the fear of having a parent that's not well. Like. Jesus Christ! But it, it made really close friends out of them. Like the next chapter is called Shirley, which is basically about their first experience of Daddy getting a girlfriend. After... I am, and don't call me Shirley. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He actually looked off to an audience that wasn't there for a second. I was looking over to see if the... You're looking at my gecko. Yeah, see if the gecko is going to get in on that action. Like. <laughs> a little clap from the tank. Come on! Loosen up, goddammit! <laughs> so, basically, they it's the typical thing of, like, we don't want our mum to be replaced. We don't want our daddy to date anybody. Wait, what's it like Martin's girlfriend they didn't like also called Shirley? Martin's girlfriend. Yeah, and Fraser. <laughs> that's Sherry. You're Sherry, thinking I'm of. thinking of. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then Matt and Jeff's like, we don't like this fatty food you're making our diet. But they, they really don't like her because just because she's dating their dad. Uh, sorry, their daddy. And so they decide to put nails in her tires. Well, how old are they at this point? Why, like, teens. They'd be young teens at this point, I would say, yeah. Teens with a Z. With a Z, yeah, teeny boys. You can't work the TWF unless you are. Exactly, yeah, you yeah. have to be teenagers to be in the Teenage Wrestling Federation. That's just part of the wellness policy. <laughs> but they are they are vengeful teens that don't like Shirley, so they put nails in her tires and they put dirt in her gas tank. And obviously, when she comes out of the house and sees and tells Daddy... Daddy gets quite hot about this. Uh... Daddy comes in and confronts Jeff about what's happened. But to quote Jeff, inside I was like, oh lord, I'm in for it. I made up some bullshit. There were some kids driving around and one of them must have done it. But it was pretty obvious that I did it and Daddy was pissed. Oh, so it wasn't a joint operation. This was Jeff going sneaky solo. I think Matt put Jeff up to it is what it was. Matt, you old snake. It was pretty obvious that I did it and Daddy was pissed. The next morning... He woke me up at 4am. You see, he used to go to work delivering the mail at 5. And he told me he was driving to school. He dropped me off at 4.30 in the morning, three hours before school started. I'll never forget what he said to me. It was so powerful. He just looked at me and he said, Get out, boy. I ain't never going to be able to trust you again. Jesus! Isn't that horrible? Ah! Imagine your father saying that to you and then leaving you at school three hours early. Probably in the dark at that time of day to think about what you've done. Oh my fucking god. I would have been fucked up from that one thing alone. Yeah. But I guess the Hardy Boys were already strong kids at this point. Like, I guess that... Fucking hell. Oh my god. That is dark shit. Yeah. Eventually the boys do start to warm up to Shirley. Like, they eventually realise that she ain't all that bad. But weirdly enough, she starts talking to like a preacher and starts getting quite friendly with someone from the church who gets in her ear about wrestling being evil and wrestling is the work of the devil and in daddy's defense she she confronts daddy about this and says you've got to get your boys to stop this wrestling garbage and daddy says you can go support a preacher who says wrestling is the work of the devil but me i'm gonna stick with the hardy boys you boys keep it down up there <laughs> and that daddy's name was michael p.s hey <laughs> <laughs> 
and that is how the new free birds came to be. <laughs> it's, you know, I, yeah, you go, you go to your preacher. I'm going to stay here on Bad Street, Atlanta, GA. Bad Street in the whole USA. Kevin is doing the free bird moves right you now. Down the back, you wait. You oh. better it got. Jesus. How come the kids don't do prayers in school no Stop more? It. Go jump off a ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently later on down the line, when they started getting a bit of TV time and became more popular, Daddy was totally riding the wave of their popularity and, like, was be getting, like, a lot of female attention from being the father of the Hardy Boys. What, see, so the father of the boys, the teenage boys who have videos in the local shop, like? No, I think they're referring to somewhere else down... I think they're saying right. further down the line, because this is kind of the last we get about Daddy's love life for now, so I think they're just I sort of see. saying... Daddy would go on to be a bit of a player, I think, is what they're That's getting That's so at. interesting. I'm always interested in, like, parents, particularly single parents of wrestlers. Like, mm. you're John Cena's dad. Yeah weird yeah well weird yeah like he's got a whole wrestling manager career of many many years in the the, the local indies in Massachusetts really like, yeah he's the first ever like second generation wrestler that's the generation before them oh yeah. so he came after some- yeah it's like, oh, oh okay it's Johnny Fabulous I think his name right. is and he's like oh my boy's doing this so like I'm using this to parlay myself to be like a local celebrity that's like, kind of cute it's very very cute like. I like that Next chapter is called The County Fair, and there's a local carnival promoter called Kenneth Morgan. He hears about the boys and their videotapes they've been making, and he books them for the Moore County Fair, which is a, a local tradition, apparently, like a big staple of the local calendar. Uh, both boys wrestle six times at the County <laughs> Fair. I know. I know. Six times, both of them. Like. Sorry. What is... Is that septuple? Not no, double. sept is seven, isn't it? Sextuple? Sextuple? Sextuple time? Sextuple duty? Yeah, sextuple duty. Sextuple duty is the name of my character in World of Warcraft, actually. (laughs) They're a dark mage. So they basically wrestled six times with different gimmicks. Uh, One of them was Wolverine versus the Super Adaptoid. The Super Adaptoid was one of Matt's cooler gimmicks. He was like the Krulls, who were these Marvel comic villains, green aliens that were able to absorb superheroes' powers. Oh, that's going to be in the new movie, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And Skrulls. The Super Adaptoid would mimic other people's finishing moves, which is, again, like, that was my dream gimmick as a kid. Every kid had the whole thing of, like, oh, yeah, and it's a wrestler that steals the other wrestler's moves. Oh, like, see, me, proper real fan, Kevin, made Stevie Richards in WrestleMania 2000. Okay. With the China alternative attire. Well, he had four alternative of attires one was Stevie Richards one we alternated for main wrestlers he, we had him do Dude Love he did China he yep. did you know, Undertaker to Death and then his other two were for Axeman and Kevin Devil <laughs> uh, my brother and my uh, so we had Stevie in, in our costumes I see. Like, uh, that was the, the main the main two like so you know we didn't we didn't think it was right for us to come up with ideas of gimmicks that were already being used on the roster but that's that's just our imagination <laughs> that's our, our dreamscape or Mind Palace that's unique to you guys and you alone. Yeah. Like, that's fine. They performed in front of a crowd of around 300 people, which Jesus. is, like, impressive. Like, yeah, uh, that's they made, pretty damn good. They made $250 to take home as well. So Sorry, was- this is, like, honestly... Of all the wrestling autobiographies I have read, this is the most successful start. It's a bit of an Alan Sugar story, this is. Like, they're actually properly getting stuck into making money out of this thing. All these guys get a small loan of a couple of million, like, uh, when their uncle dies, and then they'll be a total Alan Sugar business. Well, well, but being serious, though, like, they, they, like, normally at this point in the biography, it'd be like, okay, so then we went to wrestling school, and then we worked in our first indie company, and this is what we learned from our first promoter. Like, but this is them, like, 
doing it themselves like self-taught this is all, all of this self-taught self-made business like and that's what's most impressive about this i think like people you know, don't give them enough credit for their business side of things like the reason why you probably couldn't do that these days is because there's now probably laws and checks in place to ensure something like this doesn't happen because you know by all accounts it seems it went well for the hardies but you can just see this fucking up beyond belief ending in tragedy like like you know kids being taken advantage of or getting hurt yeah. or you're know, still talking about kids at this point like, yeah that's the thing it's yeah. really kind of like in many ways it's yeah, it's totally admirable to see people like pull themselves to the fucking moon by their bootstraps awesome but like fucking wild west though bit it's fucking a dangerous scary. industry for a young person to be getting into by themselves without yeah. like a, a guiding figure or anything like you know i've 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 heard all sorts of tales from promoters at the time like i heard there's times where they said that you know get in the cage and wrestle them for for three minutes you know and then and then afterwards they used to get they used to get the right money and the, 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 the promoter's like the oh, forget said, the power that's my problem the ad said three thousand dollars for three minutes and you pinned him in two so that's why you get two hundred that's absurd like i mean like just to think that you know, they could have had an Uncle Ben situation here, like, you they know. They could have. Very easily. They could have, but they were very lucky. They were very lucky that the Sandman that night decided. <laughs> also, I like in this new Spider-Man 3 analogy, I hope the Sandman is actually the Sandman. And he's up at the top <laughs> of the end, like, you see, it wasn't that guy who killed your daddy. It was me. I was all fucked up. <laughs> I died for five minutes. <laughs> and you see later on in the story when Matt and Jeff are feuding over, the, like when they have their feud over the dead dog, the butler actually comes in and is like, I examined <laughs> the burns on the body of the dead dog with the same burns from the goblin glider. We we need to do some sort of he, Sam Raimi podcast to get all because it keeps bleeding into the wrestling stuff. We need to get all this Spider Man stuff. Butler served chest. the Osborne family for generations, and he would know a Goblin Glider he blade when he sees one. <laughs> Next chapter, Willow the Wisp. So this is where we get a bit more into the gimmicks that they had when they were kids. I'm so excited for this because Willow the Wisp. I mean, I've seen some of the Willow stuff in TNA. Not not my bag. Not my bag. At- all I I liked Tim Burton when I was a kid. Not a fan anymore. Will of the Wisp doesn't really speak to me now. Like the, the Will of the Wisp thing that always speaks to my mind, and this is just like it's a, it's just one of those like I really feel bad because oftentimes in Hardy Boys, all the awkward or cringy memories stick out a lot more than the kind of really empowering ones. But I remember it was like 2003 or four when Jeff had kind of you know hit the Indies and was doing TNA and left WWE and you know he had problems aplenty. And he was gonna. He was assigned to Ring of Honor. He's gonna make an appearance at Ring of Honor, and it's like you know, Ring of Honor was gathering steam at the time. You know, Samoa Joe and you know was was there. So was CM Punk and you know Daniel Bryan, etc. Austin Aries, and he came in and he performed his Will of the Wisp uh, mm-hmm. without telling anyone. That's what he was going to do. Oh, and uh, I just remember it was a bunch of media, like just him coming out, like and everyone's like either indifferent or booing passionately as he comes out of the Will of the Wisp and stumbles getting on the turnbuckle, like to do his big bow oh. thing, wearing what is honestly. Quite a cut. Like the Will of the Wisp gimmick is a cumbersome one. Yeah, it's, it's like it's not a good look. I don't think it's a lot going on. It's, it's very visually distracting. Yeah, it like. is. It's really hard to like take it in, like what you're looking at. Because there's the the umbrella and the face paint and the coat, and he goes and there's actually a mask as well, like the big yeah, horns, the and horns shit coming thing. Off of it, like, but he wrestles pretty much exactly the same as Big Match Jeff, if I recall. It's 
it's it's still Swanton and Twist of Fate like. I know? think Willow is for, far more for him than it is for anyone else. It's yeah. it's like you know, imagine if you got to a point in your wrestling career, Kevin, where you had the opportunity to realize Kevin Devil as an actual concept, and you were pleased with how you'd realized it. See, that's the problem is though that I was never Kevin Devil. Kevin Devil was my. Well, you managed Kevin. I was Devil. managed him. Okay. I need to. You find, know what I'm saying? I need to find my front row. I need to find my hail. You know what I'm saying? Then, then we'll talk. Yeah. You know? Then we'll talk. If you're a big guy and you think you could fill the boots, you know, I can point at you. You yeah. know, I can be like, you know, like hail, like hail. <laughs> <laughs> so a few of the characters they had. Matt was things like White Cheetah, which is apparently a rip off of Macho Man, Grim Reaper, Evil Knievel. Come on now, making <laughs> someone else's name, Executioner. That was also a wrestling gimmick. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, I mean, I made a guy called Executioner on my wrestling games. It's a pretty obvious gimmick. Well, that's because like. you don't respect the business. And mostly he was high voltage. Jeff had a few characters. Galaxian. Gladiator. Sorry, Galaxian or Galaxian? Galaxian. Okay. What so, did you think I said? Sorry. So you said Galaxian. Oh, Glax. <laughs> that sounds like a toothpaste or something. No, it's- you know when the Glax breaks, it's your ass. Isn't there a game called Galaxian? Galaxian, yeah, yeah, there is. It's Galaxian. A- Bullet hell type. Gladiator. Mean Jimmy Jack. Mean Jimmy Jack! Oh my god! Hey I'm man, pre- it's Mean Jimmy Jack. I'm pretty sure Mean Jimmy Jack he's done that as well in TNA. Oh, for fuck's sake, Jeff. Yeah, no, because that that's the thing with it. The Hardy Boys, like, to their late TNA run was very much the hypothetical Sam Raimi podcast of getting it all out of their system. <laughs> like, you know, they did all sh- sorts of shit. This is funny, you're ringing a lot of bells here because I watched a lot of that the delete stuff with the Hardy Boys mm. like even I wasn't, wasn't watching a lot of TNA at the time I didn't catch a lot of that and well, Jim, Mean Jimmy Jack I'm pretty sure that's fucking hell Mean Jimmy Jack I'm, uh, please if you're a diehard if you're a diehardy fan uh, way now if if I'm correct please let me know or if not but I'm pretty sure Mean Jimmy Jack is him where he talks really fast I like this man he's got a crazy voice I like, hey man I'm Mean Jimmy Jack and he's got like a weed whacker and he wears like sunglasses and a top hat wow again fucking a, lot a lot going yeah, way on way too much going on like, it's an amazing how stripped back and conserved the Hardy Boys individual main timeline gimmicks were mm. when they're obviously guys who are fucking like a pot boiling over with ideas I think that's probably more WWF's doing yeah. than anyone else like cause... they never they never got it out of them though because like as soon as they had a chance to do it again they were they always wanted yeah. to be these over the top characters it was always bubbling under the surface that desire like for sure fair fucks them for uh, for you know holding on to that dream so to speak and yeah. then doing it justice when they wanted to that's true it's very very good like and yeah, so some of Jeff's other characters, Wolverine, Iceman, and yeah. Willow the Wisp. Yeah. Oh, so a l- little bit of a background on Willow the Wisp and what it actually is meant to be. It was inspired heavily by Jushin Thunder Liger, which makes sense immediately. Okay. Like, yeah. now I see the complicated appearance that you're trying to emulate. It works for Liger, but the Willow is just too... There's too many bits and pieces going on. Plus, it's it. like, it was very hard that when the gimmick was brought out to the mainstream, you're so strongly associated with Jeff Hardy. Mm. Like, the problem with Willow the Wisp, it's, it's very much like you're going to go see, you know, a, a classic band like Rolling Stones or, or Oasis or something, and they're only going to play the new album. It's yeah. like, lads, we couldn't give a fuck, you yeah. know? Play the play the hits, you know? That's what we want. It's like, I think Willow the Wisp was came to, like, at a point when people wanted to see other things from Jeff, yeah. maybe. Yeah, it was purely for Jeff's own enjoyment. Yeah, I think so. But Willow the Wisp was supposed to be just pure evil. Wow. He was okay. known as the demon from down under. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, 
what? Is he going to go work at WWA next, is he? <laughs> I used to be introduced as being from Broken Hill, Australia. Even though he was a heel, he was just insanely over. With who? You? Like, I mean, you can't be like, I love this character. It is insanely over. Like, uh, The Wisp was inspired by a Marvel Comics bad guy called Willow the Wisp. Oh, yeah, I think I know Willow the Wisp, yeah. Which in turn came from an English folktale, which is about someone who was murdered and his body dumped into a swamp and the ghost became the Willow the Wisp. I see. And that's that's Willow. You're talking about mixed metaphors there. You've got folktales, comics, Jushin Thunder Liger, yeah. Australia. What are you? Will of the Wisp. I'm getting so I'm guessing he's an Australian bog ghost. <laughs> that's not that's that's got to be it, right? Yeah, I think he's not the Colossus of Bogaloo Roads, but the Spectre of Bog Roads. Could be. Next chapter: The Trampoline Wrestling Federation. Okay, so the TWF gets revamped. Yeah, after the county fair where they got to do their first show, they decided to do more business with Kenneth. And they rebrand it as the Trampoline Wrestling Federation. I think, yeah, calling yourselves the Teenage Wrestling Federation may have potentially brought some unwanted attention. Mm, oh, that's a good point. You know, yeah. just uh, Questionable. Putting, putting that out there. Uh, and around this time is when Matt needs to start going to college. Uh, apparently all of his efforts were just strongly focused on the Trampoline Wrestling Fed. He did go to college, but he said it was very much just because everyone said you need to go to college. Yeah. In his heart... He wanted to be a wrestler. He already was a wrestler. Like, So, was it like a short course, or what did he do? Or I don't even know if he actually mentions what he... <laughs> Jesus! I'm not sure if he mentions what he studies. There is a bit more on college later we'll get to. Okay. But it's, it's very much college was a formality. Right, and yeah, nothing yeah. he was passionate about. Okay. Like. Next chapter, ECW. F. Extreme Championship Wrestling Federation. Fan Club? Fan Club. Oh, that's really sweet. Uh, so the guy that's promoting their shows, Kenneth, has bailed and like has decided that he doesn't want to be a wrestling promoter of any kind anymore. Wants to pull out. Wants to focus on the carny business full time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and he sells the boys the ring that they were working with, like with him, and so they would have a legitimate ring to work in for six hundred dollars, and pretty much broke them essentially. I'm trying to think, like, if that's a good deal on a ring. <laughs> yeah. The ring's I, one of those things that'd be very like, how do you how do you test if a ring is good? Do you go kick the tires, check its teeth? Like, I mean, they will invest in another one later that is substantially more expensive. So I'd imagine a $600 ring is going to be pretty rink. And everything they say about it is it's a rinky-dink little ring. Yeah. Like, it's nothing special. Um, This is an interesting bit. One afternoon, Tracy was down in Hamlet doing his coke run and got into a conversation with a guy about wrestling. Now, I went back over the last couple Coke of pages. I, I, I went back over everything we've read up until this point, looking desperately for some clarification. I must have missed something about a Coke run. It's a bit random. just popped out of the blue there. Fucking hell. I couldn't find anything anywhere about Coke run. Okay. Part of me is worried that it's a thing that's just been slipped in there that fell through the cracks when... Uh, Michael, is it Michael Krugman? And Krugman's yeah. like, well, I'm a more of a Pepsi man myself. Yeah, so like... that's what I'm worried about, is that something slipped through the cracks during the editing process. Yeah. There. I don't know if that line is meant oh, to be Krugman, in the Oh, Krugman, you're too sweet and innocent for this world. But Tracy was down in Hamlet doing his Coke run, and he got into a... Co- I mean, Coke is capitalised, if that helps. So whatever it is, I think it is meant to be Coca-Cola. Right, and that's where we go to another town to do it. That's what you, you do. You go to another town to buy all your Coca-Cola, Kevin. That's what everyone does. One afternoon, Tracy was down in Hamlet doing his coke run and got into a conversation with a guy about wrestling. Tracy told him that he was a wrestler and the guy said, Oh really? My name's Eddie Rainwater and I wrestle with the Italian Stallion. Whoa! Hang on a second! Tracy knew the Stallion from NWA TV. 
He also ran a local wrestling promotion, the PWF. The Professional Wrestling Federation. What an excellent name for a federation. <laughs> it sounds like such a black tie federation, the doesn't professional. it? Like, the business class of wrestling. I love that. Like, and then you can have like the GM coming and go, Gentlemen, this is the Professional Wrestling Federation. You are not acting professionally. You're supposed to act like, yeah, William Regal would be the best yes. GM for that place. Absolutely. So, a friend of the stallion, Eddie Rainwater, basically comes to check out the Trampoline Federation and have a little chat with the boys. You know, give, give them a little try out, see what they're like. Eddie basically said to them that they would never be able to take their promotion actually further and do it as a legitimate wrestling thing without ditching the trampoline gimmick of the ring. They need to re-edit this ring they have to sort of make it a proper wrestling ring. And if they just trying to cut out the competition in the the territory, like I guess, like cut out their gimmick. I mean, I mean, if they're if they're drawing houses of three hundred people and they're making you know profit of. 250 quid yeah. and they've got 50 videos in the local stores it's it's a good little business but in terms of like local made by two teenage boys yeah like, I could see that Stallion would want to destroy that to crush this lemonade stand yeah like, do you know anything about the Stallion just out of interest no although I, having recently reviewed Rocky 2 for Cinema Swirl I really wait for an opportunity to call him the Italian Scallion but uh <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. For those that need a memory jog, it was mentioned on Tough Enough Part 3 or something. Yeah, like they that, just talk about Stallion. Like, they're really, really, like, I don't say quite dark about talking about Stallion, like, but they spoke of Stallion in this, like, very strange it's way. It's a very mumbly sort of, like. They were tired. Yeah, they were definitely tired, but a lot of folks since then have wanted to know more about the Stallion. And Myself it's... included. I think I know as much as that he was jobber to the stars in NWA. But you know, it was one of those things that if you were a, a jobber in NWA, it, it kind of meant something because NWA territories, particularly if it was Carolinas, they would they would only kind of hire like proper decent jobbers because mm. they actually knew that the jobbers served a proper purpose. Yeah, you know, so it wouldn't just be some fucking untrained jabroni. Yeah, so he would have guy. a bit of clout, I would imagine. But yeah. I, other than that, I know nothing about Stallion. Okay, I've just learned that he is Italian. Okay, cool. We'll get more into it as we get there. So they take Eddie Rainwater's advice and they shorten down the ring doing their own engineering, making it 16 by 16 and apparently it was okay but they did a piss poor job. The ring would take eight hours to put up and take down. So based on this, they have to rebrand because they're not the Trampoline Wrestling Federation anymore. They rebrand to the ECWF (laughs) East Coast Wrestling Federation. What year was this? I think 92 or 93? This is 92. So it would have actually it would have been alright because North Carolina, Pennsylvania, ECW would have... If it, if it existed back then, it would have been Eastern Championship Wrestling. That's exactly what they say here, and no uh-huh. one heard of it. Like they, they said it was known as Eastern Championship, and no one even knew about it at that point, so it wasn't an issue for them. Like uh, They booked another night in the Armory show that they were doing before. Their friend Tracy gets into a serious car wreck, and they decide to put the ECWF plans on ice just for a little bit of time. So, uh, so instead of cocaine, uh, methamphetamine is what you're saying. <laughs> you're speculating, Kevin. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> he goes to the coke run. Something goes wrong, and then we're going to serious put, car put it on on ice. That's my wording, not theirs, okay? I, oh, okay, sorry, I thought they literally said, like, no, no, oh, no, no, and it's no. italicized or something, like, you know, if you know what I mean, like, and then, like, it says, you know, Matt, Matt, Matt winks, like, you know, or something. So while this is on ice, they hear about something called the WCW Amateur Challenge, oh. which is, like, a really, really, really early predecessor to Tough Enough. It's like a contest where aspiring wrestlers can send in tapes to get a potential tryout at the WCW. To get killed, basically. This whole chapter is just a 
it's a transcription of Matt's massive high voltage promo that he sent in on that. This day. is definitely that I've seen the picture down there. The this young, is the Edge and Christian thing. Yeah, this is Edge and Christian. Young ripped Matt Hardy there. Yeah, he's he's quite a stud for a young boy. You think like. bigger than his abs or his sunglasses? <laughs> but we're not going to go over that because it is just a long, generic, bad promo. So did the they? Major. They sent in tapes to WCW, but. I'm assuming they didn't get a call. Yeah, nothing came of it. Like God, amateur. Challenge. I mean, he said that apparently the tapes got held around the WCW locker rooms, and later on, WCW coincidentally had a tag team called High Voltage, and they he did. He suspects they got that gimmick from the tape. He reckons that tape was watched by a lot of people in the WCW <laughs> I just, locker room. I just love the idea that like WCW is like it's got Scott Hall, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff. It's got Hogan, Sting. It's got all these big names, big creative people, and they're like, "Shit, we're out of ideas. Get that child's video Literally. tape from four years ago." Come on now, and then Bishop is like, "I was gonna know that I'm a phony. I've got no ideas." <laughs> So the next chapter is called World to Black and this is a, it's not sad, but it's another serious chapter. Basically, Matt is back home for the summer from college. Again, very little reference to what actually goes on at college. Like, he likes it. He's got a couple of friends there, but it's not really that big a deal to him. He's not really there though, is he? His heart and soul's in the ECWF. Exactly. And that's really where his passion is and where his passion's at. Um, they get invited to go to a PFW show and they met the stallion for the first time there in person. Shook huffs with the man himself. They tell him that they're ready to try out and he says, no, we haven't got any work for you guys yet, I'm afraid. At the end of that summer, Daddy is diagnosed with a brain aneurysm. Jesus! Apparently it's not an actual aneurysm. It was more like a blood clot and they caught it before it burst. Oh my God. But a oh very, 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 very close call. Fucking like, how scary that would be after what happened with their mom as well. Jesus. And just when things are starting to go well for them for, with the wrestling. Like, oh it's so my serious. God. For some reason, there's a lot of talk of Pearl Jam at this point. Like, while Daddy's in hospital, they both discover Pearl Jam on the radio, and it's very comforting for them. Even though I'm the man of the man of me. Good old Pearl Jam. We're uh, going to the Pearl Jam concert! Jesus Christ! <laughs> and that is everything bad about 1994 in one noise. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> What was that? It's just a guy with a surfboard over his head saying, We're going to the Pearl Jam! Why don't you try it? <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That's disturbing. Oh, man. So Matt decides because of Daddy's ill health scare, he wants to be closer to home. So he leaves college and he goes to a community college that's much closer to home so that he can spend more time at home with Daddy and also more time wrestling. Like, How the fuck are you meant to be tobacco farming after you've had an aneurysm? Like, yeah, Jesus. legit. Next chapter is the Summer Spectacular. That is a great name for a pay-per-view. Isn't it? Matt decides that he's finally going to invest in some serious wrestling boots for the first time in his life. What was he be wrestling in his fucking bare feet? Like? Trainers and stuff, I would imagine. But who does he think he is? He got a pair from Adrian Street, who was apparently a famous wrestler back in the day. Oh yeah, I know of Adrian Street, yeah. Apparently he had like a company that sold wrestling gear in Florida. The boots cost $200, and he had to haul a lot of pine straw to get them, he says. Fucking hell, yeah. I love, like, and I wish there was a kind of... I don't know if, it, if it's just that people don't talk about it anymore, but I remember when I was a kid... With wrestling, there was like a story behind the wrestler's boots, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, maybe it's just 
playing too much WrestleMania 2000 and being like, that's Jericho's boots. That's you know, Ken yeah, Shamrock's boots. You, you know them. Gangrel, because like. he's got the flames on them. That's yeah. Undertaker, which is like, they've the, got the padding on the front. And, yeah. like, and I always remember like, you know, Cactus Jack, like the, you know, the he had the the snake skin boots and then mm-hmm. the leopard skin boots. Da, da, da. I don't feel like I there's that with wrestlers anymore. Other than Xavier Woods, he's got the old pointy boots. You're right. Yeah, it feels like people just get them. You he's know, coloured boots, whatever matches their trunks, pretty much. You're right. But if you're like starting off as a journeyman wrestler or whatever, like your boots are pretty much. You know, the Hardy Boys. I remember they they had the the black boots with the white yep. uh, tongue kind yeah, of on them. They were really cool. And like that was like you know it followed their career for for a long long time, and it felt like that was the kind of the you know Jericho with the boots that have Jericho on the yep. side. You kind of feel like your character can change, but the boots stay the same. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's part uh, of your brand. I'm probably thinking about it far too much. Again, I think that is definitely part of like being into wrestling games and wrestling figures yeah, where you I can think really so. get into the detail of a wrestler's look like so he orders these boots off the TV and apparently they look totally weird and they, they are the shits apparently. oh no like, don't got, order boots off telly seriously got completely scammed like literally does every part of the wrestling world have to be so fucking scammy and toxic like you can't even I'll, buy shoes I'll be honest I'm surprised given what they've been doing that he's not come across more up until this point and I don't know do you get the sense of the book that they're kind of like they're very. They're obviously very proud of the Trampoline Wrestling Federation oh, and Omega and all that. Definitely, and do you think definitely. that they're they're they wouldn't let on if it was like, oh, we got fucked over or we got scammed? Because I mean, you would you would think they would get fucked over and scammed there, there along are, the way. There are times they do get fucked over coming up, and they do call it out for what it is. There are times where they get bullied and they call it out for what it yeah. is. I don't think they're glossing over anything. I think there are things that they may have chosen to leave out on purpose because it might be a bit too against what WWE wants published in right, their book, maybe. Yeah. But I think genuinely, for the most part, from what I've read, they were genuinely lucky that they, because they sort of created their own way into the business, they didn't have to deal with a great deal of personalities that were nasty and toxic. Yeah. They do still get problems, they do still get scammed here and there, but it's you've heard way worse stories from yeah, wrestling than this. It's one of those things that you couldn't happen these days, how they came in. Like, no. It just couldn't. So they have the Summer Spectacular, as you say, excellent name for a pay-per-view, at the Southern Pines Armoury. And apparently they put eight months of planning into this. Fuck like, hell. Um, this was literally around the time when Daddy had just gotten out of hospital as well, and he didn't really understand why the boys were stressing so much over this silly wrestling. It's so, just like, a Summer Spectacular, man. Exactly, yeah. We all have a Summer Spectacular every year. It's just part of life. So, yeah, they put eight months of planning into this Summer Spectacular, and apparently it's a pretty decent and fun show, and they say that everyone thought it was a pretty decent debut for the ECWF. Next chapter, meet the stallion. Oh, I'm excited. Even though we already met the stallion, but whatever, that's fine. Meet him properly this time. Yeah, actually, actually meet him for, for real. real. For real. Get to know. Get your teeth sunk into the stallion, baby. Yeah, stick your thumbs into his temples. Really Aww. get a good look at him. Check his teeth. They get a call from Eddie Rainwater again, and he's inviting them up to see the show tomorrow. And there's a couple of guys that aren't going to be able to be on the show, so Stallion was wondering if you'd be able to wrestle. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Matt gets caught. Matt is the only one that's actually able to go because Jeff and some of the other mates have got like other commitments. I think Jeff is unwell, and the mates have got school commitments. So Matt, I can't go wrestle for you, grown up, sir. I have to go to school. It puts it in perspective. It really does. I mean, Jeff's still in school at this point. Yeah, as well. like, Matt's in... the only one that's gone to college because he's older. Hell. Yeah, so Jeff, if Matt is. 
He would have been 17, 18, and he's like, what, two or three years older than Jeff, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. So that means Jeff could have been, yeah, a babe in the woods. Yeah, Jeff would have still been 15, 16 at this point in time. Yikes. Actually wrestling, actually working as a wrestler, like... You know, it's so scary to hear about, you know, Paige, one of the reasons she got scoliosis and the curvature mm-hmm. of her spine was that she was taking bumps when she was like eight years old. Yeah, she was like, developing years, like... It's a very, very scary thing, like... Yeah, I mean, it's a miracle that Jeff is able to wrestle to the extent he is still, like... Yeah, I think it's... Quite apparent that Jeff uh, has that kind of high threshold of pain, or mm. he can accept living in uh, with a degree of pain that most people probably couldn't. Yeah, it would be intolerable for most folks. Oh. Like. Matt goes down to work this show for the Stallion to help fill in for one of the guys that's dropped out, and apparently Stallion says he's going to be working with a guy called the Russian Assassin. What a fucking NWA name that is. This is where we get the story that they tried to explain on Tough Enough, but it was a bit too boom how to understand it, I think. <laughs> Finally, we'll know what happened with Stallion. The crowd cheered for me and the Russian assassin came out and we started wrestling. We locked up and he said, take an arm. I twisted his right arm and he hit me in the head immediately. Wham! He said in my ear, you're supposed to work the left. I didn't know that the universal code in wrestling is to work the left. Then he said, grab a headlock. I grabbed him with my right arm and he said, what are you, a mark? Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what they were trying to get across. That whole, like, you you tell me to work left, I go left. But Danny never told me about go working right. Daddy always said he would work right inside. But don't make me cut a switch, boy. It turns out that Stallion was actually trying to help them, I tell you what. <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? That's so... I mean... You're not going to learn that way, are you? That's so fucking stressful. But I'm, I'm not going to excuse the guy's behavior because that is the toxic, gross part of wrestling that I'm always fucking decrying. But from his point of view, at least, like... These are children that have never been trained. They've not been to a wrestling school. Bit of a wake-up call. I'd be angry if I was a wrestler and I got put in there with a teenager who's not actually been trained by anybody. It's like, I'd feel fucking unsafe working with him. Yeah, you must think that Stallion's a hell of a promoter, like, you know? Oh, there are some scummy things about Stallion we'll get into, Kevin. After the match, Stallion is actually quite impressed, even though there are the little niggles here and there with Matt's, like imperfections but he's impressed and he's shocked to find out that Matt's never actually had any formal training whatsoever that's the bit I was kind of waiting for I assumed at some point it'd be like okay you are doing all your trampoline stuff you're kind of self-taught etc etc you need the fundamentals but this is when we learn the fundamentals do they get a formal training Formal's maybe a bit of an iffy word for it, but Stallion offers here for them to start coming along to their shows and get training. Like, you can come and join in with our training camps. Right, right, right. Maybe you can work for me down the line. If you work with me, I'm pretty sure I can get you on WWF TV, so I'm a good person to know. Like, Yeah, I'm a good person to know because I don't care about child labour laws. Pretty much. Stick with me, young man, and you'll go to the shop. <laughs> Next chapter, Halloween Hilarity. Uh-oh. They're back at the Moore County Fair again in September, and this night, this time they work three nights. With $300 per night, so which is... 18 fucking matches. I mean, probably it, the, like, the money doesn't seem that good when you realise how many times they have to wrestle. Like They worked a show called Halloween Hostility. They didn't have a real ring canvas for their ring, so they used to use one of those big blue tarpaulins that you oh get from a hardware store. God. Apparently on the day of the uh, county fair show, they opened it up to use it, and it was all mouldy and rotten with holes in it. <laughs> So they had to run to the nearest hardware store and all they could find was a tarp that was way too big. Like, it went over the ring, over the apron, over the fucking mats, into the crowd. And it was apparently shit brown coloured. Like, it was just really nasty, like, brownie green kind of 
dookie ring they labelled it like wait so they they did do it they wrestled on that yeah they wrestled on that nasty imagine going, brown mat imagine going to see a wrestling show and just be like a big sheet over the ring yeah right? imagine that that the ring is like one solid piece that's connected to the floor underneath your feet as well that's like so funny. weird look. I just I love the idea of like people wrestling in like really weird circumstances like there's a great there's a great WWE WWF show from like it's just either just when Vince takes over or just about to take over and they're in like Shea Stadium so it's like Shea Stadium that's where the Beatles played it's, mm. it's fucking New York man it's yeah. a great outdoor arena and it's bookish in rain and like they're, they're literally they're wrestling the fucking in this downpour oh my god and like apparently like loads of people got sick and it was really dangerous and they called the show off early but it like the few clips I've seen of like you know someone swinging it under the giant pretty badass rain, like, like Matrix Revolutions <laughs> or something like that's kind of cool <laughs> so after this show again another one of these shows this is all they ever seem to say about their small really small self run shows it was a good show it was well received everyone had a good time yeah afterwards they're approached by a lady called Karen who says that she is from WCW and she would like to have a talk with the two of them about something to do with the power plant She's apparently an independent business scout that doesn't work for WCW, but works with WCW. Mm. Mm-hmm. She works out of her home, and if the boys can give her some tapes and some photos, she'll be more than happy to pass them along. Three of my four alarm bells are ringing. <laughs> well, yeah, and straight away Matt says, I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was definitely something fishy going on. A little bit, yeah. She didn't have anything to do with WCW. Why would she be lying about it? What would be the point? Well, why does she keep giving us this candy then, man? She asks some tapes, they go around and drop them off, and they go into her house and they see it's just filled with wrestling tapes, and she's saying stuff like, oh, I got this one from Steve, talking about Sting, like, using him first name and everything. And she's gonna, like, open up the door and then come into the room where it's all Hardy Boys stuff, like, I'm your biggest fan, like, yeah. You meet me next week, we'll go for that drink, meet my brother-in-law, yeah? You're a mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah she's just dropping loads of like references to how she was at the power plant the other day with Sting and her boss is Ole Anderson and they'll be expecting a call off Ole in a couple of days oh wow sounds fun a call from Ole Anderson I hope he shouts at me she calls him and says they need a few, she needs a few more tapes off them <laughs> if they can come and drop by some tapes at some point don't, that'd be don't great. wear a shirt or anything guys like then she uh, well they don't get any calls from Ole yet so Matt decides to ring up WCW and he asks for Ole Anderson but they wouldn't put him through obviously so he says can you tell me if you have an employee working in your department called Karen they put him on hold for a few minutes when they come back and they go no sir there's no Karens <laughs> there are no women it's there's WCW no women whatsoever this is WCW under Bill Watson Ole Anderson women are forbidden <laughs> Uh, so Matt was like really pissed off phoned Karen and left her a message saying like I've just phoned WCW they have no idea who you are what the fuck is wrong with you who are you really what's going on and then later on that night they get a voicemail on their uh, answering machine oh my god very obviously a woman apparently going Matt Hardy this is Ole Anderson (laughs) and I'm calling you because I understand you've been questioning my assistant, Karen, and she works for me, and you don't need to be calling around behind her back. Sad. She's really doubling down, isn't she? Yeah, really doubled down on the whole, I am legit. So, do you think... Because my mind straight away jumped to, like, older woman, younger boys, boys who are, you know, in a position where things like them being topless and shirtless and videos and pictures yep. is, uh, you know, it's... it's And you can easily convince them it's for their benefit, like... Like, it's... it really seems like... I mean, I don't know if it was the case that she was just, like, a crazy stalker fan type mm-hmm. person who's just, like, super into their wrestling, or if she was actually a sexual predator. Predatory, yeah. Because, you know, folks, you know, it's 
often less talked about, but uh, a young boy or a yeah. young man can very easily... Still uh, very much a vulnerable person. Yeah, like, and that's some predatory behaviour right there. Do yeah. they go into any more about that? Nope, that was it. They never spoke with her again. Like, Fucking cut off all ties. Just a sort of a... Luckily, like you say, Matt had a, a suspicion from the yeah. world ago about her, and it's lucky that he did. That's looking like if you're Matt, though, that's like you got to be the you got to be the responsible adult there, yep. even though you're a teen. Still, you have there to look are, after Jeff. And there are so many instances <sighs> in this book of Matt being the one where it's like I've got to straighten up my tie and deal with this situation. Yeah, like, I'm a big boy now, and we're doing this ourselves. So. He's very mature for his age, Matt Hardy is. Yeah, we can go back and like tell the, my friend, he was like, oh, Matt Hardy, he's not as good because he doesn't do high flying. Go, yeah, Ground but type. Ground type. Also, he handled all the fucking admin and the real stress. He kept all the fucking crazy sharks off their back. Because he's grounded. Like. <laughs> Next chapter is Curious George. This is about Jeff Hardy's first love. Is it In- Curious George the monkey? No, it's... <laughs> I love that little monkey. I love him too. No, he fell in love with a girl called Leslie in high school and it was quite a serious feelings that he had, like very strong. He said he had to always hold himself back from saying that he loved her because he was so passionate. But unfortunately, he did have a rival for his affections and one day he's cruising around town with his buddies in his car and they decide to follow Leslie and it turns out she's been hanging around with this rival of his and something bad's going down. (gasps) Not Gary. Something suspicious. No, the rival's name is... Red or blue, is it? <laughs> Jay. Jay. Oh, I hate him. So they trail the car around for a while, follow them into the woods. It's very Twin Peaks. And eventually the car notices that they're being trailed and turns around and pulls up next to them. And they both roll down their windows. And Jeff's thinking, this is going to be a fight, man. This guy's caught me fucking following him. I've caught him cheating with my girlfriend. There's going to be some business here. They must have seen my car as they pulled out of the field. He cruised up next to me, rolled down my window, and looked directly at Leslie. What's going on? I said. I was so angry right then. She didn't say a word. We're not doing anything, Jay said. What are you doing? I'm just being curious, I said. He looked me right in the eyes. Curious George, huh? Yeah, that's me. Well, you can get in trouble for being curious. Because Curious George the Monkey got all sorts of scrapes. Like, loads of jams. And that was it. Oh, okay. They were just like, I'm out of here. And they separated. And Wait, then... when he separated? He didn't even like... We... I mean, sorry, the, the two cars went their separate ways. Oh, okay. That was the confrontation. Like... Oh, right. Well, I mean, yeah. And then later that week, he, he received a letter from his girlfriend explaining that he deserves better, yada, yada, yada. I'm boohoo. I'm sorry for what happened. But what was important about this is that this is what prompted him to start writing poetry. Ah! Because he was so heartbroken over this whole experience. The young bard doth been inspired by hardships anew. Exactly. He needed an outlet. He <laughs> put that so eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> Next chapter, New Frontier. They have another show at the Southern Pines Armory in April. This time it's the Spring Fling. I love their named shows. I know, they're good. They're proper WCW names, yeah. aren't they? Like, at this show, they meet a guy called Jens Lutz. Would that be pronounced Jens or Jens? Jens? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming Jens. Jens Lutz. He owned a video store in town and sort of thought of himself as a big businessman. But the truth is, they say he was a big goof and they could tell that he was a bit of a stinker anyway. But he had an open room at the video store where he was offering to invest in them, let them set up their ring in a permanent place in his video store. Geez, how big is the video store? I know, that's what I was thinking. It back must be in like the a early warehouse or yeah. something. Like. Actually, you know what I remember back in 
back in Galway, back in the day before video stores closed, we had a blockbuster that was in an industrial estate, and it was fucking hell. Three stories, fucking hell. Escalators and everything. Wow, it was great. It's walking around this place, going, "Wow, there's literally no one here." Oh. And like downstairs was just like you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of Knocked Up. Oh God! Wow, Blockbuster was open long enough to stock Knocked Up. I know it was wow. the, the last gasping breath of Blockbuster. <laughs> Save us, Seth Rogen. <laughs> so this guy, you know, he, he makes some attempting offer. He wants to invest. He wants to set them up with the ring in their a permanent residence, and he also claims that he's got connections in TV that he can get them onto. So they agree, they go into business with him, they move the ring into his video rental place, and with his investment, they decide to change the name again to the NFWA, the New Frontier Wrestling Alliance. New Frontier Wrestling Alliance. And that's worse than the last one, right? Yeah, that sounds like a rival faction from within the ECWF that you wants reckon? to destroy them. It's a bit I, Global Force sounding. A little bit, yeah. Next chapter, first J-O-B. Oh shit, is this them being... Jababbers. This is the stallion coming good on his word. Actually. Hey, stallion. He's not all talk. It turns out the stallion actually does have a booking arrangement where he will send enhancement guys up to the WWF. And like he'll basically provide the jobbers for whatever tapings they're How doing. many children do you need, Vince McMahon? Oh. Give me two of your minorest children, please. Oh, God. Uh, no papers. So Stallion's only interested in having Matt because he's the only one that he's seen work, but he does ask if he's got any friends that he knows. So Matt takes Jeff and a few of the wrestling pals to like a tryout and they all get the gig. They all get taken to a WWF enhancement job, basically. Oh my God, that's so crazy to think that you can have no formal training. Impress mm-hmm. one guy and there you go. Yeah, I know. And this is where it's starting to sound exciting because, hey, this dodgy signing promoter's actually made good on his word. He is getting them involved in WWF. Sounds good. Turns out he basically, the way he does it is he crams as many young boys into one van as he can fit. Like literally squeezes all these wrestlers into a miserable little van so they can go on a long ass three hour drive, is it? This instance it was a three hour drive when they get there. And Stalin immediately asks about Jeff's age because WWE requires you to be 18. Again, this is one of the things they tried to explain in Tough Enough but didn't really go into too much yeah we were too enamored with just the the aura of stallion to just the name in. stallion yeah. alone but stallion basically says that as long as you've got a letter from your parents you'll be fine you don't need to worry about it jr will just take a letter and it'll be absolutely okay you cheeky little rap stallion that's not how it works so jeff goes and gets a letter from his dad like a signed letter saying he's got permission and everything and he goes, I, I waive all rights and privileges and responsibilities i hereby waive the law like and he gives the letter to the stallion, and the stallion just immediately rips it up and throws it away, and he goes, look, kid, <laughs> when they ask you how old you are, you got to lie about your age. And it's funny, apparently JR never knew that he was two years younger than he was until they actually got officially signed later on. So it's weird, Stallion started out making this whole like, oh, it's fine, don't worry, just have a signed letter, and immediately dropped it. It was like, look, just lie. I think that was maybe to cover him with the dad. I reckon. Probably, actually, It's like, yeah. so the dad doesn't think that he's yeah, doing that. that's a that good he's, shout. He's not involved in the process. He is. That's a good shout. But at the same time, he's trying to smarten up Jeff, like... So there was 14 of them cramped into this little van, and apparently WWF would pay every enhancement talent $150 for their matches. Yeah, that's so bad. 100 of which they had to pay straight to the stallion. Ah! Hmm. I can see why you filled that van to the brim, stallion. Mm, yeah, you can see, can't you? He's literally a farmer. Like, he's just farming these young boys. <laughs> Fucking hell. taking their money. Like. That's... 
got to be an interesting sensation of getting rich off the work of uh, children. Children, yeah. Now I know how those sweatshop owners feel in Vietnam. Oh. They talk about the magic of being backstage at the WWF for the very first time. Like, they saw Razor and Shawn Michaels having a, just a nice, friendly chat with each other. And they were both like, oh my god, man. They're in the middle of a crazy feud, and there they are chatting. And what? I, I know it's a work anyway, but this is still crazy. So Matt knew, but like Matt was was working, so surely he knows it's a work. Oh yeah, no, no, they're, they're not saying it's a revelation. They're just like it's so bizarre, right? To I be see. in, like you know, when you see Beyond the Map for the first time, you know it's a work, but it's still crazy to see Rock and Austin chatting with each other. It's and stuff, so like. normal to see everyone at you know an exposed oh, level now wwe have made their bread and butter of every fucking every week there's a new thing on the network where you can see your faves hugging each other backstage and being like how have you been today man uh, like, matt riddle uh wwe arrival they've done a documentary about him it's, oh yeah it's great he's hugging lots of people in that yeah you know everyone loves breaking kayfabe like. i love disarming wrestlers <laughs> but they're, they're walking around and they're seeing people like they say that seeing one, two, three kid and seeing how small he is in real life was really like, fuck yeah, we can do this. We can mm. be wrestlers. Imagine this environment being our living, being where we get to work every day. You know what? For a time for them to come in, you couldn't really pick a better time though, could you? Because it's just when people like one, two, three kid are showing. Finally hey, getting little guys. You know, like heavyweights in, in America can maybe get over and do a little something. And like, honestly, I don't think people realize like Michaels and one, two, three kid, they were like the first, you know, they yeah. really, really were. I mean, Brett as well, you could put into that position. Brett was still. I always people say that, but I always think Brett was on the bigger end of being a smaller yeah, guy. Like he still I, had the body. Yeah, like. I think is it's interesting as well. It's just that that period of time when they came in, you know, in the new generation or whatever, they they came in literally when the company was at one of its lowest points. Mm. So that's a good time to get your foot in the door when yeah. business is dang, as opposed to you trying to get your foot in the door when business is fucking flaming hot. Like yeah. that's why Brackus never made it. Oh, two years too late. Oh. Brackus would have killed in '95. So they're backstage and they're there to do the enhancement stuff and Razor Ramon is meant to be working with one of Stallion's boys who is apparently this sort of like overweight old timer. <laughs> Stallion's boys just says like such a... Th- Creepy. Making like, my skin come up my back. Um, and the guy can't take the Razor's edge apparently. He's such a shit worker he's terrified of taking the Razor's edge so he refuses to work with Razor which gets Razor really fucking hot and pissed. I mean, he is like fucking fuming backstage. Imagine a jobber refusing to work with a professional. Legit, on like on a taping like it's crazy. Uh, so Razor is fucking fuming at this point and then Jeff gets the word that he's going to be the one that has to work with Razor Ramon and apparently like you can just see him going pale in the face. And then Jeff says that like I was pretty nervous. Razor was a big guy. Plus Earlier that day, I was in the bathroom. I was sitting on the toilet, and Hall came in, dropped his drawers, sat down next to me, and just started doing his business, man. Bloosh! Right beside me. <laughs> God, it was. So, let me see the writing of. Bloosh! Wow, that is a B triple O S H H H H H. Now, is that a big shit? Yes, a, he's, he's a saying. A big wet shit? Or? He's saying Razor is huge, Jeff is tiny, and Razor's in a bad mood. And as if that wasn't scary enough as it is, he took a massive dump earlier, man. Well, on earth, and that's going to improve your mood, though, isn't it? Mm, Never happened to you when you have like a big poo and you kind of go, "Oh, yeah, I'm actually." Yeah, I, I've, I've had better my mood. mood. I've had my mood improved by a poo. I have had my mood worsened by a poo as well. You come out of the bathroom, it's like, "Fuck this fucking life!" Oh, I'm in a right sour <laughs> place right now. And everyone's like, "Adam, where have you been?" Like, shut up. <laughs> Never you mind where I've been. <laughs> if your business. <laughs> 
Apparently the match was brutal. This is where Jack I've seen was, that. Yeah, he was woke up to the fact that the ring in WWF is a million times harder than it's any ring. Ain't ever no trampoline, on. boy. Apparently Razor's chops were absolutely hideous. Like it was just he got absolutely brutalized. And he said it was a very depressing experience. Like, But I've always heard that the beating that he took was one of those things where it's like, oh, damn, that kid works really great. Like, oh, it he, is. Yeah. It is, and that's how it turns out. But Jeff, from his point of view, he had to fight a big, angry wrestler who didn't want to fight him. He got the shit absolutely knocked out of him. And then backstage, after the match, Re- Eddie Rainwater, the connection with Stallion, comes over and says that apparently Razor, Diesel, all those clicky guys are all talking shit about Jeff and saying the match was crap. Jeff's oh never going to make God. it. The match isn't even going to make it to TV. It's going to get thrown in the bin. The click has set its sight on its newest rival, a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> and a sensitive one at that. Yeah, Je- come on! Jeff says that like, he was already down about the match. But at this point, he was just thinking, man, I just want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. And remember, before the match, they were looking around in awe, like, oh, WWF, this is the dreamland. This is our dr- This is our dream. This is where we want to be. And now contrast that to the fact that he's literally sat there going, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go home. It's so depressingly relatable for me. It like. is. However, I anticipate there being a great poem about the click as a result of that. Like, maybe. Maybe. Y'all, y'all may be the click. Doesn't mean y'all have to be a dick. So maybe you should just stick to wrestling as opposed to judging my life. Anti Hardy fans coming at me. Why you say all those things that you do and say? <laughs> By Jeff Hardy. After they've done all the tapings of the pre-tape stuff, they uh, they do the live Raw taping then, and Matt gets put up against Nikolai Volkov. Oh yeah, I've seen that as well. And this is an aging Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, as this well. is Nikolai Volkov hot off appearing in a cardboard box yeah. on, on Raw. Like, look at him, he's homeless. Ha <laughs> ha, fantastic. Oh, whoa, what a degrading existence. So Matt is very nervous because obviously this is the live taping now, so it's all going live. To, I think I don't know if it's actually live or live to tape. I think I've said you like a tape delay of one yeah. hour, yeah. But basically, if you fuck up, it's getting st- it's going to be on the show. Yeah. Like, so he's nervous as hell, and also Volkov is getting on a bit. It's not going to be the most easy match. And seeing as most of Volkov's moves are bear hugs and gut wrench throws, an aging, sloppy Volkov is not where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, but apparently right before the match, Volkov comes up to him, pats him on the shoulder, and he goes, Don't worry about screwing up, kid, because I screw up in every match. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking hero! That's so nice what and self-aware. Like, I love that. He has a little smile on his face all through Heroes of Wrestling. You know why now? Like, Yeah, because he knows how shit he is. And he's just like, this is great. This is such a scam. Like, I-, I-, I seem like the most competent wrestler here tonight. Like. <laughs> Apparently, the Nikolai Volkov match was... It, it wasn't terrible, but it was still kind of brutal. Like, um, I remember he tossed Matt around. Like, I remember it was like... it was. I watched both the Razor and the Volkov match. And all I remember is that the Volkov match was like longer and slower and less impact, but seemed sorer in its own way. Matt's basically summing it up by saying he had the same revelation about, oh my god, this ring is hard. Yeah. This is a stiff-ass ring. Nothing could have prepared us for this. But like, the, the softness of Nikolai Volkov, the sweet embrace of that, like, yeah, it was probably would, quite would be nice okay, and comforting, like. yeah. Apparently the next day, they were like they're still on the tour because they were doing like a, a few days together. And Scott Hall comes in, goes up to Matt and says, hey, where's your, where's your brother? Is his knee all right? Because the knee got a bit banged up during the match. And apparently when Jeff arrived, Hall went up to Jeff straight away and apologised for being so rough on him. And so, you, you know, he was so angry and in a bad mood yesterday. Um, but he just, he straight up apologised to him. Oh, class like, act. Tried to make him feel a bit more welcome there. And they said that they thought, even though Razor had a bit of a reputation for being a dickhead, they always thought he was a cool guy from that point onwards. 
that's the, that's literally the Scott Hall story, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. you hear just enough cool things that can kind of outweigh the negative things, things you've heard you about him, yeah. And then apparently the next night, Jeff got to have a match with 123Kid, which was much more his yes, pace. yeah. And after that, he was, like, super relieved and happy because it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. It's not like I hate this like I worried I was. Like, it, I'm going to be okay. God, I'm in a million minds because, like, that Stallion connection, it, it did them... Like, you know, they wouldn't have gotten to where they got as quickly as they did. And you hear about, you know, people struggling, particularly from that a- area, like, to, to get a, a look-in up in WWF. I mean, it's pretty impressive. But mm. I'm just, I'm in a million minds about this. Like, it's, it is, it's really greasy. Like, by modern standards, it's completely illegal and completely, you know, it, it is, it's shocking, like, what, what Stalin was doing. But at the same time as well, I mean... It helped these boys. Yeah, I mean, that's an opportunity as fucking dark side, as tainted and dark sided as it was, they made the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that that's, I guess, is a recurring theme with the Hardy Boys, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, it's all about a simple twist of fate. Oh! Making things better. Kevin, we are coming up on two hours talking about this. Yeah. This is, I'm almost embarrassed, like, because I'd set out today to talk about the first... Just over a third, first half it's of just the book. A, it's just a slim book. It's a slim book, and I thought we could get just under halfway through today. We're, we're about just over a quarter of the way through this, and it, I did not expect it to take us this long. This may be a three-parter even, Kevin. Okay, well... I, th- I think we're going to have to put a pin in that for now. Because... We can put a pin in for now, but please, before we go, as I'm assuming he won't be a recurring character, I need to know more about the Italian Scallion, a.k.a. Stallion. Yeah, I was going to say, because... I really, honestly, I genuinely thought we'd get a lot more of the book covered today, and I thought we'd chat a lot more about the stallion. There will be a little bit more stallion. We find out a little bit more sadness about him, like, stuff that he's done. But, yeah, just to make sure that everyone goes home happy from part one of this potentially fucking three-parter now. The stallion, let's have a quick summary of who he is. Okay. He's relatively easy to find online. Did you pop him on Cage Match? I I popped him on Wikipedia (laughs) and Google. I forgot about Cage Match because my German isn't as good as yours, Ah, no. So the Stallion, born Gary Sabah in 1957, also known as the Italian Stallion. I really thought you were going to say he was born Gary Stallion. Oh, imagine. To, to Mr. and Mrs. Stallion. Like. Born Starry Gallion. Like. <laughs> Worked in Jim Crockett promotions for a little while. He spent a few years there. Worked in WCW as well. And that was basically him through the mid to late 80s. He was doing like this sort of southern promotion. Yeah, yeah. Not a huge star, but a name that was known enough around those territories. You'd have a name card on TV, like. Yeah, yeah. He, he would at least be recognised and recognisable. He worked in the WWF a little bit in like the early to mid 90s in a sort of a lower card role. And he also has known to train other... He's trained a few wrestlers. No one really of note. Apart from the Hardy Boys and yeah. R-Truth. And the, oh, I think he trained the Hardy Boys is probably a bit of a stretch in some ways. He taught them things. They le- they learned from under the tree of the Stallion. In, in they they learned things because of him, yes. yes. they yes. Learned, he, Stallion is, if anything, Adam, Stallion is a facilitator of learning lessons. But honestly, based on everything I've a- I was able to find out about him... Honestly, his biggest claim to fame is that he was the guy that technically got the Harley voice of the WWE. Wow. That is, like, the biggest thing that people really tend to say about Stallion. What a weird... Like, if that's... Like, I bet he doesn't like that. That's his main accolade. Yeah. And even in the official book by the Hardy Boys, like, it's sort of shrouded in... Oh, it's dodgy, though, isn't it? Oh! I mean, there are... I don't want to spoil too much, but there are dodgy things that, Sc- that Stallion gets up to. You were about to call him Scallion, weren't you? I was going to call him Scallion, yeah. 
I mean, he is literally like stealing money from charitable sources and stuff. Like he is—he ah. is very much a scummy wrestling man. Well, Adam, I wouldn't say I've got particularly high hopes from the man who's uh, skimming two thirds off the top of children he's having working for him. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't have high hopes for, for the rest of this review with, as it pertains to Mr. Stallion. I'm honestly flabbergasted at how little we've managed to get through here today, Kevin. We've still got a lot coming up before we even get to the WWF yet. Well, you know? hey, I, I'm excited to continue this journey as uh, the Hardy Boys continue to exist to inspire. I will say I was uh, a bit taken aback by both the harshness and the hardworkingness of the Hardy Boys' younger days. What this book has been so far from what we've managed to talk about at the minute because oftentimes I'll read the book and I'll have my thoughts on it and I'll go back over my notes and try and ruminate on it a bit but a lot of the time it's talking about it with you and actually saying a lot of this stuff out loud that makes me sort of put together how I feel about the book this is very much like hard to read in the same way The Rock says was hard to read it's like it's not well written it's difficult to no, pass I mean, this, a lot of the information we, we, you couldn't recommend this book from the get go because of that the format the format the, yeah. I think we said it was like a, a very very long Kerrang interview yeah, yeah. But the actual content of this book, the stories that are being told, once you can understand them and once you've read them and taken it in, there is interesting information here. I'm enjoying learning about the Hardy Boys' rise. Mm. Like, they've taken a very unique route into the world of wrestling. It's like, probably it's one of the most unique. Like, like Bob Holly's was like how how to become a wrestler at that point in time. Yeah. Whereas this is like how to become a wrestler only if your name is Matt or Jeff Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how I feel by the end of the book Christ knows how many volumes it's going to take to get to the end of the book but when we get there we'll see how it ranks as it stands this is not as it not as well written as the hardcore truth but it's very interesting and mm. it's a damn sight better than The Rock says at least if anything it's making us excited for an inevitable proper Hardy Boys autobiography down a the line a real one like an actual one written by Matt Hardy or something With loads like. of colour photos in the middle please thick wadge you can get to the colour photos today oh, Kevin we've got I'm so excited. much to look forward to I'm excited well, Adam, it's been very interesting hearing about the early days of Matt and Jeff, the Hardy Boys. Will they continue to exist to inspire? Yes, because we'll be coming back at you next month with another installment of the Bibliotech. Until next time, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And me, Adam. And we'll see you next time for more Hardy Boys Exist to Inspire. A hey, a ho, and a bloody heck. It's the bib below tech. Uh, we're back for Hardy Boys, part two. Spaghetti and meatballs, boogaloo. Hello, once again, it's me, Cowboy Kevin, being guided through all these literary masterpieces by Mr. Adam Bibolo. Uh, Adam, we had an unprecedented no progress made in the first edition of the Hardy Boys. <laughs> How are we getting on? We're, we're getting better. I, I'm, I've got a goal for this one because if you recall at the end of episode one of this, I said we've managed to get a quarter of the way through the book. Fuck's sake. I'm being realistic here, Kevin. This ain't getting finished today. If we can get to the two-thirds point today, yeah. I'll be a happy man. Okay. okay. That's my goal for this. Well, you're actually time-dating the episode as you're 
recording it because you're put yourself this deadline there that may not come to pass. It may not. It may be by the end of it we're like, well, maybe it's going to be a four-part. <laughs> so, where did we end off with the Hardy Boys? So, what is it? This book is not particularly big. Why is it I know. fucking... This is it. I re-listened to the episode because I was like, why? Why did we not get it done? <laughs> like, it's not that big. The font's not small or yeah, anything. Yeah, what the fuck? Like... It's not the similarian here. It's the fucking Hardy Boys book that's written as a dialogue because they couldn't write a proper book. I was explaining it to someone and I think what it is is that I've just been compelled to make far more notes about this ah. book. Like, I find myself, like, I find myself having to read this a lot slower and, like, keep making notes and stopping to write stuff down because there's a lot of content and a lot of information being thrown at you all the time. Yeah, you've got both the wisdom of Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy to contend with here. Both so. barrels. Both like. barrels. <laughs> but... Honestly, I think the only way we're going to be able to set the stage and have a little recap of part one and remind ourselves of what happened and where we are is by reminding ourselves For of fuck's sake. Jeff Hardy's classic H-A-R-D-Y. How poem. many fucking times before they sat down to dinner did Jeff insist on reading a poem like what, when they're growing up? What I'm thinking is this is like the self-flagellation of the you know the more parts of this recording it takes, the more times I'm going to have to read this poem out like yeah. a punishment to myself yeah, Adam's for actually, not getting it done. He's like. tattooed all the words to it all over his skin <laughs> and uh, it's covered in his house as well like a madman would. <clears throat> But honestly, no, the first line of this poem, this is for you who thought we couldn't cut it. That's for all of everyone else who thought ah. we couldn't cut it, Kevin, and we couldn't get this bibliotech done. Those like. of you who thought that we couldn't edit the episode. Exactly. We're getting this done in a lean, mean three parts, baby. And yeah, I, baby. I'm sticking to that goal. I like that our reviews have come to the point now where they are definitely longer than any audiobook versions. Absolutely. We've got more to say than the actual books themselves. <laughs> we wrote a longer self-help book than Ryback did when it was our turn. In fairness, though, that's the problem with the Hardy Boys because they ha- give words that have hidden meaning with them and that's not yeah, fair is it? They're, they're tricksy like that. This is for you who thought we couldn't cut it. H-A-R-D why are we so H-A-R-D hard to swallow. For fuck's sake. We got our asses kicked and we'll get them kicked again. Come on for fuck's sake. And we've made you sick and we'll make you sick again. <laughs> for fuck's sake. You have suffered from say that we will never see this day. You've made us this way. This is this is in double speed as well, by the way. <laughs> Anti-Hardy fans, <laughs> snap out of your trance. I hate those anti-Ha guys. Those are the worst. They're so violent and extreme. Anti-Hardy fans, snap out of your trance. Define the word chance. Never again doubt our ability. <laughs> Semi-wars we've been through. Obstacles we've passed. All the naysayers that we've passed. <laughs> you know what? You want to know why it took us so long compared to other ones? It's because you started last one with that fucking poem as well. And now you're doing the same again. We're going to be too fucking giddy. Mountains that we've climbed and holes that we've jumped. Oceans we've swum and bullets we've ducked. All of this uh, all this existing on a flat earth plane as well, by the way. All these oceans and mountains on a fucking disc. Roads that we've drove and paths that we've made. Leading over walls and through caves. (laughs) (laughs) Underwater or in the... (laughs) That last bit has really got a Dalton Wilcox kind of twang to it. (laughs) Oh my god. The Hardy Boys is a lonesome man. (laughs) There's none more lonesome in all the land. Uh, Man, he's gonna fuck a hole in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Underwater or in the sky... 
Matt and Jeff Hardy inspire until they die. And what I didn't mention last time is it actually ends on a hyphen after die there. Oh, I see. Meaning that the future is open, Kevin, for anyone to yield. I actually worried that for a second it meant the poem continued and I was oh, missing yeah, page. Oh, yeah, an extended bit or it folded down or something. I was, wish. Um, that's interesting that he decided to end the rhyme on die and not H-A-R-D. Wow. Yeah. also could have been well open there. You know, this is what happens at it when you've got a very... Uh, and certain has an easy rhyming couplet in it, isn't it? Legit. I envy these boys. Like, try making a poem with Bibolo, man. Yeah, or man, like, you know. All you can do is hope that you, someone's going to mispronounce it as man, and then I'm in business, like. B-I-B-I-L. Oh, no. Like, that's the, that's the best I can do. I think like. say B-I-B-I-L. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, so where did we leave off last time? I believe there was a wild stallion and two young horses riding through the fields. That's exactly right. If you recall... Well, they... sorry, I say horses. They were foals, but the, they pretended to sign their horse contract that their foal... That their horse dad... <laughs> Kevin. Said, this is a hard analogy. Like. <laughs> Keep going. Take a nice ten. Let's just figure this out. <laughs> Let's dissect it. You think those are like red lines we have glue factory question mark? <laughs> <laughs> And where does Findus fit into all of this? Right, in the interest of speed, okay. we'll just breeze over everything that happened. Hardy Boys, Daddy, tragic passing away of the mother when they were younger, wrestling, big deal, many different wrestling companies of their own. Teehee. Teehee. Keep it down in there. Daddy had a belt. Pine needles. Yep. And where we left it off was the Hardy Boys had set up a business called New Frontier Wrestling Alliance. God, you're doing all this fucking shit. That's it. We've rebranded like six times at this point. And the one we're on last is New Frontier Wrestling Alliance. And this is the one they set up with the business owner, Jens Lutz. Who was the video store owner who had a video, who had like um, a back room where they could keep their ring in there. They're working with him. They've met Stallion, and Stallion got them a gig, their first ever job with WWF. So, yeah, they've already wrestled Nikolai Volkov and Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon, and had their first experience backstage. I uh, love that as well, because it's kind of like, all oh, right, who you get to wrestle? I get to wrestle Razor Ramon! What? Whoa, that's awesome, man. That's great. How about you? I'm a... Uh, he's mm. a former tag team champion. He is. He is. <laughs> he's a nice guy. Um... So that's where we left it off. Their first experience, their first taste of WWF. Yeah. We've no, we know they've got a working relationship established with the Stallion now. Yeah, kind of like a child employer working, rela- working relationship. An Oliver Twist type yeah. <laughs> relationship going on. So we're kicking off part two with this next chapter. Meanwhile, in the halls of higher education. Well, I'll be. Those hardy boys will be scholars, yes. Uh, basically, the athletic department at Jeff's school tell him that he can't take part in any sports if he is to continue wrestling. Wait, what? Yep. Why? Because they're dicks, I guess. I didn't think a school could interfere like that. Like, the way Jeff puts it is, he would understand if he was in the NFL, he wouldn't be allowed to play in high school football, maybe. But yeah, that makes sense. He does a bit of wrestling on the side, like, and now he's being told by the athletic department, nah, mate. <laughs> the athletic department know that it's, like, not on the level, like... Maybe. Mate, you were in there hanging with Razor Ramon. I don't have any you out here fucking <laughs> killing these teenagers. You'll fucking destroy them. <laughs> but he says, like, all right, I'm going to carry on wrestling. It's that just, sucks. Yeah, that's shitty. Like, that just seems really bitter and vindictive of the school. Now, not for, for, for my positive stereotypes or anything here now, but I would have assumed, ignorant as I am, that if there was any fucking place in the world where being a professional wrestler would endear yourself to an athletic department, I would have thought, surely, 
Southern America, the fucking Carolinas. That's a wrestling right. hotbed, right? right? You'd think if anyone was going to appreciate that, like it would be them, but no, no Just one takes it seriously. Just dye your hair and say you're Ric Flair. They'll give you the keys to your fucking house. Like, <laughs> come on, You'll get away with it, Jeff. It's easy. <laughs> Next chapter's called "Getting By." Getting by when you are a H A R D Y boy. <laughs> Well, it turns out that Jens is an anti-Hardy fan. Oh, man! Well, he well that's that's putting it a bit harsh. He's basically, he turns out to be a total clown, to use their words. A total clown? He keeps coming up with stupid ideas in, like, the trying to... The when we have a pie fight in the middle of... <laughs> <laughs> How about if we get, like, all of these guys, this new faction, and they all come out of this tiny car, like... <laughs> Hey guys, I got my friend to uh, cut us some sick new entrance music. To use their words, he turns out to be a total clown and he has loads. <laughs> it became very evident very quickly why it took so long to get this done. Yeah. Um, he has crap ideas and he keeps trying to interfere in the creative and like the sort of direction of the wrestling. Does he want it to be like loads of like, videos? Like, you know, like well, more they, like pro video? They or don't something. give examples, which is annoying. I was really hoping that they'd, you know, have more embarrassing stories about his goofy ideas. The only one they say is that because he played football in high school, he assumed he could wrestle. He came and trained with them a little bit, but he uh, couldn't do anything uh, at all. Like. You know what? I and he's mean, like tw- three times their age or whatever. Yeah. Imagine how awkward that is. Fucking like, hell. Real cringy. Real cringy and fucking creepy and inappropriate as well. Like, here, it's fucking, like, the most frustrating thing in the world when you're watching or listening to a shoot interview or anything like that, where it's like someone drops the bombshell, like, X, Y, and Z had terrible ideas. to go, oh, what are they? And they don't fucking elaborate. Yeah, you got to back that Come up. Come on now, I want to hear that. I want my evidence. Um, eventually, the, the heat between them builds up and Jens decides that he wants out of the business arrangement. Which they say is fine because they want nothing to do with him, but he holds their ring hostage because he's got it in their, in his building. His so special back room, like... Literally, like, he's got it locked away, and he oh, demands... Oh, man, man, he got a lock on that door, man. What are we gonna do? Damn it. That's our ring, man. It's the Lowl. <laughs> and he... Well, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the, the Lowl. <laughs> he demands $800 to get the ring back. And, uh, what a small amount of money to hold someone up ransom for. Well, he's, the children, essentially, there, there's aren't There's a man who obviously felt uncomfortable with extorting children for $1,000. <laughs> and then thought, ah, no, 800 is all right. That's reasonable. Well, Yen says that he's $1,000 in the hole, as if, like, you know, I'm being reasonable here. I'm only asking for 800 And eventually they, they end up paying him $600, like, which is just That's really mean. Fuck. That's a lot of pine needles. That is a lot of pine needles. Think of that. Matt realises that they need to start making more money. They need to start finding ways to make revenue from wrestling a lot more. That's like so business-minded, Matt Hardy. So he sits down at his mom's old sewing machine and gets to work on making some merchandise like mm. all by himself. Just like Whoa. literally like rolls his sleeves up like, I'm going to make some merch. Go on, Matt Hardy. That's serious fucking hustle right there. And then he goes around, and he, this, again, like, how old would Matt be at this point? Sorry, let's try and remind ourselves of where we're at in time. He was older than Jeff, so he Jeff was underage. Jeff was still at high school. Matt was technically attending college at so this point. So I think point. Matt has to be, like, 18 or so at this point. I would assume Matt is 18. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm flicking through here. They don't remind you of their age a great deal. But Matt, again, business-minded, um, he gets himself a suit, and a suit and a briefcase and literally just goes and approaches local businesses about sponsorship deals and promotions and basically, like... 
they know that they've lost their money guy now and that's like well maybe i can be the money guy myself and like make the connections on my own like. big money mash yeah i know he's been a big boy now, like. everyone at home this is the moment of the podcast now where you don't have to hit pause we'll give you a two second break here now to imagine young 18 year old matt hardy in a suit that's probably slightly too big and a big briefcase so let's just imagine that now Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, was I, I, I heard him going like, Hi there, my name is Matt Hardy. I had him like, he's really tied back the ponytail, like, yeah. you know, to show that he's all business, but, you know, got them party sideburns. It's going to be difficult. Write below in the comments what you pictured for that two-second gap, thinking of Matt Hardy in a big Ta- suit. Tan suit is what I thought. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, the time scale it would have been. A, a hideous, slightly too big tan suit. I thought grey just because I was picturing, like, Nathan Fielder in that massive suit, kind of. <laughs> we need to get back on track. <laughs> Uh, Matt says the whole time they were doing their own promotion, he never lost any money whatsoever. Like, they only gained from it. Wait, what? Yeah. He says from, like, them... He just said it in the previous fucking paragraph he spent 600 quid because the ring was held to Yeah, that, that was them severing ties with Oh, Men's. after that. After that, Matt moves on to doing the promotion himself. He goes around, ah. like, approaching businesses. I think that's the problem is when you, uh, when you give people money to do things that they don't actually need money to do and they don't do those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, Matt has a list here of the businesses that he got involved with. He had a few regular sponsors in Southern Pines and Sanford being Pat's Cafe, Rent-A-Rick, Rent-A-Rick? Rent-A-Rick. A wreck. Rent-A-Rick. Sorry, Rent-A-Rick, though. Can Rent- we talk about that Rent- for a second? Rent-A-Rick. I- Excuse me, sir. What is this establishment? Why, this is Rent-A-Rick, sir, where you can rent wrecks. Oh, that's fucking good because I'm in the market for a wreck and I would like to rent it, not own it. I want to rent out the wreck. Well, make sure when you're renting out this wreck that it's returned in a fucking suitably wrecked state. No. Because then you'll lose your deposit no. on the rented wreck. This is if you've just bought like a building and you're like, oh, I want the land, but I don't want this big bloody messy building here. I wish I had something I could wreck it with. Like, you go and you rent a wreck. And so you could rent a wrecking ball. That's what I'm guessing. Jesus! Matt doesn't go into it. We're, All getting, right, well, we're getting hung up. Your, your thing is way fucking wilder than mine. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I thought you're down. You know, down. Wait, so if you're going to demolish a building, you're going to buy a fucking wrecking ball no, just to use it once? Like, hire, of course you rent it. Hire a wrecking crew if you hire the wreck itself. I mean, you're going to pilot that shit? The people at rent rec need to get in touch with some information on this because we're going to get hung up for what a What have you done time. to this wreck? You've wrecked it. Davenport's Galaxy Supermarket, Perry... There's no need. Look, they, Galaxy. Get, a, they get a lot of sponsors. Like, I'm going to have to really like tighten up my belt when it comes to reading out these bits. We like, got stuff from all corners of the galaxy, like cornflakes and spaghetti and, and tomato sauce, oh, okay, whole well, wheat bread. One more, Lakeside Garbage Services. That's, <laughs> that's such a good sponsor. Like That's such a Tim and Eric sponsor. We're Lakeside Garbage Services. What we do is we get all of your garbage and we just put it in the lake. We just... <laughs> Fill that right. It's a deep lake. It no, can handle it. I picture them being like a big faction, like Nation of Domination or something. <laughs> we are the Lakeside Garbage Services. Lakeside. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Matt claims that the whole time they were doing this promotion by themselves, they never lost any money. Like they were quite savvy and were able to make a living off of it. Mm. Cut is the next chapter. And this is where we find out a little bit more about the Stallion and some of his antics, shall we say. The, so, uh, oh, sorry, cut then is not them juicing for the first time, because this is what they do that when they're like fucking 10 years old or whatever. 
Uh-oh. Yeah, you're, you're thinking on the right line. Oh, there, really? <laughs> I thought Kurt was just that Stalin was taking too big a cut of the pie. Like. Kurt can have many meanings, Kevin. Wow, they are wordsmiths, okay. if nothing else. Kurt. So they're saying that while they were developing New Frontier Wrestling Alliance, they were also working with the Stallion for his shows at PWF. So he would get them, you know, jobs at the WWF every once in a while, but also he would do shows at PWF that he would get them on the bill for. Apparently the PWF guys did not like them at all and that they described the locker room as being a bunch of fat outcasts and losers who never made it. It was like the island of misfit toys. Wow, existing to inspire there, guys. So, pretty toxic, scary-sounding locker room for some young boys to be involved in. And they say Stallion was engaged in questionable antics. Questionable, eh? Questionable how? He would pass a jar around the crowd at PWF shows saying that he was raising money for a homeless child. Ah. And then at the end of the night, they would see him talking to George South going, Pretty good night tonight, George. $25 here. And then you'd see him put the money in his pocket. $25! $25! he put the money in his pocket and <laughs> Jeff just says, We really don't know what happened to the money after that. They're not, they're not directly saying that he took it. They're just saying they don't know where it went. But man, <laughs> it went in his pocket and then they never saw it again. But man, what about the homeless boy? What's he going to do? What about the child? Wow. That's a... Uh, that, like, I love when someone does like, the big questionable business practice and it's for such a small amount of money. It'd be I one know. thing if it's like, yeah, he's done a little fraud, but I've made thousands of dollars. Yeah. He's been seduced by the big money. It's like, what? you seduced by a fucking meal deal from Domino's. Literally. Like, you sold your soul for 25 25 <laughs> And the fact that he's telling someone else as well means that at most it's twelve fifty. he's getting by. <laughs> Hey, you want to go in on that meal deal? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Stallion would always end these big shows in a massive battle royal. Scott Powers, this local wrestler, gave Jeff a tilt-a-whirl, and as he grabbed Jeff's midsection, he cut a massive gash across his stomach because he had a blade uh, taped to his hand. Oh my, so uh, not on purpose, he just accidentally sloppily fucking gashed him. Just shitty wrestling. Big slice all over the stomach. I'll never forget, I think Flair's book he described... Um, mm, do he, we need to? All right, we'll leave it there then. It just makes me cringe so much. Um, you, you can't see this on the podcast, but when Kevin started that story, he was holding one finger aloft. I think I've only told the story once before and I ended up cutting it out because there was like coughing or something. Really? Yeah, but Flair, as far as I know, it was Flair. Or it happened to Flair or Flair did it because then Flair used to put the... Um, razor blade on his finger finger uh, so he can kind of cut you like an artist uh, at one time grabbing someone for a scoop slap and giving him a, a poke in the nether regions let's just say mm, that's the, the nicest way you could put it yeah that's not how you told me when we were drunk one night or whatever, whenever yeah. it was you first told me that story with <laughs> <laughs> loads of graphic pictures uh. but while we're on the subject of bleeding uh, Matt decides to explain how you do blading properly which is great when you consider this book probably going to be read by a lot of young kids and it's like hey pal you want to know how we make ourselves bleed so good yeah. here's how you can do it too do it properly you have to open it up a little bit you stick the blade in and turn it just a little. That's the best way to get a nice flow of blood. Whoa, you know what? I've read a lot of books from a lot of bleeders. Flair, Brett, Austin, Foley, you know, Jesus Christ. And no one has ever went in and go, this is exactly how you... That's, this is the art of blading. Yeah, that's more detail than I've ever gotten before. I never, it was 
The only thing I remember say, hearing was that try aim for the hairline, mm-hmm. so then the so scars, yeah, yeah, so you don't end up like fucking. And also, you hear that like you just sort of like a the <laughs> heavy like, breathing. And yeah. I only know that because of um, the mass transit incident. One of the things that exonerated New Jack was the fact that mass transit was shown to be breathing heavily on purpose, uh, which other arrestors had said that was like, oh, that's how you increase the blood flow. He was trying to make himself bleed more. So, you know. By breathing. Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> hell of a defense there. Next chapter is ACW, American Championship Wrestling. Your southern accent that you went there, ACW, <laughs> Extreme Championship <laughs> Wrestling. All right, we have to go into fucking Huck Finn territory no here. need to be rude now. Over Adam. the top, like. It's <laughs> just like how fucking AJ Styles, the guy community. Well, AJ Styles, like on his fucking uh, on his uh, podcast appearances, let's just say he has uh, well opened up the doors for any and all. Has he really? Yeah, turns out he's as bad as you reckon he is. Ah, there's a reason he kept his mouth shut for like three years, wasn't there? And he did really well in that three years. See, this is what happens when when people with shitty, hateful opinions get competent on the mic. Then they start saying stuff. You're like, I we, can say what I want. We have 15 years of silence from AJ Styles and it was great we call it the Ricky Gervais effect (laughs) they say they started taking bookings with ACW another local independent and basically while they were there they said it was a half decent promotion they tried to act like it was WWF and like sort of be a big league they wanted to t- they were talking about doing pay-per-views already even though they were like way off doing that oh that's always the saddest when you've got these like, small rink-eating shows that have this fucking delusions of grandeur like they, they said it was very much like that you had the two guys in charge it was Mitch Goad and <laughs> he apparently looked like Fred Flintstone crossed with Mr. Potato Head wow <laughs> what a look and his business partner that was always like sort of following him around trying to sort of big league it. I and mean, I'm totally imagining Mark Maron and Bash from Glow, like that kind of pairing, like yeah. the money man, like. And apparently they would get forty dollars a show, and the uh, the business partner would always be sort of like, "Hey, you kids are done all right," and give them like an extra twenty dollars as well. Like, wow! Again, just again trying to sort of be like, "Hey, look, I can afford it. I can pay you like twenty whole big ones." I'm like. a money man. Next chapter is called Gigolo. Okay, so. Around this time, one of the other ACW investors, like one of the sort of the higher ups in that little fed or whatever, it's weird. There's a lot of these businesses like do have a hierarchy of like owners and investors and stuff like that. Because the money has to come from somewhere. It's true, but you always think of um, like small independent promotions just being set up by like some guy, like like the Hardy Boys. They set up a promotion and they're two kids. Well, I mean, I know what you mean, Adam, because like PWF is technically owned by that fictional homeless child. That's the hierarchy. <laughs> That's the real money spin. The real money man there is the fictional homeless child. <laughs> then it's Stallion. Then it's George South. And then you go from there. Like. So one of the ACW investors like tries to use her sway to... It's so weird. Her daughter hasn't got a date for the prom. Right. And she wants to pay Matt Hardy to take her daughter to the prom. Oh, that's like such a fucking lame storyline from like a... You know, an after-school special or something like that. Or like they, an episode of Modern Family. Or yeah, like, or like the episode of Saved by the Bell where we realise why gigolos, you know, often live a troubled existence. Like, you know, Screech just wasn't cut out for being it. Like, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, too much for them, you know. I know they did grown-up themes on there, but there was not one where yeah. Screech became a sex worker. <laughs> you are making that up. He just provided companionship. There was nothing sexual about it. How dare you? <laughs> Just him and Mr. Belding is Mr. Belding's like, this is weird. Like, you know, I know I'm lonely and all, but like, 
So she offers $150 and Matt's like, are you crazy, man? That's weird. I am not doing that. She says, how about 300 And he's like, okay, where do I need to be? Like, Wow. I like as well that Matt is the fucking, is the is choice number one here. That's got to do something for the old, uh, the old ego here. Like, I think when you think back to them being like young, weird looking, skinny teens and Jeff sort of, as he said, basing his look on Vanilla Ice, I imagine Matt probably was the looker of the two. Like, he's got a suit and a briefcase as well. Like. And also Jeff is a little boy, let's not forget. He is also a child. That's probably why she approached Matt about this. That has literally like, stopped no one in the course of this <laughs> so far. Like. So when he said Gigolo was the name of it, I really thought it would be Gig- Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey was who we were talking about. No, they were just basically, that was their joke that Matt was being a Gigolo for wow. her. Like, and he went to the prom. It was kind of awkward. She, you know, paid for the meal, paid for Matt's tux. Kind of weird. He said he didn't feel 100% about it, but it was a lot of money for him at the time. Prom as well. I mean, she had to be like 17 or 18. Is, imagine going back to like a fucking school, like scenario after you've been to university. And at this point, he's a wrestler, so he must be kind of tall and kind of hench, like right now as well. But like, once you leave school and you go into university, you go to do. Once you have a post school year, I think, under your belt, hmm. going back into a school environment is fucking weird I bet I bet it's really strange especially when you're going to the prom as a date like you're meant to be a student there right I don't get this whole thing of just turning up to a prom at a school you don't go to that's weird it's very very strange Uh, but he does it again the next year for double the Ah! money (laughs) well in fairness he's a proven commodity at that point he's a yeah legit (laughs) turns out to this day I got a deal going me and her daughter every single year we still go to the prom yeah you have to go through all the different iterations of Matt Hardy as well like (laughs) she wasn't very happy the first year he showed up to prom as broken Matt Hardy but then the second year once it kind of really it taken over, off like. it was really over it was like oh no I always thought this was cool though. next chapter is called Kings of the Ring oh it was just when they dressed up in their little pyjamas to open mm-hmm. up the uh, doors for King Maple well they're saying that they did start getting more WWE jobs as a result of their relationship with Stallion but they started to realise that there was a proper racket that he had going here. They ended up giving him more than half of their pay consistently. So Wow. They realised that they needed to get away from him. And one weekend when they were doing a taping under the stallion, they had a quick word with Chief J. Strongbow about this. and he was Oh, like, fucking hell. Well, he's great, isn't he? Like, well, all they said is that he was like, you can just come to me now. Like, don't worry about coming through stallion. Okay. You guys get in touch with me. We'll organise work together without Stallion getting involved. And he that snake was the friendliest snake of all the snakes. Like, you know. <laughs> I will say, I don't think there is much mention of uh, Jay Strongbow again. So. Just, every, like, when I did the Vince McMahon episode for How To Wrestling, which was, I still think, still to this day, has is the absolute, like, most exhausting, longest, hardest episode of anything I've ever had to record. Reading up about McMahon's inner circle, uh, particularly the inner circle that was kind of passed on from his father some fucking dodgy dealings there yeah. like you know and it's like you know when you go back to that early 80s period that's when it's like fucking cover-ups and you know actual crime actual like, like acting organized. like a fucking like an organized criminal gang yeah it's fucking insane like you know in the sopranos recently they did hbo did that tweet to wwe where they're like the oh yeah crime family i don't think they realized how on the fucking money that they were <laughs> there like yeah chief J, I i reckon those were a few uh 
knew where a few bodies were buried, let's just mm. say. Yeah, the only thing I know about him is that when I watched, like, I think you showed me a half an hour compilation of Honky Tonk Man's, like, most nasty <laughs> shoots, like, him saying the worst things. I remember thinking about his opinions of Jay Strongbow, thinking, like, oh, he really hates him, doesn't he? <laughs> like, yeah. that says a lot about that Honky Tonk yeah. Man. Like. Wow, Darth Vader hates the Emperor. This game must be really bad. Like. Quite a lot, like. So they have severed ties with the Stallion now. They've cut out the middleman. They can get direct work with Jay Strongbow through the WWF. And they get a job quite quickly on the King of the Ring 95 pay-per-view, like where you pointed out where they are Royal Dorman in their little jammies. Fucking awful, awful, awful pay-per-view. I feel like such a sneaky bastard with this season four where it's like we're doing some new generation stuff but it's like we're skipping technically all the shit we're just going to like the nice fun bit the last good bit yeah it'd be like if someone said we're gonna do the attitude era and you do late 2000 to 2001 like oh man the highs and lows of the attitude era (laughs) next chapter is called the cleansings this is weird yeah i know it's got a dodgy sounding name but basically, the Hardy Boys and their little wrestler gang of friends they've got going, they're all together making a campfire in the woods, and they talk about, like, New Year's resolutions together. And Matt says, We each took a piece of wood and put it in the fire. It represented everything that was negative about the past and clearing out our slate for the new year. Oh, great. Shane and Mike is the next chapter. They attend... <laughs> an- <laughs> What is this fucking pagan bullshit uh, like? This is so confusing. Get ready to add another one to the list, Kevin. They attend a show by another ACW called the Alternative Championship Wrestling. Oh, man, the American Championship Wrestling are going to be hot about that. And uh, we need to make a list of the actual promotions that are mentioned in this book because it is getting out of control here. And this is where they meet Shane Helms and Mike Maverick and they Ah. forge a quick friendship with them. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realise uh, old Sugar Shane Helms, uh, Hurricane, and Shannon Moore, like, they go back a long, 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 long way. Mm, like lifelong friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's funny, like, rewatching from the Invasion season that we did when Matt and Hurricane, or Jeff and Hurricane, were in the ring, and they did a, they did a bit of tagging and stuff against Hurricane and Lance Storm. There was an instant chemistry there. Mm. And I think the, the fact that the first kind of group or the first people who... Shane Helms feuded as as the Hurricane was Matt and Jeff over the European belt and stuff I think that helped that character yeah. hugely because I remember how what a total no name he was before that and I think looking back now the dust to settle in season 3 Hurricane's one of the only people who got over like yeah. Hurricane and Stacey Keebler the fucking MVPs of the invasion it's like. true and it's a nice welcome to get to work with your friends so quickly yeah. like, that's oh really and good. Booker T as well yeah oh and, and the Acolytes oh well yeah <laughs> he did alright he survived it like <laughs> Next chapter is called Jinx. So they go and they pitch Willow and Ignis to Chief J. Strongbow. Ignis. That's right. Is Ignis Matt Hardy's fire-based character? Ignis is Matt Hardy's counterpart to Willow, basically. In Latin, Will of the Wisp is Ignis Fatus, the foolish fire. Okay. So when Matt created his version of Willow, that was his name, Ignis Fatus. So what, they're the same? No, they're... they're Partners. <laughs> you know what was great last time when we we weren't caught up on the fucking Hardy lore. Mm. We got we got someone's like, all right, just let you know, guys, no big deal. But paragraph. Oh, I saw. Yeah, fuck, we got we got read up. Son. Yeah, legit. so if he has performed as Ignis, I mean, I tried to keep up with as much of the Hardy fucking 
nonsense as the I cannon. could. Like, yeah. the canon. The ex- extended Hardy universe. Yeah, like. the, but uh, Ignis is a strange unknown entity to me. If Matt has performed as Ignis, I would like to see photographic proof. Well, they pitched this to Jay Strongbow, and he says that he'll run it by Vince. And then he says, okay, next week at the next tapings, bring your masks, come along, do it in character. And they decide they're going to be Ignis and Willow, and their tag team would be Jinx. And it came from the fact that both of them represented a kind of bad look. A kind of bad look? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, it's kind of a bad look to be going pitching fucking Latin shit to Vince McMahon, like, and thinking that Chief J. Strongbow is going to get you a job, like, in 1975. And in their head, they've built it up that these characters are, like, incredible, mythic, powerful figures. That's and the fucking, like... This is the problem, yeah. because they get to the tapings... And they find out that, yeah, they can do the characters they've been given the go-ahead, but they're just going to have to job to another tag team because they're jobbers. That's their job. Yeah, so what's the point? So now they've got new characters to do the job and they are literally like, oh, we don't want to do it. We don't want to waste these characters on being jobbers. So they don't do the gimmick. And then Jay Strongbow gets really pissed off and he's like, thanks a lot, guys. I'm never going to go to bat for you boys again. Like, Well, like, what did you think would happen? Because I, I think I've said this before in the podcast. Like fireworks going on. Yeah. Like, Welcome to the ring, Ignis and Willow. They're going to win. <laughs> Haven't you seen Spider-Man, lads? You know that they're going to get your name wrong. You're going to be in the cage for five minutes. You're barely going to get paid your money. Like. You're going to have to pay your dues. Like I remember as a fucking nine-year-old like mm. you know, playing WrestleMania 2000 and getting all jazzed up about my character and then being like, oh, one day when I go to the WWF, I would probably just get saddled with a fucking Irish gimmick. So what's the fucking point? Yeah. Like, don't be precious about gimmicks like that. Legit. I think anyone who has that, like, oh, here's my character coming in, and my character does this, that, and the other. Like, yeah. I just like certain people should have certain boundaries. I think DDP should have maybe spoke up a little if bit. If you've got a fucking career behind you when you come in, then yeah, it's a different story. But these are literally like two lads paying their dues at the very bottom of the ladder. Like, yeah, like, I don't know what they're expecting. Like, and it's it's so funny because like so many of the the bad indies that you hear about, it's just populated with several guys who have that issue yeah you know like if you saw the the great shoot interview clip for cm punk where he's like there's some guy in czw and he's like my gimmick is like i'm a total badass but i'm also like a killer heel and everyone loves me i'm gonna shake you in there shake your hand and kick you in the balls and then like, do a 450 splash <laughs> <For> <laughs> <You know? sake. laughs> But so they don't do the gimmick in this match, um, but they they have to use the name still for the TV. Oh! So they're Willow and Ignis, and they're just dressed as regular Hardy oh, Boys. Oh, I have to see that. But the TV gets it wrong, and they change Willow to Wildo, <laughs> and Ignis became Ingus. <laughs> Wildo and Ingus. Sorry, Wildo. <laughs> And Ingus. It's like a Nickelodeon thing. I was it's say, like, like real monsters. I feel like there's two, like in Ariel Monsters, if there was two idiot monsters who got everything wrong. Wildo and Ingus. And they had the Hardy Boys voice. I'm sorry, Gromble. I got wrong again, man. <laughs> Wildo! <laughs> So, um, yeah, they, they literally just ditch those gimmicks. It's like, okay, we're clearly not going to be able to do these as seriously as we want to do them. And they just become the Hardy Boys. I'm just saying, if, if someone gets chucked into the lake of reincarnation and comes back as Willed. Willed. <laughs> it's like Willow, but all fucked up and oh, broken. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like when, uh, I love when jobbers, their names are done wrong because it shows you what little fucking 
shit that they give. Yeah, you know? legit. Like, they could not give a toss about you. Uh, like. Mick Foley was called Mick Faley. <laughs> and you can see him going, what the fuck, man? <laughs> or when they're just such jobbers of little worth, it doesn't matter what their names are. Like in Chikara, when you had Simon and Garfunkel come out to the <laughs> ring. <laughs> Next chapter is called A Choice. So the guy Mitch at the ACW, I think this is the American Championship Wrestling, insists to them, like, if you want to keep working for us and doing bookings here, it's us or it's the WWF, baby. So they went with the WWF, obviously, you fucking idiot. Well, we like, all know where that went. Uh, ACW on Sci-Fi became one of the hottest shows of 2008. Sci-Fi. <laughs> In solidarity with um, the Hardy Boys, Jason, Marty, and Shannon, you know, the wrestling pals, yeah. they all decide to sever ties with ACW as well, but they aren't going to WWF anytime soon, so I don't really know what they're thinking. Ah, like. uh, we're Hardy Boy friends till the end. The guy, Mitch's partner, the one that was always like, Offering him the extra $20 or whatever, like the, the money man. His name is Thomas Simpson, and he basically comes up to him and is like, Okay, right, I know that didn't work out at the ACW, but if you guys ever want to set up your own promotion, you boys set it up yourself, I'll gladly fund it for you. And that's when they decide to form the Organization of Modern Extreme Grappling Arts. Omega, that's what it stands yeah, for! The Organization of Modern Extreme Grappling Arts. What if I really wish it didn't? Those letters didn't stand for anything because I always thought Omega was a decent name. Was a good name until that, like when you realise how much you've got to try and fit in a tiny font underneath that logo. Like. The Omnisord Mega Fucking Extreme Grap, whatever. So that was a hell of a turnaround. You yeah. have one guy being like, "It's me or WWF," and they go with WWF, and it's like, "Also, have your own company." <laughs> Bring your pajamas from King of the Ring as well. Nice turn of events. Next chapter is Surge. Matt changes his ring name from High Voltage to Surge. All right, I think he's keeping along the very dabbling in the elemental arts. Is young Matt Hardy, isn't he? Uh, Ignis Surge. He's an electric type at heart, really. Electric like, and fire. I mean, come on, fucking pick one. That was like he didn't even really do that properly, Kevin. That was just an, a prototype, the fire type thing. He's an electric type, even when you think he's a ground type. Like. I was gonna reckon, you know, real, you know, young, cute, big-eyed Matt Hardy does kind of resemble Evie in a, in a roundabout way. So he could have the different evolutions, you know, Ignis. You know, when he has the, the Firestone, he's Ignis. Uh, the Electric Stone, he's Surge. Uh, where he has the Ground Stone, he becomes Ground Type, a.k.a. Matt Hardy. The Internet Stone makes him into version one. Like <laughs> Big Money Stone makes him Big Money Matt. <laughs> and the aptly named, not functioning correctly, Stone turns him into Ingus. <laughs> it's like missing no. Like. <laughs> Next chapter is The Birth of Omega. So this guy Thomas Bank rolls them a nice new ring and some proper guardrails to make an actual nice ah. little setup. They've actually got a decent setup for the first time ever. And they say here's the little lineup they have of them. You had the original click of Matt, Jeff, Jason, Venom, Aren't, Matt, Champagne, Garner, and Shannon, Kid Dynamo, more. <laughs> Dynamo. Kid Dynamo. Such a fucking default wrestler name, Jesus. And then you had the additions of Shane Helms, Mike Maverick Howell, Joey Matthews, and Christian York. Wow, Joey Matthews. That's uh, Joey Mercury. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, no way. That's I didn't awesome. Know that he was, uh, that's amazing, yeah. Uh, Christian York um, and Joey Matthews, they were. They tagged together at the end of ECW in like 2001. Like, it was really sad. It was like literally the ECW's last show. I was like, look at these two fucking amazing new high flyers. They're going to go really far. And then the company shut down. Like, Aww. and they were just like too young and too 
kind of just getting started to yeah. get picked up by anywhere. Christian York, as far as you know, he ended up back in TNA then after a while. Like as the whole story being like, I've been a fucking veteran battling these roads and never made it big, and then they released him after a year. Oh God. Thanks, TNA. Maybe All Elite <laughs> might pick him up. You never know. Never know. Might I'm see s- Christian York, the Yorkie man out there one the day. The Yorkie man! <laughs> <laughs> Next chapter's called Raging Bull. And this is something that, like, this is like, such a typical thing. But they're setting up their own shows now, obviously, Omega, and they're the ones calling the shots. Like, they have to have been funded by someone else, but they're firmly in charge yeah. of Omega. And it does Manny Fernandez ring a bell to you? Yes. How so? What do you know about him? Manny Fernandez, with the, he had the he's linked up with the Bruiser Brody business. I think I sh- one of the first things I showed you because you know I had such a fucking great taste. And I was such a <laughs> such a well-adjusted young man when I met you, and I was really like happy with my lot in life. Um, as, you know, I had two drinks. With me, I had to show you the Invader Three, Manny Fernandez. Yeah, can we, can we establish? Is that a shoot? Is that a real thing? Fernandez has always claimed that it's total one hundred percent shoot, but there's been so many rumblings since then that it was a work and he does know, like a double stomp onto it's like a knee off the top he does like two or three big high they're fucking stiff as shit like, they look scary as yeah. fuck onto Invader 3 yeah right? who basically this is the thing about, about Puerto Rico and something really shitty like that happened where it's not outside the realms of possibility that then other people would be like let's use this for heat which could potentially have happened but I don't know what happened he claims that it's definitely a shoot where he jumps off the top rope and he knees uh, Invader 3 over and over again and because of the bad blood because there was like uh, loads of animosity because of what happened with Bruiser Brody and the kind of cover up with Brody, Brody's That's murder so fucked up to use that like. I like if you know massive content warning if you're gonna go and fucking check it out yeah. the guy literally shoots out a fucking volcano stream of blood out of his mask it's horrifying want to believe it can't be real just because it's so grotesque yeah like. it's like thick red mist from like coming out um, but you know what if I heard that it was something that everyone that they worked together so that Manny Fernandez could come out as being like this fucking all-conquering hero and allude to the shitty thing that happened. Didn't look like a hero in that clip. No, he looked like kind of a guy who was trying to kill someone. He looked like a criminal. Like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, let's just say he's got a colourful history and that colour may be red. Um, well, it doesn't sound like he's a great guy based on this because uh, they're setting up for an Omega show and he just turns up like... Rocks up to the show like, hey boys, where should I set up? And apparently this is like a very common thing for him, is he will just show up at shows and like try and bully his way onto the cars. Oh god, that's fucking, if you're like an older veteran type guy with a reputation. And you've got all these young boys that are in charge of this show. Shake hands like. He just turns up and is like insisting that he's going to be on the card. And when Matt says to him like, oh no, you're not going to be here, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to be on this card. I belong here. Like, Oh my god. Yeah. And Matt stands his ground, like, and literally refuses to book him. And so apparently- when would this have been? This would have been the 90s at that point, right? Yeah, because yes. this, this, ni- this is 97 now. 97? Yeah, sorry, the first Omega show that they actually did was July 25th, 1997. Fucking hell. So this is, like, yeah, long, 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 long afterwards... Uh, after he had done the stuff with Invader number three, so he's know. already kind of notorious at this point. Then, like he has gone on record. Just checking here, he's gone on record with Bill After to say a hundred percent in his. You know, he said it was a hundred percent a shoot, and it was revenge for for Bruiser Brody. That's mm. what he said. His words. Well, I mean, 
weird that you would want people to think that myself but yeah so matt stands his ground and he insists you're not getting on the show it looks like manny fernandez is gonna like try and start on someone but then he realizes that the, you know matt's got lots of friends here probably wouldn't go well they bump into him a year later and manny says to him like, i'm really proud of you kid for the way you stood up to me when i tried to bully my way onto your show good for you for not having any of my shit ah! And then he says, uh, later on, when they were working for WWE, they were staying in a hotel by the airport in Charlotte, and they saw Manny Fernandez there working as a janitor. Sad but true is the last words of the chapter. Needless to say, we had the last laugh. <laughs> Next chapter, Tough Enough, Omega Style. Hey now, so, I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of Tough Enough, Adam. But tough enough Omega style? When I say my fantasy, <laughs> H-A-R-D-Y. <laughs> so basically, because they got the ring set up in a yard, people can often see them training and working and they'll get onlookers. And people start asking, like, can I train with you and stuff like that? Which doesn't seem that ethical for you guys to be training people already. You're not really that you know well-rounded you're not veterans of the ring by any stretch yet like. yeah and you know what this this is uh speaking from some experience here but just because you know something doesn't mean you can teach that thing absolutely not if you can't tell me how to pay civilization six in less than three and a half hours then you're not a good teacher <laughs> fucking up your game youtube jesus <laughs> that's that's not the experience that i was talking about by the way it was other experience but, <laughs> not just from the world sorry. of actual teaching yeah like. <laughs> yeah not just for me fucking the world of wanting to win a, something other than a culture victory in civilization six <laughs> So they start charging people $50 for a tryout and then $300 for a training session. Like, they're clearly spinning a lot of money out of this. Well, now, in like. fairness, they've knocked a couple of zeros off what that would normally be the other way around, I think, so. It's interesting that, like, we always talk about the sort of the older generations wanting to protect the business and, like, keep the business strong and, like, really rough people up to make yeah. sure there's no wrong ideas spreading around. These are all young lads, and they have the same mindset. They said they don't, wanted to make sure that no one left thinking wrestling was anything close to fake, so they made sure they roughed up the new trainees and beat the living hell out of them. Jesus. Yep, Matt broke a kid's ankle at one point. Like. Fucking hell! Yeah. I mean, but you know what? Like, Adam, that's the first generation after the really fucking bad one. So, I mean, it was only, I think... And that's, that's them being... They're, they're fucking kids there. Yeah. And this so is, they're this just is them post working with the Stallion yeah. and the ACW where you're all like the older boys and stuff. This like. is what they're doing and what they reckon it has to be done like, mm -hmm. you know. So it is fucking sad because you know what? There's still places that do that. And I think, you know what? You do have to establish quite early on and it does need to be gotten across that this is a, a high pain, you know, you will mm -hmm. receive a lot of pain in this. It hurts. it hurts. You need to have a high threshold of being able to take pain and take pain frequently. Mm -hmm. But I think there are ways in which to make that apparent to a trainee without you kind of coming over and going, right, yeah. Because, yeah, I think when you just go and beat someone up like that, it'll just have some in their mind going, okay, I just got to watch myself so that I don't piss off a veteran and then they'll yep. beat me up. Yep. No, it all hurts. Yep. That's the thing. Every fucking thing. And wrestling you know what? hurts. If you want to fucking rough them up and, t and teach them that you know, wrestling is anything but fake, just have them do fucking flat back bumps. I took one once and it fucking killed me. Yeah. And the guy, the guy who I know who did a bit of wrestling training back in Ireland, he he's trained like you know a lot of big Irish names, and he said you can tell on the first bump, mm -hmm. like straight away, you'll know if the person can do it or not. Because if they fucking win, and like, Hurr! you will never learn to not feel yeah. that pain. Like. <laughs> 
You have to fucking break people's ankles, Matt. Jesus. Yeah, they said they unlaced his boot and they uh, took it off and saw his bone sticking out of this kid. Like, Do they fucking just... still take his money? Like, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think they actually did. And like... this is America where there's no... like Here, Matt, right, you heard that happen fucking down the road. You'd be fucking mortified. But they could go to the hospital and get sorted. Sorry. It's it's a fucking America. You got... In America, this yeah. is a big problem. Sorry, I actually have forgotten how bad this is. They unlaced the boot and saw the bone sticking out. Yeah. Like, they didn't let the kid see it. Like, and Jeff and Matt were just like, "Oh, it's all right, pal. You just need to put some ass on it." They put his boot back on and put like a plastic bag of ice no. on there and like carried him out to his car and sent him on his way. And then, I hope you don't need to fucking break or anything because that foot ain't going to be good for shit, man. <laughs> he said, "Thanks a lot, guys. I'll try and be back next week." And they never ever saw him again. Wow. So maybe he did, like, maybe he couldn't break or something. Wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. That's I, bad, lads. That's maybe really bad. Maybe don't pop that in the book there. That is one, that's a shocking admission right we, there. We broke someone's ankle and then we didn't deal with it in any way whatsoever. And he paid for the privilege. He, he actually didn't know that he'd broken his ankle. We just sent him on his way, like, and took his money. Thank you very much, sir. Anti-hearty fans. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that is fucking shocking. I'm not saying that's the worst, because I'm sure there's way worse than that. But they fucking admitted that. I can't oh, believe that. No, in fairness, in fact, like the one little thing is here, they actually said this kid didn't have the money on him and they were in a bad mood. So they just thought they'd teach him a lesson by roughing him up in the ring. He didn't actually have the money. He didn't pay for this privilege. Oh, he'll <laughs> never have the money now. Essentially, they just mugged a guy. Like, they beat him up. So we'll we'll take $500 of ankle away from you, basically. God damn. Jesus Christ. Next chapter is called Indie Hell. And basically, this is where they were saying they worked a lot of different promotions. Just, like, getting little gigs at various different small, really tiny independent Must have been hell breaking all those ankles. And, you know... <laughs> That's going to be the the Hardy Boys equivalent of ripping out the tongue. Like it, the, it's honestly the shocking really confession shocked. of why did you put that in there? Why did you put that? that like, I'm so, sorry. I'm saying why did you put that in there? I in no way condone it. Like, you know, you fucking. Why would you do that? I can't believe. It. I'm really shocked. Yeah. No. Honestly, it just it's it's yeah. Why would you do that at the time? But then why would you also tell this to your ghostwriter and publish it in 2004? Like, like that's the type of thing where it's like I expect the young Hardys to see like Stallion doing that and be like, we'll never do that. That this won't be us, man. After they've had their shots in the WWE, after they've started their own fucking business, and yep. after they've made their connections, that's really fucking weird. That's really shocking to hear. One of the places they work for, this is just like a, a little rundown of all these different promotions they work for, and they said there was a lot of scummy promoters trying to rip them off. All these great fucking indie wrestling companies from the early 90s, you got like MLT and fucking BLT and <laughs> fucking AFW, whatever the fuck like. One of the places they work for is called SCW, and it's run by a guy that wears a cape, and he's got a full vampire gimmick. Oh, it's Scarborough Championship Wrestling, is it? It doesn't say. Ah. But this vampire, he's got a cape and a little moustache and he's called Count Grog, which is such a banging name. Count <laughs> Grog! Oh my god! And they also have a little match in uh, All-Star Wrestling with Sabu and RVD. Wow! It's a nice little name drop of those lads. So that would have been... Yeah, if that's like 96, 97, this would have been after those guys were on ECW. I mean, Sabu yeah. would have been a very big star in the, they had the early 90s. big reputations, and they were a little scared of Sabu. Like, there was a part where they were wrestling through the arena into an area where there was loads of broken glass, and they were like, oh shit, man, Sabu's a maniac, he's going to want to cut us up. And Sabu was apparently like, let's get out of here, man, someone could get hurt. Like, <laughs> let's go wrestle over there instead. Oh, <laughs> like, man, Sabu. 
Next chapter is called Omega for Laugh. And basically just chatting about the serious pride they felt from Omega. And if anyone disrespects Omega, we'll fucking break your ankle, tape you up, <laughs> make, you dri- make you drive home, or make you walk home. One of the things Matt says was one of our traditions from the New Frontier days through to Omega was that everybody would go out to eat together after a show. We would drop the ring off at Tracy's, then we would all go to Kelly's truck stop or the Huddle House in Southern Pines. I love, I love when it's like kind of oh, we had this little kind of uh, this little tradition, this little unique thing that we do. We eat fucking food, like wow. But then when we were done eating, we would all go back to Tracy's and watch a tape of that night of that night's show. It didn't matter what time it was; we wouldn't get home until eight a.m. We'd be thoroughly exhausted, but in the best possible way. Ah. And they're basically saying that all the way through New Frontier and Omega, they had, like, the nicest time, the nicest, like, bond brotherhood. Like, they felt like they were sort of captains of their own destiny, almost. You know, they were in charge of the show, and they were calling their own shots, like... Are they making at this point that this is kind of a vehicle for them to get to WWE eventually? Like, that is the goal? Or do they actually want to run this business yeah, long-term? And, well, what they're saying is, because they've been working with WWE and they've got a relationship with them, they sign contracts with WWE in 1998 and they show up at an Omega shirt wearing WWF Attitude shirts and they take them off to reveal, like, a, I think it's Omega for Life. Like, just basically. Not so, really, though, is it? Like, you know. That's what uh, Omega saying. for a couple more months and then WWF for Life, really. Like. But in their heart and soul, Kevin, in here, in the core of the Hardy Boys, that's and still I Omega. Never going away. That's, that's essentially ever what it is. again. Like, I love you. You will be 21 forever (laughs) so now we move on to part two of the book would you believe we're only just getting into the second section here top of the world wow look at those fucking studs couple of topless hunks right there yeah man they went for the double double photo it's not even the color photos we went double photo for part two there yeah man we've got to take up some space here let you know we're shaking things up we're getting on top of the world baby so first chapter of this section deal deal with us deal or no deal mate uh, Jeff has his first scary, scary incident in wrestling where he takes a bump and he can't feel his legs afterwards. Uh, and it's like, oh, fuck, this could go horribly, horribly wrong. What the fuck happened? He went for a crossbody and landed wrong and hit the floor right on the back of his head and neck. Jesus Christ. And then he couldn't feel his legs for three or four seconds. God, you know what? I watched like I watched one month of, of 1997 Raw and Ahmed Johnson's done that like two or three no. times. Oh, <laughs> He's a scary man. He makes it hard to enjoy wrestling. He does. At the next WWE shows they go to, they got offered a deal. So that's what they mentioned when they leave right, Omega. Yeah. They get offered a signing from Bruce Pritchard, I believe is the yeah, one. Yeah, Pritchard signed him, if I recall. Yeah, that's right. And then not long after they signed, they offered a deal to Jason, one of their friends. So, so I'm, tr- I'm struggling to remember which friend is which. So they were planning... WWE had plans to bring Jason in. They wanted him to be a, another Briscoe, like he was going to be related to Jerry and Jack Briscoe of the. Really? G- yeah. They didn't say that he was going to be a Briscoe brother, but he was meant to be like part of the extended Briscoe universe, like in the way that Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson are kayfabe cousins. Are they really? Yeah, kayfabe I never cousins. Knew that. Yeah. That's cute. And the Anderson wrestling family as well, which is all, probably one of the bigger kayfabe wrestling families where Arn and Ole Anderson not related and CW Anderson and ECW also not related. But if you're a stout bearded man who can do a mean spine buster or hit hard, you get to be an Anderson. <laughs> but a Briscoe, that's a very interesting... Interesting plan, isn't it? So they wanted him to be one of the Briscoes and he, they were going to say that he worked at the Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. Oh, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is really sad. We never got this gimmick because like, 
Do you know that Briscoe has a has a legit son who became a wrestler, like Wes Briscoe? No. Yeah, he was a member of Aces and Eights in TNA. Oh boy! And I shit you not, literally like Hollywood good looks. You wouldn't have thought that he was fucking Jerry Briscoe's really? kid. Really? Total fucking dreamboat look on him, and he looked like he had the whole fucking world on the palm of his hand. And he went from being like the fucking second coming to being on the same level as Garrett Bischoff, who's Eric's fucking kid, <laughs> who also was a member of Aces and Eights. For fuck's sake, all the kids, like... Yeah, it's don't... It's a crash, basically. Look at you at home trying to forget about Aces and Eights. Don't you dare forget about Aces remember and Eights. Remember me? Yeah, remember Aces and Eights? Maybe so, I got me two of those, too. Jason was... Get, this is... Oh, I'm so happy. Jason was getting ready to go to developmental in Memphis in order to become this Briscoe son, like this, this Briscoe relation... But then he gets called up by WWE to go up to the main roster and become Joey Abs in the Mean Street Posse. Wow! How's that for a, twi- a twist that I'd forgotten until I was literally reading it? Like Adam, that is a simple twist of fate. Because this is that what they say right after that is that him and Matt Hardy had a huge falling out, like a serious falling out. Is that because he was dating Stephanie McMahon and she didn't want? <laughs> <laughs> You are such a Mean Street Posse smog. You know all the fucking... The little intricacies of their stories. What does Terry think of this for the two-week tenure that she was with them? For sake. But yeah, they they literally wrap up his entire tenure in WWE here because they just say they fell out, they never spoke, he got released. So I had, like, literally, because it's been a while since we recorded the first part, I'd forgotten. It turns out Jason is actually Joey Abs. Oh, God. You know what? That fucking Omega turned out a fair few people. They had a good clutch of stars, like... Whatever happened, like... I know Joey Abs, they did, like, a Where Are They Now type thing a while ago, you Mm. know, and, you know, working a shoot job and all that. But I'm not going to lie, I'm very curious as to know the nature of the falling out, like... Yeah, he does not go into any detail whatsoever. It sounded personal, whatever it was. Well, yeah, whatever it is, it's worse than breaking a guy's ankle and sending them on his way, so... Because mm. <laughs> that was okay to yeah, include. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fine, lads. It's all right if you're young. Um, so the next chapter is, are you a professional? And Bruce Pritchard tells them that it's cool you guys are signed now, but to get better, you're going to need as much experience as possible. So just keep working indies in the meantime. Like, work as many as you can. Like, get God. as much experience under your belt as you can do. You wouldn't be telling people that these days, would they? You like, certainly wouldn't. It'd be like, okay, you're signed with us. Now you are not allowed to do anything. <laughs> like, work as many indies as you can. And get on the picture hello, indies. You can't do live shows anymore. Because <laughs> our, our guy is going to be working there. <laughs> One of the indies they work with... Um, Jeff works a match with a guy called Renegade who basically lets him crash and burn when he's taking a big spot like he's meant to catch Jeff and the guy just like lets Jeff smash into the floor Fucking and they have a hell. big confrontation about it backstage afterwards I think I remember it was at Miz or so. I think it was Miz in like 2007 or 8 he failed to catch someone when mm. they were going out and it I remember the internet was in an uproar about that like, yeah because that is worst thing you can do it's yeah that is so disrespectful and dangerous and irresponsible and unprofessional like there's a million things wrong with it. it's one of the worst things you can do in terms of like fucking up a spot like, like you remember when ryback was out of position in his match with callisto at wrestlemania um there was only like 10 people in the crowd hmm. and like ryback literally he fucking dove out of his way to save him because he was he wasn't in the right place and Callisto was diving he was going to crash right. and he literally went and he, he put himself a great personal risk and that's the Ryback and that's the Ryback like, yeah professional yeah like. to correct his unprofessional behaviour <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing the WCW renegade at the moment 
<laughs> do you remember? Do you remember WCW Renegades? No, I'm picturing like a cyborg eye for some reason. I'm guessing that's completely out. <laughs> he is uh, their rip-off version of the Ultimate Warrior. Oh my god! The same music, Renegades, the same entrance, yeah. the same look. Like, it's yeah, got Jimmy Hart going. It's not the Ultimate Warrior, baby. It's the Renegades. Did he say that? And he's like, Jimmy Hart has programmed me to seek and destroy. I am the Ultimate Warrior. Jesus. It was though, was it? It was the Renegades. They actually fight straight away in the ring. Wow. Like, in the ring, Jeff gets up and he's like, are you a fucking professional? Like, as if you just did that. They start fucking stiffing each other. He tags Matt in and basically they just literally just turns into like a shoot fight. Like, fuck. Uh, Matt says he was swinging at him as hard as he can. So he just hit that fat bastard in the face as hard as he could. Wham. Jeff came in, dropped, kicked him in the face. He went down. The referee was, of all people, Renegade's wife. She was crying, I'll kill you, I kill you. Harold Bass was there freaking out, screaming, stop, stop. Renegade got up screaming, I'm going to kill you, and stormed off towards the camper vans looking for a weapon. Right, so when Bruce Pritchard say go and get as much experience as possible, they thought, let's get the worst experience possible. Let's go to a fucking GTA mission of a wrestling <laughs> People were coming up to us, like, they... they called the match off for the DQ finish. People came up to them and saying, Dave's going to go and get a gun. You all better get out of here now. Wow. They got out of there now. Well, I would say, because, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to work a gun. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, two by four is, is notoriously difficult. It's not. It's, you do the triple H, you put your hand over the end of it when you shoot, like, <laughs> bang! Like, and you, you take the blow on your hand. Like, it's absolutely <laughs> And the one time that Triple H used a fake gun, he actually injured someone, so he only uses a real a real <laughs> one now. Next chapter is called The Funkin' Dojo. Hey, this is fucking Dory Funk, right? Yes, at the end of July, they get a call from Bruce Pritchard saying that it's time for them to go to The Funkin' Dojo and basically get trained up a little bit to be ready for WWF, like, as full-timers. So, there's a lot of highlights here. you have to bear with me. It's an intensive training session, but also the dojo serves as a test of basically seeing how much talent you have and how much work you need before getting on yeah. the main roster. So, to make sure that everyone's leveled out, basically. And like everyone went through. Like, I know Dr. Tom Pritchard and stuff did training with WWE as well, but I know that back in the day, if you'd been signed, it was a fairly intensive process. There was no, like couple of years of developmental like there was now you would mm. get put in through the ringer quite fast the turnaround of talent was absurdly yeah. fast hence so we got Pete Gass and Joey Abs on our screens well it's it's like evident of how fast it is by looking at the roster of people that they were there with because the people that were in the dojo with them was Matt and Jeff Kurt Angle Christian Sean Stasiak Albert Test a guy called Glenn Kulker Teddy Hart, who was Bretton Owen Hart's nephew, and Giant Silver from the Oddities. Wow, wow. Fucking, I know Teddy Hart was the youngest signing ever at that point. He was only like 16 or something. Jesus. Yeah, like they literally, you know, I, I, I'm I, not as re- well read up on Teddy Hart as a lot of people are, because most folks who like who I've talked to who seem to like know a lot about indie wrestling have either booked Teddy Hart or like <laughs> had him sleep on their couch or something. But all I could say is that he had a pretty troubled... Uh, career, I think oh. he's, still, he's still going. Okay, um, and I think the burden of being the young, insanely talented heart, and also the fact that they signed him so young mm-hmm. without any infrastructure in place. I mean, you think how difficult it is for people in NXT at the moment. You know, you're 18, you get signed to fucking NXT like Page was or whatever. It's mm-hmm. quite a big change, and I think that fucked him up giving him that much stuff so yeah. soon I don't think he ever really recovered from that Damn. which is a shame Glenn Kolka as far as I know he never debuted he was meant to be 
I think, on the Team Canada side when they did USA versus Canada right. Survivor Series uh, yeah. 1997, but he was injured, so he never appeared. Oh. Big former footballer, hockey player type lads, but that's about it. I mean, you know, the real star of that class here is obviously me. Like, you know, I was gonna say giant silver, pal. Like, I mean, you got a serious bell shaped curve there, don't you? (laughs) You've got two of the greatest tight teams of all time, arguably the greatest in ring performer of all time, and Kurt Angle, and then you got fucking giant silver, me, a couple of fucking. I thought you meant literally, like, in terms of height, because you got (laughs) Tess Albert, giant silver. It's a nice bell shaped class, like. And you got your Test and Albert very solid middle-of-the-road hands, like, you know? They said that when they got there, um, they were very much the loners of the group, Matt and Jeff were. They sort of kept themselves. And all the Canadian lads like Christian, Test, and Glenn Culker, they were all hanging out at the bar, like, socialising already. And Matt and Jeff kind of felt like outsiders. Oh, uh, I see. But because of the way the dojo worked, apparently it was such a gruelling and tough experience it like forged a friendship with all of them like it forced all of them to bond together and get closer as a result they say that Christian was probably the most experienced person in their class he'd been working the indie since 93 at this point and been trained at professional wrestling school in Toronto like so Christian was kind of the veteran of their group god so funny think Christian's the veteran like this I really like the sound of this is a straight up explanation of the way Dory Funk would work like and they would do this exercise every day Dory would call out a chain sequence and we would do that he had several different drills that he would play like bull in the ring that was where one guy would be in the middle of the ring surrounded by all the members of the dojo Dory would point to somebody and that person would have to feed in and the person in the middle would just have to do some move to them and then as soon as the first guy started coming in Dory would point to somebody else so as soon as you blast one guy somebody else is charging at you and you have to do a different move on him so this is basically teaching you to be spontaneous and literally teaching what you, they say that's unbelievable the ability to be spontaneous do things on the fly and still be safe oh my god that's like wrestling improv but like yeah. refined down into a very very specific direction I love it I do I want to see it as well because it looks I imagine it being like smash and you've got century smash or something, <laughs> like one guy and all these people barraging him like Brrr. god it's like really interesting to think because Dory Funk has often been said to be one of the greatest trainers in wrestling ever because mm-hmm. I remember like I saw Terry and Dory get inducted into the Hall of Fame when I was at Wrestlemania and you know, Dory Funk literally came up and he's like I want to thank everybody and all the people who I helped train and he just like pulled out a list of reading out the people who he trained and it's li- it was literally like he got like a big standing ovation because he literally named half the active roster yeah. and the other half of people he named were the half the people he wished were still on the active roster yeah. he had a hand in training like everyone post Attitude Era mm-hmm. Dory Funk has like his hands all over that fucking roster and it's great to actually hear details like really detailed descriptions mm. about his method and how he do, how he would do it I think Al should have done that with his kids <laughs> yeah honestly or he may have done we just didn't see it on that fucking show yeah like, uh, fucking CK why don't you uh, pop against the ropes there and just do whatever comes to mind like okay man <laughs> <laughs> there are things like he would every day he would create chains of moves where he would like teach them a combination of moves and then get everyone to perform it he had a thing where he had like a code word that he would call out and as soon as he said that no matter where everyone was in the dojo they would have to start fighting and brawling at that time oh just, wow just improvise like straight to it everyone brawl now Damn. That's fucking awesome. That's how you learn how to do backstage brawls. Yeah, and he was just basically trying to make sure that everyone was always paying attention and, like, always on their feet and thinking on their toes. Like, every day he would teach them new high spots or new moves, so there was always something new being added to the arsenal every single day. Dory himself was a really good guy, they say. Really soft-spoken. Genuinely wanted to help out the young guys. 
Matt really admired that because someday he hopes to pass on all the knowledge that he's learned over the years to someone else that's young and hungry. I would actually know what Matt Hardy as a trainer. He would be phenomenal. He, he would. He's so got the mind for this. He's like, total, total like, and he he knows the whole game, so to speak. Now, yeah. like you know, because he can do the business side, he can do the production side. You know, because him and Jeff were involved heavily in making a lot of the TV for TNA mm-hmm. during that you know run towards they had the, the run they had with them towards the end. And yeah, all the different styles of wrestling that he knows and character and reinventing. Yep. I, you know what? I will say about Dory Funk there. One of the reasons why I think that works in so many other wrestling training camps that can't work in is because he's been given like eight guys, all of which are unsigned to contracts and need to be TV ready in a certain amount of time. Yeah. So these all have to be at a certain level and an investment has already been made. Whereas I think most wrestling schools probably have two or three people that the trainers know in their heart of hearts aren't going to be stars they're yeah. not very good but they need the money off yeah them. so you can't go everyone crowd brawl right now because there's probably two or three people who will genuinely either hurt themselves or hurt yeah, someone else you're right whereas so, this yeah. is more like a finishing school yeah like i think so yeah they say that um they would do promos and have matches and then everyone get together and critique them like they would watch back tapes and stuff like that Dory put together different combinations every single day in terms of who would get paired up with who. So you were always wrestling someone new, you were always quitting promos against someone different, just to try and get everyone as much experience with working different styles as possible. It probably explains why Matt and Jeff and all and Edge and Christian and TNA all had such basically immediate chemistry and yep. Kurt as well with all those guys. Yeah, they all knew each other's styles quite well. Because they obviously away. spent a long time working with each other. In a lot of different combinations. Yeah. Like, uh, apparently one afternoon they were doing a tag match against Test and Christian and they set Test up for their event Omega finisher which is where they go up on opposite turnbuckles and both hit him with a leg drop and a splash which they do do as the Hardy they Boys they do that a bit yeah they stopped know. doing it after 99 I think I didn't know it was called the event Omega uh, but they, they do it and Test had his hands out by his sides and when Jeff came off the splash Test's finger was like <laughs> directly like bent upwards like full on full on broke Oh, that's so fucking horrible. That's horrible. I don't know why that that's such a nasty injury for me to think about. Like, like there's very few parts of my body where, like, no, that bit is very brittle. Yeah. And my baby fingers, I'm like always like. Aah. You must have done it before, where you get up off the floor and you just push down on your finger too hard, and you get, it goes back too far, and you're like, oh, mm. like when I cut stuff, you know, when, mm. when I'm cooking and things like that, I'm so glad that this finger is so far away from anything because mm. you know the big fingers up here, they, they can, can take, take it. They can take a nick or two. This one here will be clean off. If it was <laughs> were closer than it is <laughs> one thing that's great is they talk about the naivety of Kurt Angle like they say he's a world class athlete like completely in a league of his own but he's still quite a naive guy there was one day when they were fighting they threw him in the corner and gave him a chop apparently Kurt just completely broke character and was like what the hell's that about <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine him being all annoyed <laughs> And apparently then, after that, when the people realised that, everyone would fucking lay chops into Kurt oh, so fucking poor bad. Kurt. They said it was such a bonding experience. And I think it was good for them because, like, you could tell at the start of this when they said they were kind of loners and kept themselves. It's like, not anti-social, but almost unsociable they were. They weren't yeah. ready to, like, bond with other people. And this kind of showed them that you can have that brotherhood in WWF still. It doesn't have to be something that was just Omega. Like, you can have that same kind of friendship yeah. and that clique and that group in WWF too so apparently the first camp they did was 10 days and then they did a couple of independent shows at the end of the week 
and that's when they basically told everyone that you're either going to hear back from us soon saying that you're going to go to tv or we'll put you back in the dojo for another course like so they called them up in a couple of weeks and said they would be doing the camp again with a lot of the same folks from before like christian test and albert were all redoing it right right whereas people like kurt angle and obviously giant silver was good to go so <laughs> yeah seriously giant silver you're called up well can he wave his arms in the air like he just don't care <laughs> yes he can well dory i think you've done everything you can with giant silver the next chapter's called Jimmy Legs. Now, Matt's got these crazy hip joints, man. He's got really unusual hip joints that make his legs bend in unusual ways that are different to most people's. I, he, I've never noticed that about the man. And apparently you should look out for it whenever he does his leg drop, because apparently he can't do a squat with flat feet, for instance. Like, his legs just do not work in the same way as other people's. What, well, his legs don't bend then? Are they... They do bend. It's just the <laughs> angles that they bend at are different to other folks what the fuck is he a crab like <laughs> it's to do with his hip joints you right say. okay and this this could be well related to the reason why he's had to sort of like say, yeah, throw in the towel now like, doing fucking leg drops off the top of a cage when you've got dodgy hip joints yeah because it is his hip he had hip fusion surgery yeah, I that's think. what ended yeah. his career I think like, jeez yeah. well I mean I don't know if it's ended yet he keeps coming out now in twenty. this is 2019 the start of we are here it seems like it's the end of the road so it, it seems but He's been very adamant that he is not retired. In the same way that Jerry Lawler's not retired, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Christian dubs them his Jimmy Legs. Jimmy Legs? And that's really funny, Kevin. Why? Huh? Jimmy Legs? Yeah, man, because there is Jimmy Legs. Like, oh, man, you're crazy. You look at the crazy Jimmy Legs. Is that like a... I was going to say, is that something? But no, Christian's from Canada. So what the fuck is that? He's Jimmy Legs, man. Jimmy Legs. Crazy Jimmy Legs. Jimmy the Legs. Is he friends with Joey Numbers? Apparently after that, anytime anything was screwed up, they'd call it a Jimmy. Like, that's a Jimmy jump. Or, man, that move was well jimmied. There's probably a ninth person in this camp called Jimmy something who was really shit. Really fucking bollocks. They, they absolutely ground him Hated down to him. a nub. Like. Next chapter, onto the roster, baby. We're here finally we go. here. Pat Patterson attends one of the indie shows that they do in between the camps and tells them, you're basically ready to be on the main roster. We're going to call you up now. They debut with a couple of wins. They Their first two matches they win, and it's like, all right, we're off to a pretty good start. Yeah, but they were on heat, and they had like their cool kind of colourful uh, outfits. Oh, yeah, the, the jazzy, sweet-looking outfits. Yeah, they get off to a good start, a couple of wins, and then they lose 30 matches straight after that. Uh-oh. They're, they're jobbers. It's what you expect. Like. Yeah, they got they were they were the job team for like most of early '99 onwards, I recall, mm -hmm. because when they finally had any sort of a win or any sort of traction, it was when they won the belts off the acolytes and that kind of you know that random fluke win. Yes, and with Michael Hayes, That's they won right. the belts, and that mm -hmm. was like the first time like I remember them having any sort of a, a win or any sort of a moment at yep. all. Completely, and we'll get to that very soon, hopefully. Next chapter is called Amy. So A.K.A. Dumas. They go to a NWA Mid-Atlantic show just to like attend and go and see some people there. And they see Amy Dumas. And even though she's in a terrible, terrible match with a woman called Strawberry Fields, they say it's a complete train wreck. Like, Strawberry I Fields? I right? Is she a wow. fucking secret agent or something? Strawberry like, Fields. Not, not too many... Um... Beatles songs would make for a good wrestler names. Penny Lane. Sergeant Pepper. On the way to the ring. The Fool on the Hill. <laughs> Listen here, Hulk Hogan. My nowhere man is coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad, actually. That's not bad at all. And unlike the other people you have faced before, Hogan, he's a real nowhere man. 
sitting in his nowhere land. And he's making all his nowhere plans for you, Hogan, at WrestleMania 9. Because we've run out of ideas. You're getting worryingly good at that real terrible, like, monster of the month Hulk Hogan promo. <laughs> I think it's because, like, when I saw Cocabana do his, like, r- bad wrestling clips thing, he, ha- he showed a lot of clips from Memphis of, like, you know, the big scary monster who was coming. Mm. Like, and I showed a lot of stuff like that. Joe and I did a kind of, when we, we did a retrospective about Southpaw regional wrestling right. for, for the How To Patreon. And a lot of that was heavily influenced by the old Memphis stuff. So we watched a lot of things like, you know, like Dragon Lord is coming or Tagar, the Volcano Master. The Bible. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. And it's always just people like, like, what are you going to do? When, like, it's always some fast talker <laughs> who's here like, or like Paul, Paulie Dinsey, my tombstone is coming to get you, Jerry Lawler. He's eight God. foot nine. Like, <laughs> you know, 2,000 pounds. <laughs> They meet Amy after the show and she seems pretty cool. They like her. She is dating a guy and Matt does fancy her, but she's got a boyfriend, you know. Uh, doesn't stop them from ending up making out in a car after another show, though. Ow! And Amy's like... What's S.A. Rios going to make of this? Like, <laughs> no wonder he turned here, like... Apparently, she goes and breaks up with her boyfriend and then she says, I'd love to train with you guys if you'll have me. Like, she was living in Virginia but would drive down to Cameron every weekend and do a bit of training with the So Hardy this boys. is what, before she was with WWF? Yeah. They just met her in NWA. God, so she, she worked ECW in like 99 and 2000. That's right, yeah. As Miss Congeniality, mm-hmm. I think, was her gimmick. So she would have been training with the Hardys. I had no idea. Yeah, I assumed they met in the WWF. Yeah. I know they knew each other prior. but yeah, I thought the first time they met them was when they went back to save her after S.A. Rios had already <laughs> moonsaulted her. Ah, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Next chapter is called Omega Rules, baby. So in January 99, they dropped the Omega tag belts to the... Oh, this is really funny because it was like, Omega rules. In general, Omega closed. They basically go to finish their business with Omega. They drop the tag belts to a couple of guys called the Serial Thrillers. And they leave as heels being the whole sort of like, we're getting out of this stinking indie place. That we own. That we love <laughs> and have set up. And when we signed with WWE, we wore those t-shirts and we were like, we ain't never leaving. And now we're heels. See ya. And they leave and they talk about how, like, Omega is, like, they're so proud of it because it was their baby and it was their work. And they'll always have that real fucking place in their heart for Omega. So do they keep it running then? Or do they wind it up? Like, what's the story then? It carried on running without them because it wasn't just those guys running it. It, it was, was that the whole, whole Omega crew, yeah. crew yeah. Like, and the lad that was funding it. So it carried on for a while after. Because I know, like, Shane Helms didn't show and Shannon Moore, like, they didn't get signed so much later. I know Shane Helms didn't start working WCW till like 2000, I think. So yeah, it so must they're have still been... running the place, I think. Yeah. Like, and um, they say that to this day, they see the occasional Omega Rule signs out in the crowd and it's one of the coolest things they ever saw, damn it. I would love to know like a little bit more about the history of that company, you know? Yeah, same. They've done, I know the Hardys have done extensive DVD work on this. So maybe someday, in a later date, we may uh, revisit it at some point. Next chapter is Welcome to World Wrestling Entertainment. And it's like I love that it's been like three times now has sort of like announced their arrival in WWE. Yeah. Like this kind of like when, when you know, oh, I'm moving in. It's like yeah, but you've been living here already for like you know you've got you've got a toothbrush here, you've got you got drawers. You yeah, know? you live here. You don't have to say welcome now at this point. Come on. Well, this is more like welcome to the locker room because this is talking about some of the nasty ass shit that goes on backstage. I heard they got roped into all sorts of shit because. 
I remember when we way, 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 way back season one talked about, you know, the the wrestlers court and the hazing. I know the wrestlers court is something you've always been very obsessed with. Mm -hmm. I know that they were involved with either, it was either Cyrus or the APA and them. And there was shit with their bags and having to write something in a car. Didn't they have to like write something or something like that? Well, we'll see here because it's very interesting how much you know about this. Yeah. It's so funny because I think I got like a season one of, you know, if you're somebody who's listening now, like, I'm like, hey, this is that episode last week, why don't you know? I was like, what's fucking five years ago now? <laughs> like, you know? What I like about this book, I will take the time to say this now, is that it does feel like they're breaking down a lot of things in more detail than a lot of the other books we've seen. Mm. Like, like even the way they talked about Dory Funk's process and describing, you know, we didn't get that kind of information from people like The Rock and no, even the detail. Foley like. in his book, when he's surprising little detail, I reread it for the How to Foley recently, mm. and surprisingly little detail about the actual mechanics of the training. Yeah, he'll tell you all about the fucking the drive there and sleeping afterwards. Mm-hmm. And Flair in his book, he'll write about the mile run, you know, the several mile runs he had to do with Vern Gagne. How did you learn to wrestle? But not yeah. Like that. yeah. I, I don't know if everyone actually did listen necessarily learn sequences and chains yeah. stuff like that maybe it, it was just you do squat thrusts and fucking backdrops and that's it and like you said all the books you've read before no one explains this is how you blade this is the best way to mm. do it like Matt is very keen on breaking into the mechanics of stuff here because he has such little to say it to fill out the book <laughs> well no I like it though because it means we get more like they go over wrestlers court and how the locker room works so the hierarchy as they put it is Undertaker is the locker room leader as we know and the acolytes are basically there the enforcers and their job is to sort of break in the new wrestlers. Sorry, is is legitimate the locker room controlled by the Ministry of Darkness? Honestly, yes. The Undertaker is the head. The, the acolytes are the Muslim head. And then Midian would like read their fortunes. <laughs> and Paul Bearer the would eye. just cackle now and then. You know. Shame man would tell us to change our strategies. <laughs> Um, so basically Bradshaw and Farouk were the ones that had to make sure the boys were toughened up and were going to fit in. Oh, Jesus. Ugh, it sent a cold shiver down my spine, that sentence. Now, the first rib they received came after a house, a house show in Greensboro. I don't really know how this is a rib so much as Bradshaw trying to get them to be naughty boys. It's like when a big bully comes and tries to see if you're a troublemaker as well. He says to them, on the drive tonight after the show, we've got a tradition. There's a big sign at the side of the road. I want you boys to buy two six-packs of beer. I want you to throw all the bottles at that sign when you go past it. It's the thing we always do. All the boys do it, and if you're one of the boys, you'll throw your bottles at that sign when you go past. And if you didn't do it, I'll know, because I live inside your mind. Yeah. So they get to Charlotte the next day, and Bradshaw pulls them aside and goes, were you successful in your mission? And they say, no, we, we didn't throw them, we don't drink. You should have lied, guys. That, that's what they say. Literally, Jeff just chimes in here, all we had to do was lie. Bradshaw says to them, go to hell. And literally won't speak to them for the next few weeks. Apparently he is pissed off. He would, they would go to shake his hand when they arrived and he would say, go to hell. No, because you didn't throw bottles at the sign like I wanted to. Literally. What? Literally. Sorry, the, the the bullies in my old school had much more reasonable parameters for they that. Had, like, they had motives. Yeah. Like, much more reasonable motives. About a month later, they're in San Antonio. They go back to the locker room and like all of their bags, everyone's bags are gone except for theirs. And it turns out like everyone's just sort of ditched them, gone to a different locker room. So the Hardys just get changed by themselves in this locker room. And then later on, they go for their match. They come back and now their bags have disappeared. 
and they ask Bradshaw what's going on and Bradshaw's like if you addressed with all the boys in the locker room then maybe people would have looked out for your stuff and your shit wouldn't go missing that's uh, so fucking exhausting it, isn't it you, you cannot do right if they'd have actually gone and found the other boys in the locker room they were in they would probably been like oh you can't change in here with us yeah you know what I hate about it as well is that it's this attempt to make it seem like it's this big kind of fucking the locker room the boys da 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 when by and large what it seems like is Undertaker who's just fucking on the top of this fucking ethical mountain and this is Bradshaw being a fucking bully all the goddamn time and everyone else is kind of being like oh yeah that's the way it is man yep. like what Mick Foley and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and Kane like Kane's gonna put down his fucking literature book and go and fucking move the Hardy Boys bag because mm-hmm. it seems like it's just a lot of people just trying to get about their business and yep. letting fucking yep. Bradshaw yep. have his way and that I think adds to like I buy that more because what happens here is Road Dog comes up to them and like whispers to them like don't tell Bradshaw I said this but your bags are outside in the dumpsters. don't tell Bradshaw yeah he's basically like look lads I know Bradshaw is having his fun but your bags are outside like and Ugh. yeah I think that's just more it's exhausting it is exhausting it's- like being a wrestler is already the biggest fucking like it is a, such a toll it takes and the travel and all that shit and you didn't even have a you know you think about it, you could even make a phone call easily back in 1999 mm-hmm. you know this is how the fucking world you're living in yep. and that's the fucking shit that you're doing in between getting hurt while you're yep. resting it daily. is fucking what an unbelievable so grind and this is really sad the attitude it drills into them because they go outside and they find their bags on top of the dumpsters and they're like our bags were zipped up so nothing had fallen out they were actually pretty cool about it they could have really screwed with us and dumped all of our stuff in the trash. Thanks, guys. Pretty cool about it. Awesome. That's sad that you feel that way. Like, Thank you're you. grateful for them not throwing your stuff in the trash. Thank you for putting my stuff on the trash. Instead of in the trash. Wow, what a guy. Good guy, Bradshaw. As time went on, we started to win Bradshaw over. Oh, God. One day he came up to them in New Haven and said, Hardys, I got a little something. He actually says his Hardys. Apparently Bradshaw always calls them that. His Hardys. Is that because uh, he's big into his Snoop Dogg, is it? He said he's got an assignment for them. He says, you guys know the Monkey Boy, right? And apparently the Monkey Boy was one of the wrestlers that everyone hated. He's not in WWE anymore. No one was fond of him. And what, they're not naming us? Yeah, they don't name it. They just call him the Monkey Boy. The Monkey Boy. Well, forgive me for making a few fucking assumptions about who that might be. Who is it? I'm pretty sure that's Tiger Alley C they're talking about. Oh, God, really? I mean, if it's... Someone oh, who they all hate, not with the company anymore. And because I remember there was a story before they got the Hardy Boys to do something to Tiger Ali Singh. I'm pretty goddamn sure about that. That's disgusting. That's his nickname there. I could be completely wrong if you... I would like to think so. If, if you reckon it's someone else. Uh, but I'm trying to think of who, who would not be mentioned in a 2002 book that's not with the company anymore. Well, their job was that they wanted to find out where this guy was changing because he wasn't getting changed in the locker room. That is almost definitely because he also, he tried to sue the company and he said that he was made to change out like in his rental car and stuff like that because he couldn't change with the boys. Wow. The monkey boy was so despised. The monkey boy. Their words, the monkey boy was so despised in the locker room he had been forced to change in his car. It's got to be him, hasn't it? The only other people who like, I know rub people the wrong way is like Cyrus. I think Cyrus, maybe. Mm. But forgive me for making assumptions that it's Tiger Alley C because he's the one who I've heard. Like, I know that Cyrus was a target of a lot of haze and stuff from JBL as well, apparently. Okay, fucking hell. But he wouldn't have even, I don't think he would have even been there at that point in early 1959. Like, Well, basically Bradshaw makes them, once he found out that he's getting changed in the car, Bradshaw makes them take a load of toothpicks. They put it in all the keyholes in the car 
and break them off so that basically he can't fit his key in any of the locks. If this is the thing with the toothpicks, that's probably Cyrus. Yeah. Which is interesting that they would go out of their way to not mention who it is. Mm, I think it's just because they got involved in this prank and they didn't want to admit like who they did it to. Maybe. So was or... this like as a part of a wrestler's court thing or is it just like, nope, go just do it? Just because they hate this guy. They just That's hate so him. funny. That toothpick story has actually been has been attributed to wrestlers' court quite a few times. Mm, no, on this one, it is just Bradshaw's angry because this guy that they hate is hated so much he won't change with the other boys. And he's like, how dare he not change with the other boys? Go and fuck up his car. Well, why the fuck do you think he not? I mean, you look list the people who wouldn't change with the locker room back then. It is Cyrus and Tiger Ali Singh, and I'm not sure who else would be on that list. Mm. Like, there's good reason why they're not changing, because you've basically made it known to them that it's not safe for them, or yes. they're not welcome to why be changing with you. Why would they want to be in there with you? Like. Fucking hell. This is really sad, though. Matt says, as usual, I did the dirty work. I felt bad about doing it, but at the same time, I wanted to get us out of hot water. I went and did what I had to do. Then we got out of there before the monkey boy discovered what had happened. It worked, too. After that, we were totally cool with Bradshaw and Taker. We were officially accepted as part of the locker room. That's a nice happy ending, then, at least. Isn't it? It's very yeah. good. You know what? I'm really, really happy that Cyrus, Don Callis, is come back into wrestling because he left in, like, two... He left after ECW closed, and he did a little bit in TNA, mm-hmm. and then after that, he's like, I'm done with wrestling, and I'm going to go, he was like doing venture capital and, you know, business shit, like, completely out of wrestling. Him coming back in the last few years and doing stuff at New Japan and TNA is really heartwarming, because I remember reading Chris Jericho's book, and he goes on and on and on and on about Don Callis, and how he trained with him, and how great he was, and what a great mind for the business he had, and Lance Storm speaks highly of him, and I remember thinking, that can't be... The same can't be him because I love Cyrus in ECW. I even watched Don Callis's little run in TNA in 2003. That's what got me into TNA originally, like right. him being the heel authority figure. And I was like, couldn't believe it was the same person. And reading all the shit then, and hearing about how badly he was treated in WWF, he was basically bullied out, arrested. Yeah, clearly, you know? it they sucks. were fucking up his rental car for no reason. Such fucking bollocks. And he's, you know what? He's so fucking good as well. When he's yeah. in ECW as Cyrus, the the network guy, he's such a fucking heat magnet. That guy can talk for fucking days. And I never even knew he could wrestle. He's a fully trained wrestler. Really? Yeah, he wrestled like with Lance and Jericho. And he trained with them. Jeez. Would you not want that fucking mind in your fucking wrestling company? I nah, guess not. Get like, the fuck out of my locker room. Next chapter is Shotgun Superstars. So they were jobbing constantly on Shotgun Saturday Night, Sunday Night Heat. They worked a lot with the New Age Outlaws and Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, always doing tag team jobs. God, it's a fucking shitty tag team back then, wasn't it? Like, I mean, for the most part, yeah. I mean, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, that's a hell of a team. Yeah, but you know what's bad when the best team is the random we have nothing for you team? Yeah, they turn out to be the best. They've got yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they say Owen Hart was the best worker they've ever been in the ring with. He was just incredibly smooth to work with, and he was so cool with the jobbing guys. Like he would always give Owen would always give them opportunities to show off what they can do. Like, That's awesome. Like, not many generous. people were, would be willing to do that. In February, Ed Ferreira approaches them and says that they want them to be DX pledges. Now they want to do this thing where the Hardy Boys will come out and do the DX symbol on TV and try and get the attention of DX basically be like we want to get recruited by DX yeah and that's so that they can have loads of cool new people in their cool exclusive gang or would it be so they could beat them up and be like no DX is only for us cool guys well they literally just like last for six weeks 
and then it gets shut down. Wait, so they were doing it? Yeah, they were doing it on TV for six weeks, they said. Really? There was even an article in the WWE magazine saying how we were influenced by people like Shawn Michaels, and it says, will the Hardys end up in DX, or will it be the worst mistake of their careers? God, I have no memory of that. It must have been on Heat and stuff. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been on yeah. Shotgun and Heat and that kind of shit. Like, you would never have made it to proper TV. God. Next chapter, those 70s boys. When they get to go on that seventies show, Kevin. Oh shit! They were, weren't they? I didn't realize it was filmed this early into their career. Like they were complete nobodies at this point. So. God, that's why I thought Russo was just road testing that gimmick out first with the Hardys before he gave it to Mike Awesome. <laughs> they said the uh, the only reason they got the gig, if you remember in the re- in the episode, they were the only actual wrestling that happened. Yeah. was you saw them in the ring, and they said they got the gig just in case they got hurt. They didn't want it to be anyone important that they would miss off the roster, so they got Matt and Jeff to do it. And they played wrestler number two and wrestler number three. Apparently. Wow, wrestler number one. That was the real fucking meaty part. They well, should have the re- rock, obviously. <laughs> um, they didn't have any dialogue, but they get, did get to hang out with the cast of the show, who were apparently all a similar age to them. And it, apparently it was just a cool experience, a very chill, laid back time. I'd love to watch that 70s show again sometime. I wouldn't. Uh, next, chapter, <laughs> next chapter is Enter Michael Hayes. Um, could you do a little reading of this, Kevin? Please. This is, what Michael comes up to them and says backstage about what they're going to be. One day, Michael came to us and said, This is what we're going to do now. I'm going to be doing an interview with the Brood, and they're going to give me the bloodbath. Next week, when they come to the ring, the lights are going to go dark, and then we're going to be covered in blood. Then when the lights go back on, you're going to be up on the ramp with me. We're going to form a group like a new Freebirds. So that sets the tone straight away for what Michael Hayes is hoping to get out of this arrangement. So are we right to believe now, Adam, that Michael Hayes in his full uh, tan bottle of pancake batter yep. suit being bloodbathed was meant to be an introduction for the new Freebirds? Yes. Wow. That was meant to be what pairs the Hardy Boys with Michael Hayes. Now, we, as we all know, this is uh, often uh, has been quoted is Michael Hayes erroneously thinking that the Hardy Boys were going to be the new Freebirds and he went out and he bought all the outfits and shit like that my question to you is do you believe that Michael Hayes very haphazard and often dangerous and callous booking of the tag division in 2000-2001 is a result of no wanting to be the new Freebirds oh you mean like a petty revenge yeah you ain't gonna be a Freebird fine then you're gonna fly off a ladder I'm gonna kill you you should learn Freebirds don't take bumps oh no (laughs) that's so miserable you you don't want to be a Freebird fan (laughs) oh my god I mean why else would he do it it's like the nasty evil bear from Toy Story 3 (laughs) anyone disagrees and they have to go in the nasty room where they'll get bumped and ripped up and shit so they talk about how if they're going to be working with Michael, they need to be traveling with Michael. Cool. And the three of them became a team on the road as well. And then we became racists. Apparently Michael's old school mentality was you would work your match, go out and party all night, sleep two or three hours, wake up, train your ass off, drive 400 miles, and do it all over again. I would rather die. Legit, yeah. Thank God for the Nintendo Switch, Kevin, because now the people on the roster don't have to do that anymore. There's finally an alternative. You know what? The fucking... The, the two or three hours sleep and the mandatory partying like have uh, fun have uh, fun damn it do this line uh, mm. apparently the Hardy Boys that was not their pace they were way figured, more laid yeah. back chill guys 
uh, Michael was always constantly like fucking itching to be like they would go to a restaurant and Matt and Jeff would want to sit down and have food whereas Michael would be like I don't get this man why can't we just get it to go so we can go to a bar or something like and he was always always like when are we going to a bar like Jesus when can we drink bring some drink from home with you Michael we would stop at some restaurant and Michael would ask is there a bar there no I'd say then we can't stop there Ah, Everywhere you know it's all. Have have a bar. It's this posturing of like you're the young guys. I, I obviously fucking Michael Hayes is all Michael Hayes is is a collection of midlife crises and crises of confidence merged into a fucking human form. Yeah, and that imagine him there now. What he's pushing probably fifty or whatever, and he's trying to prove to these young fucking twenty somethings. This you know, free birds rule still to this day. You this know, is how you do it. We're gonna yes. fucking live forever. We're gonna fucking party like nobody's business. I can still go. You know, these young boys, they can't hang with me because I'm too fucking wild for them. I'm not old. They're old, even yeah. though they're younger than me. Oh, Kevin, the more we delve into Michael. Oh Hayes, no, I thought there'd be a respectful paragraph, and that would be learn it. Learn a lot about Hayes. Oh dear. Uh, he says that he wouldn't go anywhere with them to eat unless they served Jägermeister to drink. Like he had to get that. Like, and he would always bum a cigarette off everybody wherever he was he's like hey buddy give me a cigarette right smokes let's go that kind of thing (laughs) Jeff sums it up by saying there were times when travelling with Michael was totally aggravating there were other times when we had a blast it was great for us to have that kind of exposure to a veteran it is really frustrating I imagine when you've got this fucking I mean I've said a lot of bad things about Michael Hayes but he is a fucking absolute genius in terms of you know heels and faces and storylines and even tag wrestling he has got uh, so much to offer and as much as it pains me to say it in a minute there's a reason why he's been there as long as he has been in fucking spite of all the obvious reasons why he probably shouldn't still be yeah. there yeah. you know he he has got a fucking mind and I really fucking hate the fact that they'd have to like struggle through all of his shit to get a few little grains of truth or wisdom from yeah. him it's it's the same as the stallion all over again i think they're really trying to dress it up by saying that we just we learned a lot yeah you know, it was a real learning experience and i'm grateful of that i will say is that michael hayes has never had any issues with knowing what his value was no no he certainly yeah. has he not. certainly knows that much next chapter becoming so vince at this point has finally started taking note of the hardy boys now they actually are like getting tv time he started speaking to them backstage on occasion they get the hardy boy pants as officially part of their look and their gimmick wait like, as in pants to say hardy's or literally the new the the pants that every creator wrestler had from the 99 okay that are called the hardy boy pants from now on like uh, this is when they started putting together all of the big daredevil moves that they would really like become known for this is where they, the hardy boys brands right, really yeah. really started to like shape up uh, this is cool something which I guess is obvious but I'd never really thought of is that Jeff was the one that came up with the swanton instead of the senton like he told Kevin Kelly that he wanted to change his name like wanted to make it his own by calling it the swanton which is why I kept thinking that Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly were just idiots like it's a senton bomb you biggie don't you play (laughs) Wrestlemania 2000 and apparently people weren't keen on it they said they thought it sounded weak but Jeff's like well what did I tell you it's become part of my brand and it became part of the Hardy Boy brand you know what you call any move that looks spectacular you call it whatever the fuck it is as long as it's not too long you say it often enough it'll get over it doesn't matter what the fuck it's called yeah legit bank statement that's a stupid ass name it's based on a pun it's boss time it's a good move it's boss time okay but maybe we should call it that instead it's boss time they talk about the moves they added to their arsenal like the twist of fate the poetry in motion Jeff goes out of his way to have a go at Taz because Taz would often call it the twist of faith Faith. close enough right letters I guess 
Next chapter, Champions. This is where they get to win a number one contenders match at King of the Ring 99, if you remember. Oh, yes. Which what they- a fucking dark night that was. King of the Ring 99 is such a fucking blemish on wrestling. It's such a bad goddamn show. It's one of my favourite shows of the podcast we've ever done because we get to dive into the higher power and all that stuff. I know, but like, it, it showed you, like, I think everyone was wrong with the Attitude Era, while the Attitude Era is and all that. King of the Ring 1999, fabulously interesting story. Wild, over the top, unpredictable. And the show was fucking hideous and yeah, boring. Awful. Like, how? <laughs> how? Billy Gunn. <laughs> Billy Gunn. Really now, like... They won the number one contenders match on the pay-per-view, King of the Ring 99. And then a week later, as you mentioned, they beat the Acolytes for the belts on TV. Which is like the big first spotlight moment they get on the Hardy Boys. I always love the the bit before that match where it's like, Bradshaw, you've been dropped on your head. Your brain doesn't work anymore. He's like, shut up, I'm going to wrestle. Yeah, well, that's what they said. The only way they could get around like them actually winning realistically was because Bradshaw took a tombstone on the stairs. Yeah, the stairs, like... <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, they were positive the finish was going to get changed last minute or something like all the way up to them being in the ring they were like something's not going to happen we're not going to get this i like that their expectations have been sufficiently tapered at this point like and it's the acolytes as well they said that they were professional but they were both very clearly unhappy about having to put the hardy boys (laughs) over (laughs) oh god i'm so fucking glad to a nicer guy it couldn't happen honestly yeah i'm so happy they beat the acolytes of all folks uh, when they win the belts it's a huge moment they win the belts in Fayetteville which is where Matt says he saw his first ever wrestling match as a kid oh, so wow. significant for them and after they won it Jeff wore the belt everywhere he went like, <laughs> massive mark he says nowadays belts don't mean a thing to him anymore like he forgets them but at the time. the time yeah at the time it was such a big deal he would wear it to restaurants and shit like constantly well how else are men supposed to hold my pants up <laughs> next chapter Beth uh, this is where Jeff meets his first serious long-term girlfriend. Are they still together? I think the, the way it's written here implies that they were together at the time of writing, at least. Yeah, I do. I do remember. I think when, when they did all, like Jeff Hardy's car has been run off the road and stuff. Angle yeah. in two thousand three. I'm pretty sure Beth was still there. I'm not yeah. sure if she still is. But yeah, they they go home and there's a big celebration in a club in their local town. Like congratulations, Hardy Boys Yay! champions. And then Jeff meets his girlfriend. Diddly D. Next chapter, Wrestler's Court. Yay! Finally, baby, we're here. So this is the first time the Hardys get themselves in significant trouble. They've won the tag team belts, and Michael P.S. Hayes thinks they should upgrade to first-class seats on the plane because they're champions now. Right. And they're like, this doesn't seem like a good idea, Mike. Maybe we should just sit in the back with the other like mid-card boys. And Michael's like, no, come on, you're champions, it's fine. Uh... And they're like, no, really. And he's like, no, honestly, sit your ass down. And so they sit in first-class. It's basically because there's been nothing to do in wrestlers' court, so he wants them to sit there so they can have fucking wrestlers' court about some Seems bullshit. Like it. Yeah. Seems like it. Uh, just as the plane is getting ready to take off, D'Lo Brown and Kane come running onto the plane. Like, last minute, they just made it on there. It turns out that D'Lo was running late, and Kane said he would wait for him. He wouldn't get, he wouldn't leave without D'Lo. So Kane waited behind for D'Lo, and they run on last minute, and Kane's like, is there a seat here for me? And Hardy's like, oh, we'll take our seats. And Kane's like, no, no, no. you got your seats. That's all very good. I'll go and sit in the back. So, oh, so what kind of plane is this where anyone can just pick their seats? Like I, I know, right? Like, it doesn't work like that. Well, look Michael. down, Kane. Have you got first class on your ticket? No? Well, then go away. Go away, Kane. Um, so Kane was very nice. Went back to the coach and they flew first class for the whole flight, feeling shitty about it. 
But when he got to the next house show, Bradshaw. Oh, now Bradshaw, he was not happy about. Well, this. Bradshaw's a stickler for air travel and the the mechanics of which happens uh, on said air travel. They've been officially sentenced to Wrestler's Court, which will take place on the next taping of Raw. He gets sentenced to court. Yeah, he gave them their court date, basically. Yeah. Like, for Raw next week. They said it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a mock trial in the locker room. Taker is the judge, and Bradshaw is the prosecuting attorney. It's pretty scary, because once you get up on the stand, everybody is against you. So before they go into the courtroom, apparently Taker grabs Jeff on the way in and says, I know Michael put you in those seats, so I know you guys didn't want to sit there. We'll take it easy on you, but we're going to make Michael's life miserable. Hooray! I like wrestlers' court all of a sudden. How do you feel about doing a bit of Bradshaw, Kevin? Yeah, I can do a bit of Bradshaw. Gentlemen of the WWE, here we have the Hardy Boys, who have only been wrestling in the WWE for less than a year. Then, my friends, we have Kane, a former WWE champion who, out of the kindness of his heart, was waiting for his friend D'Lo Brown. He happened to have D'Lo's ticket and was going to stand there and give it to him even if it meant sacrificing his first-class seat. Seems the Hardys believe that being our current tag team champions entitles them to sit in first-class no matter whose seat they occupy. I guess if it had been The Undertaker, or he'd been waiting to give a ticket to his friends, they would have taken his seat. Or maybe even Stone Cold Steve Austin, our current champion. Or, my friends, it could be each and every one of your seats. They're coming for our seats, Adam. Then Kane takes to the stand. I knew it was an important show in White Plains, but D'Lo is a great friend and a great human being. I didn't mind waiting for him, but I would have thought that after I went through the trouble of waiting for D'Lo and getting on the plane late, the Hardy Boys would have at least given me my seat. Worse, when I came on the plane, they wouldn't move. In fact, they laughed at me. I didn't mind, though, because the most important thing to me was that D'Lo Brown got on that plane, and we made the show in White Plains, and that it was a success, and the WWE is doing good business. Wow. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Kane. (laughs) It's Glenn Kane, Kevin. What's funny about that? Please, Mr. Kane's my father. I'm Glenn. It's my belief that the Hardy Boys are relatively innocent in this affair, and the person that should truly take responsibility is... Michael Hayes! Fucking hell. So the verdict is carried out that Michael must carry Kane's bags for a week, which is fucking brilliant. I love that. You just take all the booze out of it, like. Oh, for fuck's sake, all the chemicals. Yeah, is there there Jägermeister in this bag that I'm not carrying it? Like, I can only carry bags with Jägermeister. (laughs) And the Hardy Boys just had to buy Kane dinner, apparently, because they were only partially complicit. Next chapter, Fully Loaded, coming at you from July 25th, 1999. So this is uh, in the in between King of the Ring and Fully Loaded. They've won the belts, and apparently they're working house shows with the Acolytes constantly. Sounds and like a lot of fun. They beat the living daylights out of us every night. It was like torture. Let me tell you, after a couple of weeks of that, I was ready to give the belts back. <laughs> That would be great. Like your wrestlers just like got beaten down. They're like, I don't want it anymore. I can't take it no more, man. Just give it, give it back. So sad. They're setting up for a three-on-two handicap on pay-per-view: Hardy Boys and Michael Hayes versus the Acolytes. Oh, that was the Acolytes rules match, wasn't it? AKA, That's the one. It is real. It is real. <laughs> uh, to set up this and to prove that Michael Hayes can still go, he has a one-on-one match with Tracy Smothers on Shotgun Saturday Night. Excuse 
Excuse me. Legit. X. Oh my god. Want to see that? I want to see that for fucking yes. Didn't they just add shotgun to the network recently or something? I like... th- there's a bit. They added a bit of heat because mm. uh, you know shotgun is something that we've been looking at a lot for um, or 1977 uh, reviews. We, we've been doing a bit of groundwork here yeah. at the moment in 2019, and shotgun's a big part of that. It my is. god. Tracy Smothers is low-key one of my all-time fave wrestlers. Really? He's so great. He The first time I ever saw him, I mean, I did see some little bits of uh, ECW stuff and not realizing who it was, like who the name was or whatever. Then you read about him a bit in Mick Foley's book. And then I remember One Night Stand, uh, he came out with the FBI and everyone was dancing. And Tracy Smothers is constantly in a state of throwing shapes. Right. And he grabs the mic and he's meant to say something along the lines of, it's time for a dance-off or whatever. And he's grabbed the mic and he goes, if we can't do better than that dancing, everybody gonna die. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! To the point where my housemate Gary was used to say around the house all the time, like, it's like, well, if we're not cleaning up these dishes, everyone's gonna die. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did get me a hat with just had a little Tracy Smothers, like an awful graphic he got made in a print shop. It's Tracy <laughs> Smothers just saying, everybody gonna die. And just him like... <laughs> Dude, it's amazing so yeah i want to see tracy smothers and fucking michael hayes on shotgun i bet but the, the the three on two handicap happens at fully loaded and basically bradshaw says to them beforehand you boys don't have anything to worry about just tag michael in and leave the rest to us i'm pretty sure that's what happens in the match yeah yeah and they said that they reckon they must have had some heat with michael from back in the day because this was their chance for payback and their attitude is very much how do you like that you old son of a bitch <laughs> In the end, we got thrown to the outside and the Acolytes hit Michael with a double power punch. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was fucking hideous to watch. And that's how they lost the titles with Michael Hayes getting pinned. Oh, they fucking killed Michael that they one. They do. Yeah. yeah, it's fucking satisfying. Next chapter, when the, when the Hardys turn on Michael Hayes, they will kill him. That's the name of the chapter. Wow, that is a great chapter. When the Hardys get their first t-shirt designed, they're both looking at it like, wow, man, that's great. Look at this. It's got a travel shape. Oh, sorry. I thought that was the the first t-shirt design was that (laughs) phrase. When the Hardys... Turn on Michael Michael Hayes. They will kill him. They will kill him. (laughs) Sorry, just sorry. I didn't drop that Tracy Smothers reference thinking that a very similar one would be coming up. This is news. This is news to me. Like, (laughs) wow. So they're looking at this nice new T-shirt, being like, "Wow, man, it's got a travel design. It says the Hardy Boys on it." And Michael's looking over their shoulder, like, "Wait a minute. Where's my name? Why isn't my name on there?" And they're like, "Oh." you might want to go and talk to the uh, marketing department about that. And he's like, you're damn right I will. Because you're fucking go. Michael Hayes. You're not a Hardy boy. He's... Is Paul Bear going up to the show going, where's me on these shirts? <laughs> no manager ever has been on the shirts of their, of their fucking, uh, of their contracted performer. Michael said he's going to go talk to the merchandising people. And we are a team after all, aren't we? Yeah, that's it. He's part of the team, Kevin. Here comes the friendship sailing your way. New Freebirds. <laughs> he's he's literally like Mr. Burns in the fucking bowling team here at this Aww. point. Now, like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's he thinks he, they owe him everything and he's awful and they don't have the heart to fucking tell him to fuck off. Like, you know. Bradshaw actually offers them some sympathy and he's like, I feel so sorry for you lads that you have to put up with this old yeah, guy. Yeah, what like. actually happened was that before the match, uh, this, the three on two match, Bradshaw went up and hit him and go, take that and hits him with a with a pole and he's like oh man now my back pain's gone I'll be able to wrestle that acolytes rules match 
So the quote from the title there comes from Bradshaw because he was always saying when he would see Hayes winding the Hardy Boys up like this, he would be saying, "Whenever they turn on him, they're gonna fucking they're gonna murder him and beat the shit out of him because they've had to put up with so much." You know what? I don't like the recurring thing that always seems to be like, "Oh wow, you guys managed to you know get on Bradshaw's good side. The bullying has stopped because you found someone that he hates more than you." Yeah, so and he's, he's moved on. Great right? friend that is. Apparently they were doing TV in Chicago one day and they were woke up at 7 in the morning at their hotel room by Michael Hayes banging on the door out of breath going, they're going to split us up. Like looking all worried with a coffee in his hand like frantically. Not the team, not not the fucking, not the dream team on the scrap heap, Michael. And Michael said to them, we've got to take a stand. All three of us have got to go and tell Vince that we really need to be together. And Matt's like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I don't think I really have. I'm not in a position to go and say I was that. Say, like, we, we should all like no show the next event. Jesus. <laughs> we should hold Vince up for money. We're going on strike. <laughs> I'm bringing a gun to the next taping. <laughs> well, let's just see how far you go without Doc Hendricks then. This seems, it reminds me so much of Tommy Wiseau in the Disaster Artist book. Like, he's so sad and yeah. trying so desperately to cling on to these boys like apparently he was like pacing back and forth outside of Vince's office that day like and when he went in there he was like pleading with Vince like gotta change your man Vince keep me with the boys like he was begging him not to break up the team like. it's so funny because like you know um, we watched that uh, Jim Cornette timeline recently for uh, 1987 for, for kind of a research and he's talking about you know being put back on the road after being taken off the road, and he's like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Because there's so much work to do when you're an office guy. The last thing you want is actually to be a performer because it's fucking exhausting. You yeah. have to make all the towns. And Michael Hayes is so the fucking opposite. He's so starved for attention yeah. and ego and the fucking spotlight that he wants more. This is like fucking hallelujah for him well yeah because he's not wrestling all the matches he yeah. gets to be seen with the young books like. and he's been there since like 95 whatever and I bet he's been fucking waiting this whole goddamn time mm-hmm. sitting watching like for J- this moment JR got made a fucking on screen heel character before, he- yeah. before Hayes yeah. got anything You're so right. he's probably very pissed off that he's not had a chance before now yeah and he was just he was so desperate to not have that taken away from him so they do the, the breakup angle. The Brood have already split up, and Edge and Christian were turning babyface. Uh, that night, there was a match between Gangrel and Christian, and the Hardy Boys came down and helped Gangrel get the win. And Michael Hayes is there like, what's going on? And they beat him up as well. Like, Good times. Michael Hayes being beaten up by a vampire is a very good look. The next Sunday night, they did a backstage interview on Heat where they were asked if this is how they pay back Michael Hayes for everything he's done for them. And they say, this isn't about Michael Hayes. This is about us getting stronger. Matt takes the mic and says, we're hungry man we have a thirst that cannot be quenched and then Gangrel said in his most sinister voice this is the new brood <laughs> I love that they made out it was really cool like yeah. you know we have a thirst that won't be quenched but man we already done have our juice boxes no Jeff it's a thirst for power to be fair they call it when they say they formed it they call it the awesome and revolutionary new brood and there's no way that's not sarcasm like not in a promo in the book they refer right. to it as that they definitely know how shit it is. They should have shortened it. The new brood could have become the nude. Nude. <laughs> Next chapter, the new brood. So they started wearing all black to try and be more gothic and fit in with the gothic lifestyle of the new brood. This is where Jeff starts doing his gimmick. <laughs> the gothic lifestyle is literally you're using the verbiage that That's Michael what it is, baby. It's gothic. a gothic lifestyle. The alternative red viscous lifestyle of the brood. <laughs> 
This is where Jeff starts wearing stockings on his arms and cutting holes in them. Apparently, he got this gimmick from Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. How about that? So I've nicked it from there. And during the new brood, they were trying out a million different gimmicks of like, okay, this time Gangrel will stand on the steps and we'll have our heads down, or this time we'll do this pose. And that's where they invented the Hardy Boys finger guns. Because they would come out with it in their head going, ah, <laughs> <laughs> imagine if I had two guns in my mouth. Like, it was really, it, it became more subtle, but at the start it was like, ah, oh, like it was right down there, you know? Trying to invoke vomiting. Like. Very much the new brood is what happens when people are workshopping the gimmick as it's unfolding on TV. Like. Yeah. Next chapter, No Mercy. We're talking about October 99, baby. The No Mercy pay-per-view. Dick, dick, dickity. Dick, dick diggity, diggity dog. dog. So, Matt, Jeff, Edge and Christian all come up with the idea of doing a tag team ladder match for the first time in history. Wait, so it's their pitch? Their idea. Really? They pitch it to Vince McMahon and Vince wow. Russo together. Uh, and from that, Vince Russo comes up with the tit. Oh, yeah, the Terry Invitational Tournament, of course. Say that again with me now, King. The Terry Runnels Invitational Tournament. Oh, man! Oh, man, the trick! I can't... Oh, man! <laughs> that acronym! Oh, man! <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just love that. It just so fucking points out, like, Vince Russo, like, what is the fucking upper limit of what Tag is good for... Tag match, you say. Oh, wow, a really innovative idea. I've got an idea as well, though. Is it innovative? No. Is it a rude word? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is the rudest word. It is the tit word, and that is one of the top five rude words, Vince. That is true, Vince. It is, it is that. Apparently, the original plan was that Edge and Christian were going to win the entire tournament. Um, Matt and Jeff were bummed out of the idea at first because they thought like they didn't need a manager, but then it turns out Edge and Christian were meant to be winning the tournament, and they would get Terry anyway. And they figured, you know what? Given how well things are going with, with Terry, with us and Gangers, and seeing what Terry's done for the career, the Mean Street Posse, it only yeah. makes sense. He's a boon to any faction. Absolutely. Kevin. So Edge and Christian were actually planned to win the whole tournament until the day of the pay-per-view when Vince decided that the Hardy Boys needed it more. Like, I guess you could tell Gangrel wasn't really working. Like, I mean, I don't know if Terry and Edge and Christian, that's like, I don't know, three three beautiful blonde people with long hair. Don't know if it would have worked. Mm, it could have. It might be like an early M&M, possibly. You need to really hard rebrand all that shit. Yeah. Like. The Friday before the pay-per-view, they set up the match in Stamford, but Edge couldn't make it, apparently, because of the blizzard. So it was literally Christian, Matt and Jeff put together the bulk of the match. And then on the Sunday itself is when Edge was there. They all fine-tuned and tweaked the ideas. Shit, that would have been like tracks then when you think about it. If Sam, yeah, yeah. yeah, tracks, you're wow. right. Yeah. Would have been with uh, with Big himself, Big John Gaborik, most likely. Jump up the ladder. <laughs> the rest of this chapter is them breaking down a lot of the spots of the match and talking about how they were very... They were confident, but they were also taken aback at just how well it went. Like, a lot of spots that were quite risky seemed to go as perfect as they could have gone. Very fluid, like... I think this was the point where they realised, with ladder matches like that, that even if it doesn't go entirely according to plan, the crashing and burning... So spectacular. Yeah, it, it got the same reaction from the audience, and I'm not sure how good a precedence that was. Yeah. You know... Uh, they say they did a very good job of taking a number of very well-planned, calculated risks that looked completely spontaneous. 
by the end of the match there was no way around it we were concrete baby faces like which is true there's no way they could be heel after that the Hardy Boys yeah except fucking JR was still getting their names mixed up at that point yeah show me the money Matt Hardy Matty Hardy man. or apparently you know that's the match where Jeff like had to pull the bag down yeah. with all his weight that was a shoot as well like, oh really he would not come off he was not meant to do that but he had no other ideas the fucking the sack of money like that's the actual winning animation that they put in you're uh, right so in many no, fucking games in No Mercy it's like the big fucking flat back bump Every when you win like this is apparently a famous quote I've not heard it before Jeff said it's been said a million times since but that night Matt turned to me and said we just went from being WWE wrestlers to WWE superstars that is such a fucking editor's note do you think you could use the phrase that was the night we became superstars would you say that would you say that was the night that you became superstars that's basically how the mirror journalists get all of their quotes like would you say fangs but no fangs (laughs) um when Kangrel is like, wait, you know what? Wait a minute, you're saying thanks, but no thanks. You've you've dressed it up in a funny phrase. That night, they all got to the dressing room and decided, hey man, let's have ourselves a beer. And that was the first time ever at the ripe old age of 25. That was the first beer Matt Hardy had in his life, and he did not like it one bit. So, oh wow, not for me. Then they did the uh, show of respect the next night on Raw. If you remember, the sort of Edge and Christian came out, and they were like, no, but for real. That was fucking awesome. Oh, they, they show respect when they bet up Gangrel tell me he was shit. Like, <laughs> the ceremonial art of respect where we put the boots to our former they manager. Explain that. Do you remember what actually happened? I remember it was just they. Gangrel got chumpatized. Do you remember why? What why was it? They have the standing ovation and the show of respect between all four teams, and the, the audience is like on their feet, and they were actually genuinely emotional, not expecting that. And then Gangrel comes down the ramp arm in arm with Terry and they come down together and he says, I'm glad you guys had such a great match last night. But while you were in your hotel room licking your wounds, I'm the one that scored. (laughs) Well, no one can resist a vampire. Especially no one talks like that. Yeah. Uh, And then they all beat him up. (laughs) Uh, What was Terry's reaction to that? Was she like, yeah, beat him up or... See the she-devil. I've never recalled that wrinkle to the story. Me Goodness neither. gracious. Maybe it was something he said without a microphone in his hand or whatever. But <laughs> what like, a jerk. Uh, and that was that. That was the Hardy Boys with Terry. No more Gangrel. That's them firmly cemented as concrete baby faces now. This heel shit is not going to work anymore. They're so I guess you could say, welcome to the WWE for the sixth time. <laughs> <laughs> We've truly arrived. Now, Kevin, this is where I wanted to get to by the end of today. And yeah. we've, we haven't got there. No, we've not. It's okay, but don't worry. Two hours in. We had fun. We're officially at the halfway point of the book. Okay. This may well be a four-part, Kevin. Okay. Well, you need to up your game. What do you, what do you mean I need to up my game? I'm reading it fine. I'm just... You have to skip over the more interesting bits then, because otherwise it's going to take forever. <laughs> If you're not finding this interesting, Pat, <laughs> we'll just get down to the points next. Uh, and then Jeff became the champion. He climbed the ladder, kid. The end. Like, and did he become famous? He did. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. That's the story. Now we don't have to do it. Well, that's the end of the Hardy Boys. <laughs> we will be back again for part three. Diddly D. We'll be back for part three. Let us know your thoughts on the Hardy Boys journey in the comments below. And uh, yeah, if there's any... I don't know, elements of the Omega story or any like fun bits of trivia from any of these people uh, who we've been talking about. 
If you know why Joey Abs and Matt Hardy fell out for Ooh. one, I really want to know the There's got to be a shoot out there. There's got to be a shoot there. Somehow, some way, we got to find out. But yes, let us know your thoughts in the comments below as we continue our journey to exist, to inspire with young Matt and Jeff. Are you excited for what comes next, Adam? I am. I'm just, I'm, I'm let down. I've let myself down. I've let the Glagay community down. Ah, no. Now, I, I had a goal of being two-thirds done at the end of the day. I laid that goal out at the start of the show. I did not meet that goal. It's flexi goals, Adam, is what you got to have. I'm going to go away over the weekend, and I'm going to come back with a plan to make sure we do not get a no-deal Bibliotech. Is it a five-point plan? It's a five-point plan. We are getting this done. I'm going yeah. to see to it that it is finished. Okay, there's going to be no crashing out of this podcast, then. No, I've wa people have been asking, when's the new gamesmanship coming out? I've wanted to do it for a while. We're, we're getting this book done. <laughs> And then we'll see. There may have to be a break there with this if we're going to be doing. A I fucking, know. Yeah. I know. And it's not that big. It's not it's a, a really. short-ish book. Not not when this waif-like book careened through my letterbox. I think we'd be here still chipping away Four at it. Four hours in now, are we? Whatever well, it is. Until next time, and the part three of this never-ending Hardy Boys saga. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin, and me, Adam. I will see you next time on the Bibelotech.